I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as slashers, the boogeyman, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. It might be a bit too early for us, but for you listeners, Happy Halloween! We're recording this on October the 15th, 2023, but we will be releasing it on Halloween Day, and we are covering David Gordon Green's Halloween Trilogy. So uh, I'm just going to sit back, relax, and listen to Jesse go. (laughs) I try to condense my notes a bit. There's not as much behind-the-scenes info as you would think, as much as I've seen David Gordon Green likes to do that stuff. There's no commentary for the 2018 film. There's commentary for Kills. And there's commentary for ends, but you have to get the special like 4K Super Collector's Edition Blu-ray for it. It was supposed to be on like the Apple version. They fucked up and it's not on there. Oh, you're going to hate me, dude. Oh, I know. I'm sure I am. I got the the like $7 Walmart triple pack. Yeah. And there's commentary on all three. <laughs> there was supposedly never commentary <laughs> recorded for 2018. It doesn't even say it on the fucking jacket. Huh. I just went to it and I went to bonus features and I'm like, hey, there's every behind the scenes feature Ed I just watched on YouTube. I'm like, what's this? There's a fucking commentary track. It's not very good commentary. Just so gotcha. you know. <laughs> I was more angry because David Gordon Green wrote a book full of pictures and descriptions and it's the making of the entire trilogy and it comes out in like two days. Duh. So that's actually my first current news. So anybody interested, he's released that motherfucker and I am really curious if he's going to go into how much shit like the studio or Malika Cod fucked. <laughs> there was definitely some fucking going on somewhere, I don't know, but I'm <laughs> with you. I want to know who's to blame. Damn it. I'm going to get into it mainly in the third film, but I feel like he knew what he was doing and he had a banger planned out. I feel like he was told to abort <laughs> an idea really late in the process. And I'm assuming it's going to be Malik not wanting somebody else to be the shape. I don't know, man. By the time we get to the third film, I need answers. <laughs> But yes, that was my first thing for news. Anybody that's super into behind the scenes stuff, David Gordon Green does like to write books and do behind the scenes stuff. And he has a whole making of the the trilogy and it comes out on the 17th and I'm going to get it. I pre-ordered it. So I might actually do like a bonus episode after I've read the book. <laughs> a whole updates and corrections episode. <laughs> <laughs> the The timing might be a little off because I'm about to be out of town for a week, but other news There's a Halloween TV show coming out on Peacock. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but that is who Malik decided to give the rights to. I love me some shape. I don't know how good of a TV show that would make. Maybe they're going the anthology route and they'll have like the first episode as a Michael Byers story and then it deviates. I have no clue. I got nothing. I like the first season of the Scream show. They figured out how to do that. Yeah. So maybe you could have a couple of seasons of Myers chasing everybody down but i don't know and the last news current tidbit thing i wanted to put was that there is a prequel trilogy coming out to the strangers and i'm actually kind of excited about it that could be interesting because i liked what was it called like pray at night the yeah, strangers pray the at night one. like some people hated it i thought that like that felt like your traditional campy slasher film to me yeah and if we get a movie with those three going on a murder spree before the events of the first film Fuck yeah. (laughs) They're creepy enough. The way their costumes are designed and stuff and and the way they, you know, is Tamara there and stuff like that. (laughs) I feel like there's enough backstory stuff that you could make a cool movie trilogy out of that. Oh yeah, definitely. But 
it's almost Halloween, so everything's horror related. And I didn't want to just like bombard us with news. Like I saw John Carpenter's got a TV show coming out. Yeah, yeah, I saw something about that. So that's awesome. You'd think I'd know more about that, but I think I heard it's a true crime show. I don't know. I think that's right. I'm still gonna watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and that I'm I'm sorry. I, maybe that was Peacock or was that something else? Oh, I don't fucking remember. Updates and corrections, but just Google <laughs> John Carpenter TV show and uh you'll you'll see it. Announcements. The plan is to get this out on Halloween. Come hell or high water, I'm going to have to do some voodoo magic. I can't not release an episode on Halloween day of our show, especially when it's on a Halloween trilogy. And we plan to do something from Halloween Horror Nights. I don't know if it's going to be audio only. We might try to do like a live stream. We might try to video. We don't know. We're going to have to figure out our comfort level and what is easy for us to do there, especially since our wives are with us and going to get bored. Yeah. So they're going to be looking at us like, do you have any idea how much it's costing us to be here right now? (laughs) (laughs) We're either going to maybe do a quick talk through about each house and scare zone as we go through it. And then I just release it as a bonus episode or hang out for half an hour after the fact and do the same, but all at once, or maybe we'll do video broken down. I don't know. This is new territory for us, but I'm trying (laughs) to get some YouTube content out there. So I'm going to try to do at least the video. Woot. And that's part of the time crunch of getting this episode out is we're recording this on Sunday and I have five days to edit it before I get on an airplane (laughs) and go on a trip with my family to do Disney World and go to Halloween Horror Nights with Josh and his wife. And then I come back and I have like two or three days before Halloween. So it's doable. I'm just going to have to tank my life to get this done. (laughs) Updates and corrections. I'm going to let Josh go first on this one. (laughs) So uh, the producer that kept getting mentioned with regards to the Terrifier franchise, his name is Phil Falcone. And there's actually three Falcones that worked on at least the first one from when I was double checking this. And it was... Either Linda or Lisa. I don't know. Someone named Falcone that did the <laughs> catering. So if anybody didn't realize I was joking when I said that Damien did the catering. And I think there's another Falcone that was the driver. I don't fucking remember. But yes, Phil Falcone is the, <laughs> the money guy. Awesome. I think he's also a Batman villain. <laughs> I always think of the American version of being human when I hear people talk about like the showrunners, the the director or somebody doing catering and stuff like that because Sam Witwer and, oh God, I can't think of his name, but the guy that played the werewolf, they were both really into that show. And it was one of those shows that like the fans were saving it and they're fighting to keep it alive. And they were going to get canned the season beforehand. And somehow they talked sci-fi into letting them do one more season to wrap the story up. And it had to be shorter. Okay. Which is why it kind of goes really quickly for the last season. (laughs) And they were given very limited budget so they had to call friends that they had to come act for free or nothing do the craft themselves and let all the actors and stuff sleep on their couches damn so that they could make the last season of being human and i think that's so fucking cool that's awesome that they got the freedom to do that (laughs) the only other update or correction that i wanted to add is we were talking about how Art was like a culmination of different slashers and this and that, or influences Damien had from different slashers to put into the movie. And we didn't mention Leatherface. There's a bit of Leatherface in there because he does make a full skin suit of a person to wear it. He does. And he's got the wig on and he's twirling it, the whole cross-dressing scene. Like that was all very Leatherface. And he fucking eats people, or at least their faces. That's right. I remember making these notes and then like later what I was eating, I'm like, oh, and he's a fucking cannibal. <laughs> and I never went back in and added it. So thank you. What we watched. Okay. So I had this whole plan to do a 31 days of horror. 
Okay. I was going to make a list and I had to stick to it. <laughs> and then like the first day rolls around and I winged it and I'm like, I'll do it tomorrow. And then the second day I wing it. And then I sit down to do it the third day. And then I realized that I'm going to be in Orlando with my family for <laughs> like seven days straight, nine days, seven or nine. I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> and there's no way I could do it. So I wanted to try to stick to it pretty strictly up until that point. But there's also a lot of TV shows. So I, I've supplemented my movie count, but my movie count might actually be up there. I've done a pretty good job. But okay. first day of Halloween, I watched Edward Scissorhands with the kids. Nice. And then I saw Nun 2 in theaters. Kind of nice. Did you see it? I fell asleep. I liked it. I actually liked it, but I liked the first one, and I thought it was a better version of the first one. I didn't dislike it, and while we're on it, <laughs> I did fall asleep just because I was tired. Okay. But Ginger said that she thought it was better than the first one, and she wasn't a big fan of the first one. Okay. So that says a lot. Did you see it when it went to streaming or in yeah, theaters? Streaming. Oh, okay. I saw it in theaters. I like how they went like really big in a backstory, fantasy lore, like sacred magic items and stuff like that. Yeah. I thought that was really cool to, to go that route, because we hadn't seen that so much i guess we kind of have with relics that the warrens have to deal with in the conjuring verse but yeah and the the cool thing about that i mean i guess spoilers but that did you see the post credit scene <laughs> no the warrens get a call from the vatican to deal with malik oh so okay nun three is gonna be the warrens okay taking out the nun finally so that'll be pretty cool all right then i watched cobwebs you're gonna have to refresh me on that because i know she watched it i don't remember if i stayed in there or not i think you said you watched it on the last episode okay. but that's the <laughs> The thing living in the wall with the little kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Homelander's with, with, the dad. With the hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. That was the one that I thought was pretty cool till the very end, and then it's like somebody ran out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the next few days, I watched Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills, Halloween Ends. Hey, me too. Go figure, right? And, and normally, I wouldn't put the movie that we're covering as my what we watch, but this is my Halloween list, so I have to. And then I had an absolute blast. By the way, Amazon Prime has a party time feature. So okay. you can go to a movie you want to watch, click the party hat button. There's multiple ways to send your friend the link. They have to have Amazon Prime also. The movie pulls up on both your screens and you both can pause, rewind, and fast forward in perfect sync. There was no delay. Oh, nice. And I have a friend that I play video games with that lives on the other side of the fucking country. <laughs> and we watch Totally Killer together. Oh, that's badass. On Amazon Prime. It's Fucking hilarious. If you love campy 80s slasher movies or horror comedies, especially if you're a fan of, let's say, the babysitter movies and happy death day movies. Like, yeah. I, I feel like it's in that vein, but hard R. It was fucking hilarious and original. Have you seen Back to the Future? Yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't, somebody's like, I haven't seen that one yet. And she's like, this would be a lot easier had you seen that. <laughs> she was the best part. The star, she carried it. She was hilarious. Yes. But the amount of cocaine jokes and the her trying to do elaborate lies to get into somewhere and they're like, fuck it, just come in. And yes. she's like, how do airports work right now? And, and people <laughs> smoking everywhere. It, it like completely like harness 1987 right there. Yes. And for anybody that doesn't know, that's an 80 slasher time travel movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fantastic. It's on Amazon Prime. Just came out like a week ago. <laughs> and then I watched the new VHS movie, which I think was 85. Yes. That's the newest one. Which made me watch 99 and then 94. I'm oh, trying to went, make it through them. You went the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't bad. I mean, I, I could see it. I remember you guys saying one of them sucked. I don't remember if it was 99 or 94. I don't remember. The, fir the very first two are still my favorite. I've only those. seen the first one, and I'm going to keep working backwards just because it's kind of fun. <laughs> so I guess I got viral next. Uh, viral is like three or four. Yeah, I think viral is the next one, though, because okay. I've already watched three. So I think it's viral and then okay. two and then one. And then I saw Exorcist Believer. 
in oh. theaters, which is another David Gordon Green remake. And I really liked it. Really? And I've seen some people shit on on the internet. I don't know what they're expecting. I saw a funny interview with John Carpenter because he's getting interviewed for something else. And he's like, I don't know how you can fuck up an Exorcist sequel. <laughs> but then he said, I haven't seen it. So I don't actually know if he fucked uh, it up. But he did an excellent job with my property. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how he could mess it up. I really liked it. And it made me get into a certain state of mind and go back and rewatch our three movies again. I think that dude gets old horror movies and tropes and cinematography and sounds and everything. And he really fucking knows how to put it back in there and make it feel like its own. Was it as good as the original exorcist? Fuck no. <laughs> Very few movies are though. Right. I mean, I think when that's like the first horror movie to ever get an Oscar or some shit, I don't remember. And people still talk about it to this day. It was an epic film. This Almost could have been standalone. It does tie back very slightly, but it didn't have to lean on it hard. Kind of okay. like how he had to do with the shape and stuff. But it was a good, creepy, demonic possession movie. And there are so many shots in it that you're watching it. And you're like, that is exactly how they shot stuff in the first movie. Okay. But not in a ripoff way. Like, you know, he wanted you to feel very uncomfortable with certain techniques he did. <laughs> and I don't know, like people are shitting on the guy. They're saying, oh, he shouldn't do any more horror movies or remakes. I like him, and I'm going to go into that more in depth in this episode. I just think it's neat that I got to see his new horror movie that's a remake right before covering an episode where he remade horror movies. So, Uh-oh, you may get more out of the house than, uh, than me and Ginger will because we haven't seen it. So that's part of why I wanted to make sure I saw it. I don't really know how you can make a house out of it. <laughs> I've said that a lot of times going to Halloween Horror Nights. I don't mean it in a bad way, though. Like, like I know I've heard you say it in a, in a derogatory way about some things. Like, how are you going to do something about that? It's just like... It's just going to be a house with possessed girls. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's a way to tie it enough directly into the movie, if that makes sense. Well, and if it's like years past, they usually don't put spoilers in the house either because the house opened before the movie. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So the, the only other time they've done that was Jigsaw. Okay. Which was actually good. So we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> and then on Friday the 13th, I had to watch a Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> Just just had to do it. I usually watch the original because that's my favorite one. But I watched the 2009 remake. Only the second time I'd ever seen it. It's a good movie. Yeah. I don't. I know I've seen it, but I don't remember it. Um, it's got Sam from Supernatural in it. That sounds familiar. It was a good movie. I mean, <laughs> Jason only shows up for very quick, brief, brutal kills. He's okay. not like shown constantly. You are seeing the, the teenagers or whatever the fuck, college kids or whatever, more than anything. But all of his kills are brutal. They were all inspired by old movies. They were graphic. It threw boobies everywhere just to make it feel like an old Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> it had a good cast. And, I mean, it had just enough of a backstory in there to tie it into the original. It was, it was a good... It's, technically, it's, a, it's a, a requel. Okay. I mean, it only... Act, that's so weird. It ignores all the sequels and only is a sequel to the original. Just like David Gordon Green did with uh the exorcist in halloween oh damn we watched jason x last night okay and the disc fucked up Ooh. so uh i ordered the shout factory super duper friday the 13th box set for ginger for christmas she Ooh. she knows so you don't okay have to okay that I was say, don't need to uh, edit this so yeah whenever we get around to doing that i've i've got lots of bonus content okay. i have some sort of collector's edition <laughs> blu-ray set that i bought on sale for our podcast the first year and we just haven't done it yet friday the 13th always falls around some time where it's hard for us to do it i know but that was like my first nine or ten days uh i supplemented all of this by watching the first three or four episodes of the new american horror story season okay it's okay so far 
and I watched Mike Flanagan's The Fall of the House of Usher in its entirety, and I liked it. But, you know, I'm a Flanagan nerd, so of course I'm going to like it, and I grew up reading a lot of Poe. So it, it was a lot of fun to me. I liked it a good bit, though. So what did you watch? Okay, Slaughterhouse. I saw that, and I didn't touch it. It's so bad. But, like, if it had just leaned leaned into the camp yeah like this is what this is it'd be hilarious it's got some hilarious moments it's worth a watch okay but just don't expect a good movie out of it no one will save you which you had watched that but you were doing something else i only watched the first 20 minutes and i turned it off and i was like i'm gonna have to watch this later yeah yeah because there's three words spoken in the entire movie okay so it's really not one you can have on while you're doing something else and keep up with it's all right elevator game what yeah it was meh the Nun 2, which we talked about, fucking Gen V. I don't know what that is. Oh, dude, it's a The Boys spinoff. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's really fucking good. Okay. I forget how many episodes. They're doing it episodic for the releases, so like one episode a week. And I think we're four episodes. I don't fucking remember. It's great. Totally Killer, which we talked about. Yeah. VHS 85, which. It was pretty good. The first segment was really good. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ginger watched this movie called Terrified. Uh, it's an. Uh, Argentinian. It's from Argentina. Uh, <laughs> she was like, this is like one of the best horror movies I've seen. And okay. I can't remember when, like, she's like, you have to watch it. I'll watch it again. It's that good. Uh, but I don't know anything about it, but uh, it's on streaming. It's been on streaming for a long time. She was like, I got to watch it before it goes away. Now we've watched a horror movie every night as well. We've went in very familiar waters. Like I said, <laughs> with Jason X hatchet, uh, <laughs> I tried to not go familiar cause there's enough stuff I hadn't seen yet. You know, yeah. the TV shows have kind of tanked me, but I've caught up with most of the day so far. Well, we just watched the first episode of the fall of the house of usher and uh, I liked it, but now I had to come in here and record. So I don't know when we're going to get back to it. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, I meant to put this in the notes. There's a new season of creep show on shutter came out Friday the 13th. I'm going to try to watch that this week. I hear it's horror comedy gold. Nice. That was supposed to be in the news. Sorry. (laughs) And that's all I got. Fantastic. We wrapped up the housekeeping in record time there. Yeah, us. Not like the old days, but pretty good for the past year. (laughs) So I guess it's time to uh, do a little bit of why are we doing this episode and cover some movies. All right. Well, before we dive in, what are you drinking tonight? I'm a, a sucker for... New Belgium's Atomic Pumpkin, the Voodoo Ranger Atomic Pumpkin. Ah. And I drink it as much as I can during the Halloween season because it's the only time you can get it. So I've been drinking that. I am uh, letting my white trash fly with Twisted Tea. That, that's what's going to be on, hopefully, my diet for the next two weeks. <laughs> we'll try to not get too sloshed. This might be a long episode. We're covering three movies, which we haven't done more than two in quite some time. I really didn't want to break a trilogy up, especially when it's a Halloween trilogy for a Halloween episode. So we're covering these films, one, because I'm a diehard Halloween shape fan, (laughs) and two, it's Halloween time. So duh, it was like magic. And I've been wanting to cover these movies so badly ever since 2018 when Josh and his wife and my wife all went and saw it in theaters. And I always talk about wanting to cover the movies, and it it was kind of like bittersweet (laughs) because I didn't want the trilogy to end, but I wanted it to fucking end (laughs) so that I could cover it. And then I had to wait for Halloween roll around again. But here we are. And like I said in the news earlier, David Gordon Green has a book coming out in two days of the making of these three films. And if there's any cool stuff or a substantial amount of cool stuff in there to cover, I will provide updates in some way, bonus episode or something. But it will definitely come out after Halloween. (laughs) But yeah, there's not a whole lot of backstory on this trilogy. (laughs) 
<laughs> that we haven't covered in depth in other Halloween episodes. No shit. So I'm going to start us off with Halloween 2018. Directed by David Gordon Green. No shit. Who directed Pineapple Express, Your Highness, Eastbound and Down, Vice Principles, Mythic Quest, The Righteous Gemstones, and most recently, Exorcist Believer. Yes, the stoner guy making horror movies. <laughs> this was his first foray in horror movies. I would love to find an interview to figure out how he got here and with his writing partner because the movie is written by David Gordon Green who has written a few smaller films before the list I just mentioned, as well as those films, but he's mainly a director, right? And a, a writer of his own films. It is also written by something I never thought I would say, and that is by Danny McBride, <laughs> an actor in most of the films that I just said, right? This is proof that CERN fucks shit up when they turn <laughs> this shit on, man. <laughs> he's funny. I understand he was really big in the production process, the pre-production process, like casting people and stuff. He was all in. There is really good campy comedy moments thrown in. Oh, yeah. And I feel like those, I say I feel like those are probably Danny because Danny helps write almost, because most of the shit that I just said, Danny's a star in. Yeah. That he's directed their friends, right? Yeah. And he's wrote a lot of that stuff. So they write together, obviously. So you do have like new to horror, but very familiar close friends that are used to writing together, right? Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't put himself in the movie somewhere, though. I know, right? And I also saw that on this film, there's a guy credited named Jeff Fradley as one of the writers, and he only had a couple of random additional crew credits in David Gordon Green movies. Okay. So I'm going to assume it is a close friend of David and Danny's that's not huge in Hollywood, and they probably all sat around doing bong rips and drinking and talked about, <laughs> it'd be cool if we did this in a Halloween movie, and he had to get credit where credit was due. <laughs> I mean, that's here. We're going to go with it. So, and because he's only on this first one. Okay. So, I think. I didn't look at yours, so I don't cheat. Oh, he's definitely not on the second one. Cast. I'm not going to do everybody. Good God. There's a lot of people. I really should have done the parents, to be more specific. I didn't even do their names. <laughs> I mean, I know I know the mom's Judy Greer, but, like, she's famous. The dad's famous. Everybody's famous. But <laughs> Lori Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, most famous for the original Halloween, Prom Night, Terror Train, and True Lies. She's recently been in the new Haunted Mansion film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Knives Out. Yep. Fantastic fucking actress. Yeah, yeah. Andy Matichek is Allison. Mostly random appearance in TV shows, okay? They wanted an unknown to play the role like Jamie Lee Curtis in the original film. Ah. And that was a Danny McBride decision, to my understanding, because he had... Emma Roberts and Lucy Hale and stuff calling them to meet with them because I guess they know him from other <laughs> shit. And they're like, I really want to play Laurie Strode's granddaughter in the Halloween movie. And like, no, we want an unknown. Okay. She was great in it. Oh, yeah. And for the first film, I'm only going to do James Jude Courtney as the shape because I'm really particular about my shape actors. <laughs> and he's fucking fantastic. Possibly because he was... I don't want to say trained, but Nick Castle was on set to show him how to walk and tilt his head and shit. Did they do any of... Nick Castle doing the breathing in the first one. I don't know because I didn't have a commentary or anything. Uh, okay. I could see that he's in the movie physically as the shape. Yeah. And I can point that out. But uh, James Jude Courtney, he has done stunt work and then bit TV parts. And like I said, I think he's in excellent shape. And if I would have read my fucking notes, he had Nick Castle there to coach him <laughs> through the process. And I'm sure that helped. <laughs> and like I said, there's Will Patton's in here as Hawkins, right? Like Gone in 60 Seconds. So many other things. Oh, I yeah. actually really like him. Judy Greer is great and everything. She plays the mom and she has like a, a care. She's like a Karen, which is funny because that's her character's name. Yeah. In the movie. 
And she's also like a badass when she needs to be. And I really like how they flip the switch. Yeah. And, and I'll go into that. And the dad, oh my God, I'll put his name on the <laughs> updates. Like, I just, I didn't want to go into everybody, but he was great in this. And, you know, he got peanut butter on his penis for this film. So <laughs> I got peanut butter on my penis. <laughs> to my knowledge, there was no commentary. And I saw an interview saying there was no commentary, but they must have done it after the fact. So I didn't have commentary to watch and I can't wait for the book. So I can have more background information. I only have things that I caught in previous interviews. I don't know why the fuck I didn't think to go to YouTube, but I did give myself a pretty tight window between getting terrifier out and researching this. Okay. Cause we're in a tight window, but I gave them all guys. <laughs> And a few interesting facts. Myers is listed as the shape in the credits, just like the original film. I think these are the only two that have him listed as the shape. <laughs> like I said earlier, the role of Allison was very coveted. Several actresses begging to have it, including Lucy Hale and Emma Roberts, who personally called Danny. And yeah, they got an unknown. Myers is 61 in this. <laughs> I've seen him referred to as a 70-year-old several times online, which fuck? is incorrect because people can't do math. This is the first Halloween film shot digitally. Yo. All others were on film film. Film, film. <laughs> <laughs> the working titles of the film were Halloween Returns and Halloween The Wrath of Michael Myers. Yeah, those suck. Halloween Returns is okay. It's not bad, but the confusion, yeah. of course, then screams like, yeah, we're going to do that too. Yeah. <laughs> and I just call it Halloween 2018. Yep. I mean, that's the title to me. <laughs> and of course, more throughout the film. All right. We open up with a couple of British true crime podcasters who are actually a couple <laughs> at the Smith's Grove Rehabilitation Center, and they are there to interview, air quotes, Michael, who has been in captivity for 40 years. 40 years. Yep, yep. <laughs> they want to do it right now because he's about to get moved to a new facility for some fucking reason on Halloween Day <laughs> or Halloween Eve. I don't remember. It's a bad idea either way. So it's a government ran facility, obviously. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> they meet his new doctor, Dr. Sartain who lets him know that over 50 doctors have observed Michael Myers, almost called him the shape, but he's not going to call him the shape. <laughs> and he guesses that the state has lost interest in studying Michael Myers. And that's why they're shipping him off somewhere else. Right? Like he, they're not getting anywhere. He doesn't talk. <laughs> the doctor takes them outside to what we'll call the wreck area. Right. <laughs> it's the worst playground ever. <laughs> it's a, it's a giant, you know, it looks like they're on a roof, honestly, but it's, it's a concrete floored area. With yellow squares drawn with the, I keep, I almost wrote prisoners several times. <laughs> That's what it fucking looks like. But the patients are chained to giant weights in the center of these things. <laughs> and I guess they're not supposed to leave their square. And Dr. Sartain tells the podcasters not to get too close to the patients or they'll be able to get you. And the doctor lets the man know that one of those guys likes to kill people with their shoelaces, so he immediately bends over and ties his loose shoe. <laughs> he no. doesn't want to get strangled. They approach Michael and try to interview him about that night and, of course, get no response. And he goes on and on, and then I think his name's Aaron, the podcaster, and he says, I borrowed something from my friend at the attorney general's office. I don't know how you would have got that shit, especially as a British podcaster, but anyways, <laughs> he reaches into his satchel because he's British. He's got a big satchel, and he pulls out the shape's mask, and it's like, you know, decrepit and like what happens to latex over time, right? Yeah. And Michael still has his back towards them, but when they pull the mask out, his head slightly turns, right? Almost like he's could sense it, but he's aware of it in some way. And the other inmates start to go ape shit and howl and freak out like they're sensing pure evil here. Pure dag nasty evil. 
that would be a lame way for Loomis to say it, but you got the same spirit. <laughs> we then have the opening pumpkin, just like the original film, and which they try to do in most of the films with the opening credits and Carpenter's banger updated version of the song. It's so fucking epic. And the <laughs> pumpkin is old and decayed, but seems to get revitalized as the credits roll until we hit the title card and it is a fully renewed version of the pumpkin with the same I call it the butcher knife cut nose yeah. that I've perfected because that's what my jack-o'-lantern looks like every year. <laughs> we get a Haddonfield, Illinois title card and we cut to our podcasters as they drop to Lori Strode's house to try and interview her and they pull up and realize that it's more of a compound with tall <laughs> razor wire and security gates and cameras than a house. And they pull up to the gate and hit the buzzer and before Lori responds, the girl pulls out an envelope full of cash and says we might need this and old British boy here says they are journalists and journalists do not pay for interviews. <laughs> Lori answers they tell him what they're there for she ignores them and you can tell she's probably about to hang up and the woman interrupts the guy to say how does $3,000 sound and she immediately buzzes them in now we're not that's not beneath us so Damien um, what do you think 40 bucks 50 bucks 50 bucks for an interview we'll do it <laughs> That's about all we got. <laughs> That's all that's in the kitty. If somehow we can get locally, we'll buy you beer too. Whoa, whoa. We don't have much to eat and drink. <laughs> I didn't say all this beer. I said buy beer. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we see a much older Lori rocking pretty much the original haircut, but like longer and like disheveled. <laughs> wiry. Yeah, wiry is a good word. And she's very bitter at all of life. <laughs> oh, and she has a shit ton of locks on her doors, right? Yes. She sits down with the podcasters to see what the fuck they want. That's really the look you get. What the fuck do you want? They say that they want to shed new light on the case like they have done in the past to other cases. And Lori says there is no new shit to learn. There is no new light. And the guy, Aaron, I actually wrote it down apparently, mocks Lori and calls Michael the boogeyman. You don't believe in the boogeyman? I believe in Michael Myers, a deranged serial killer, but the boogeyman... What a dick. They say they want to know her story, and we hear about her failed marriages, her estranged daughter, and they ask her about the day the state took her daughter away from her, and she gets really pissed and walks to the door to kick them out. And then they say they saw Michael earlier and showed him the mask, and he had no response. And they want her to go see Michael to see if I have a response. And she opens the door and tells him to go the fuck outside and holds her hand out for her money. This all makes sense. Yeah. We then cut to, I'll just call it Allison's house. I didn't know what to call it. It's not Strode house. They don't have last names in the movie that I could tell. <laughs> Definitely not Strode though, but we get a feel of Allison's life. We get to see the mom, the dad, the dad, Ray is pretty fucking funny, cracking jokes and setting rat traps. <laughs> the mom, Karen is pretty serious and stern at all times. And the daughter, Allison is acting a lot like the original Lori Strode from the first film. Top of her class. Top of her class. Super serious. They talk about how she was just accepted into the honor society and tonight she's going to get her ribbon or award or whatever and how they're excited to meet her boyfriend, Cameron, who we find out is Lonnie's kid from the first film. Yup. You know, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. And I think Lonnie's also the bully that picks on Tommy at school and smashes his pumpkin. I'm pretty sure. I think so. But yeah, apparently Ray, Allison's dad, knew Lonnie and... uh yeah, he's got peanut butter in his penis. Because <laughs> like accidentally sets off a trap. He always has like jokes in the background. He's kind of funny. Yeah, he's a sweet guy. I'm glad he's going to be around for the trilogy. Oh, yeah, yeah. The main <laughs> point here is that Allison wants to know if her mom invited her grandmother, Lori, 
which mom says she did, but she can't make it because she's agoraphobic. We then see Allison walking to school with a couple of her friends, Dave and Vicky, who are also a couple. And she says that her mom's full of shit. And she knows that she's full of shit and lied to her because she called her grandmother herself. And Karen never called mom. Yeah, there you go. Like you said, Karen's being a Karen already. Yep, yep. She needs to speak to your manager. <laughs> we find out on their way to school that her grandmother basically only talks about Michael. And... Her friends think that maybe her family should just skip Halloween and just go straight to Christmas every year. That's fucking blasphemy. Much like Lowe's and Home Depot. <laughs> That's fucking blasphemy too, those <laughs> fuckers. They also address the sibling situation. That's just a bit that some people made up to make him feel better, I think. <laughs> 18 minutes into the movie. Fuck all y'all. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love how they addressed it and addressed it in a joke. And the boyfriend, Dave, who looks like a young Jack White. <laughs> He should play him in the, you know, the biopic, in the biopic. Uh, anyways, Dave points out that Michael only killed three people. That was a massacre. <laughs> right. And, and I really like, that was like another subtle joke, I feel like. Right. Because yeah. we have so many like terrified people and extra precautions against him. And he's literally a dude that killed three people 40 years ago. <laughs> in this timeline. Yes. I don't feel like counting the timelines right now. It's not going to happen on this episode. Yeah. No, this is the new one. That's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Until the new new one comes out. Yep. We see Allison at school and we meet her boyfriend, Cameron, who is excited about their couple themed costume for the Halloween dance. And we meet their goofy friend, Oscar. We cut to, I guess, literature class. And it's a pretty much identical scene to the original scene in the original film with Lori chewing on the pen and everything. And she feels like somebody's watching her and she looks towards the window. And then we get to see her perspective and you expect to see her like hallucinating the shape or something. And it's her grandmother standing on the sidewalk, basically where Michael stood. Even creepier. Even creepier, but it's kind of cool. Allison apparently gets a hall pass or something, goes outside <laughs> to her grandmother, who came to give her an envelope full of cash as like a present for getting on the honor society. And she says to use it for whatever she wants. And Allison's like, good, I'll use it for college. Then Lori says, fuck college, go to Mexico and party. Your mom will get over it, right? <laughs> Spit it on hookers and blow. <laughs> Fun grandmother, but not the direction you would have thought Lori would have went, right? I know, right? <laughs> murder changes you, or witnessing murder. <laughs> Nearly being murdered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Allison talks to her grandmother about getting over old shit and that she needs to be a part of the family again. And Lori says that if the way she treated and trained her daughter prepares her for the horrors of the world, then she did the right thing. And Allison says, there are no horrors of the world. Get over it and leaves, right? Because she wants her grandma in her life, but she wants her to not be crazy talking about Mike all the time. Yep. And she's all bright-eyed and underwear. <laughs> yep, yep. For now. Much like her grandmother was. <laughs> the next bit is a scene that is intercut with scenes of Lori, the podcasters, and Michael at the asylum. We see Lori shooting some mannequins on her property and cleaning her guns. Then we see her drinking some whiskey and crying. While we also see patients getting loaded into a bus, including Michael. And the podcasters are listening to court tapes of the trial with Dr. Loomis being voiced by, I'll put his name in the next shit, but it's the guy that does like Yoda's voice and shit in all the star Wars cartoons, okay. not Frank Oz from the movies. He's a, he's an animated voice actor. He's actually a famous one. And I didn't write his name down because I knew I would know it on the spot. And I don't that guy, but yeah, Yoda is Dr. Loomis. And of course he says that Michael is pure evil and needs to be executed and burned. It needs to die. It needs to die. Mm, evil he is. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Unscripted are the best jokes. <laughs> and Michael and the. 
And we also get Michael and the doctor's perspective of the prison transfer as Lori is hammering some booze from her truck, watching this in person and crying as she starts to have a nervous breakdown as the bus drives away. And we get this really neat scene of her screaming as we hear the siren blaring, opening the gate. And then we see the shape of a person like walking to her window, really out of focus in the background and it fades away. Right. Yeah. And I don't think there was a person approaching her truck there. I think that was supposed to be like her fears and her agoraphobia. And Michael's now free again. And yeah. It's like he was behind her. No, totally. And I really like the way they did this. Cause if they just did, Oh, she's just a crazy lady on her compound waiting for the day that she knows is going to come. But then not having the alcoholism with it would have been wrong. Right. Like, so she's she's trying to focus on what could be, but it's also destroying her. And they're showing that very quickly and clearly. And it, and it yeah. makes it more rational to me instead of just being, I'm fucking Granny Rambo. That would have been stupid. Right, right. Where do you come up with this shit? <laughs> Lots of years of too many drugs. Jeez. She is Granny Rambo, though. <laughs> she is. <laughs> but we got to Alice and her family eating dinner after the Honor Society Awards at some restaurant. And her parents meet the boyfriend. We also find out that they are going as Bonnie and Clyde to the costume party or the ball or whatever with a twist, but Allison stops Cameron from saying the twist and then gets angry for a second and asks Karen about her grandmother because she knows. And Karen starts to spit out some bullshit about why she couldn't make it. And then lo and behold, Lori walks in to the restaurant up to the table. She's crying, shaking hammering other people's booze. I think it's Ray's. He's like, that's mine, Lori. <laughs> yes. And uh, she says that she'll sit because they're like, sit down or leave. And as soon as she sits down, she interrupts him and says, I saw them loading him up. And she saw the shape and almost killed him right there. Right. <laughs> so she almost shot him while she was drinking, I guess. She's losing her shit and Karen gets real pissed. And Lori leaves and her mom starts to talk shit about Lori. Or, or Allison's mom, Karen, starts to talk shit about Lori. And Allison goes outside to check on her grandmother and give her a shoulder to cry on. We see her leave as Karen comes out to check on her daughter and says, I'm glad you got to see that. Karen says that she was trained to run, fight, hide, and shoot her whole childhood and that she was afraid of the basement. That's a foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. And we find out that Karen was 12 when child services took her away. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> She still got it, though. <laughs> we cut to a dad and an early teen son riding in a pickup truck in a pretty funny scene at night on their way to a hunting trip. And the kid says that going hunting with dad is cool and all, but he's missing his dance class tonight. And his dad gives him shit for wanting to go to dance class instead of a father-son hunting trip. And the whole back and forth is great, right? And if you pay attention to the song on the radio, they're listening to the I Wish I Had You All Alone song. Is that a Coupe DeVille song? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I don't know who sings it, but in the movie when Lori drops the keys off at the Myers house and starts walking down the sidewalk, oh, yeah. she starts singing the song and he steps in a frame. Yes, so it's not a Coupe de Ville song. <laughs> David Gordon Green has lots of little splashes of that kind of shit in here. There is a Coupe de Ville song in the second film. That's why that's on my brain. Okay, okay. Dance class. <laughs> It's good stuff. He's like, I like hunting, but I like dance too, Dad. It's like, boy, what if what if some mass murder of three people from 40 years ago shows up? <laughs> he should have said it. 
He should have said a lot of things of what's about to go down in the scene. But while they're arguing, they run up on a man in the middle of the street and have to lock up the truck. What the hell happened to you, Oz? They notice that there are multiple people in the street wandering around and they're all in, you know, patient gowns and a crash school bus. Obviously, these are the asylum patients and that's their bus, right? Exactly. The dad does the wise thing here and leaves the son alone in the car while he checks it out. He at least tells the son to call the police while he's looking, right? Yeah, yeah. The police tell the son that they're on their way, but they ask the kid to go check on things, which what the fuck, right? This is Haddonfield, people. Only three people 40 years ago, though. Yeah, yeah. That's why nobody remembers shit. <laughs> right, right. He grabs his hunting rifle from the truck, which was smart, and searches the area. Because I said, I don't remember if I said teens or preteens, but he's pretty young. Yeah. And he searches the area and he finds a cop all fucked up on the ground. And he says, I'm going to go get my dad. And the cop just starts yelling, run, like he wants him to get the fuck out of there. The kid walks around calling for his dad and he goes into the bus to check it out. And Dr. Sartain pops out with his hands up saying, don't shoot as the kid quickly shoots him in the shoulder. <laughs> and the kid says, oh, fuck. And he pieces out and runs off uh, to the car and he gets in the driver's seat and he's ready to drive away. Right. But the shape is in the back seat and grabs the kid by his neck, snapping it like a twig. Seeing this opening night in theaters, that's when I knew that they weren't going to hold back on kills because we just saw the shape kill a child. Yep. We are now introduced to Officer Hawkins, who is masterfully played by Will Patton as he's playing pinball at the local gas station and he gets a call about the crashed bus, I'm assuming from the boy. And he shows up and calls for backup because he finds a different officer down on the ground and discovers both the dad with a mangled fucking neck and jaw and an injured Dr. Sartain on the ground. I've been shot. Dr. Sartain's only question is, did he escape? We then cut to Halloween Day with a title card saying the dates where the podcasters are going to check out Judith Meyer's grave and record a bit from the grave. We get a bit of the kill scene from the original film as they're talking about it. And the funny thing about the scene here is the cemetery keeper bitching about how her cousin works in a cemetery like a couple states over and she has actual celebrities and all she's got is this shit in her graveyard. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure she's the lady with the drone in the second movie. Yes. Okay. Same actress. We cut to the sheriff and Officer Hawkins at the station talking about catching a couple of the loonies out chasing butterflies. And Hawkins lets the sheriff know <laughs> that he checked the list of the bus and that Myers was on that bus and he's missing. And he reminds him that today is the 40th anniversary of his killing spree. And the sheriff says, what are we going to do? Cancel Halloween? Well, that motherfucker certainly ain't chasing butterflies. <laughs> exactly. We cut to the podcasters at a gas station, packing their trunk and gassing up to hit the road. Dana heads to the loo, <laughs> which the, the gas station attendant's like, what the fuck? While Aaron finishes gassing up, he starts to admire the local townsfolk. And while he's staring at them, we hear the sound of a metal pipe or something like that clang and then something hard hit the ground in the distance. He doesn't notice it, though. Meanwhile, at the shitter, Dana is trying to use the toilet as we see a man bust in and he goes for the stall and she says it's occupied, having no clue who it is. Really makes me think of the Occupado from the Rob Zombie version. <laughs> Just as nasty of a bathroom, too. Oh, it's bad. It's got hepatitis and shit. This is Art's bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron goes into the shop and he finds the shopkeeper that we just saw talking to Dana face down on the desk. He doesn't really check him. But he goes past him into the garage area where he sees a mechanic laying on the ground in a pool of blood in his undies. So his mechanic uniform is missing. Dun, dun, dun. All he needs now is his mask. Oh, yeah. Back at the shitter, a hand comes over the stall and drops a handful of bloody teeth on the ground, which I thought was 
nice and creepy. Yeah, this 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 right here, that right there, when we were seeing it in theaters, was when it finally had my attention. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, Dana freaks out naturally and tries to crawl between the stalls on the ground as Aaron comes in and realizes it's Michael and tries to beat his ass with a tire iron. At least he came prepared. <laughs> the shape viciously slams him into the walls, leaving him in a bloody piled mess on the ground and strangles Dana to death. We then see him at the boot, since they're British, while the fuck not, of the car. There you go. Pulling out his mask and putting it on, and he has now killed eight people that we know of in the film. <laughs> I kept a body count in this one. Nice. We then cut to Lori locking up all of her doors, kidding up, and revealing her secret basement that is hidden under the kitchen island that she has a remote that makes it like move over automatically, right? We don't get to see down to the basement yet. <laughs> We then see Karen come home and start to call for Ray and Allison, and it's a little too quiet in the house, and she starts to actively search, like she knows something's up, and we get a jump scare of Ray coming in the back door, and she tells him to be quiet. She knows someone's upstairs, and she tries to lean around towards the staircase, and Lori pops up with her hands down and says, you're dead, and then calls them both dumb, right? Because <laughs> they're not prepared for anything. Lori lets them know that the bus crashed last night and that they need to go hunt Michael down and they think she's batshit crazy and kick her out of the house, refusing the gun that she offers them. Yep. And anyone who hasn't seen like any of these movies, she just seems like she's crazy. I, I get that point of view of how she acts. Right. Like, I'm saying she does good. It's not just I'm right, you're wrong. It, it's, it actually feels like crazy lady too. It was, yeah, yeah. it was done very well. She comes off as manic, but it should be all over the news that Michael Myers is kid. Maybe they haven't released that bit. They just said like a bus crashed or something. Yeah, right? it's probably not 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 in the know just yet. Because what are they going to do? Cancel Halloween? Yeah, right. I mean, it's Halloween. Everyone deserves one good scare. <laughs> we then see Lori show up at the gas station crime scene as Hawkins notices her. And the sheriff shows Hawkins a patient gown that matches what Myers was wearing earlier found near the mechanic victim. Hawkins says that he was there the night that they caught Michael and they have one order of business and that's to hunt this thing down. And there's a reason why you're supposed to be scared of this thing. And then he stares Lori down. So you can tell he knows it, right? Yup. We cut to Halloween night as we see kids trick or treating and a couple of them run into Myers, just like in the first film, I think it's Lonnie, the bully kids run into him and he cuts his head sideways down a driveway really sharp and the theme kicks in. And this scene is fucking epic, awesome, <laughs> and it's the winner that I heard discussed was in the film that Danny McBride was really proud of. Not okay. that he was the director, but I saw him like just beaming over it, right? And this was the scene I was most excited to see in the theaters. <laughs> we see Myers walk up the driveway, grab a hammer out of a shed, walk into a house, and beat a woman to death with it, and take her kitchen knife, which is reminiscent of Halloween 2 when he's on the run, right? Yep. And he kills the woman and takes her kitchen knife out of the ham. He hears a baby cry and he goes to check it out. And that's when I was like, no shape can't kill a baby. I can't, I'm not dressing him as him anymore if he kills a baby. And he just looks at the baby. And according to Jamie Lee Curtis, that's her doing the baby cry. Oh, okay. So why? I don't fucking know. But he then goes out into the street. He sees a couple dressed as a doctor and a nurse. Remember them for later. Yep. And they're leaving their house and... He goes into another house then because that one's vacant now. In this house, a woman receives a phone call from her mom hearing what happened and what's all over the news. And she goes to lock her front door as a stalking Myers comes in the back door behind her, sneaks up behind her, slits her throat. He's now got him a score of 10. <laughs> we cut to the school dance and 
Cameron is pissed because Allison keeps taking phone calls during the dance. And I don't know if I put it in my notes, but they're cross-dressed Bonnie and Clyde. That was the twist. Yeah, yeah. That was the big secret that we couldn't let mom, you know, could know because she's a Karen. But yeah, Cameron's being a douchebag O'Neill. <laughs> and we find out in a bit it's because he's hammering booze out of his flask, right? Yo. He is Lonnie's fucking kid after all. Yeah, touche. I will say I really like Lonnie in this trilogy. <laughs> like they did a good job. But the text was from her friend Vicky saying that she should come over after the party and they could, you know, Alakazam later. <laughs> She's babysitting this hilarious kid named Julian and... He says that he knows what she's talking about. They're talking about smoking weed and he starts talking shit. And he's like, if she was a good sitter, they'd be doing something fun. And he wouldn't be sitting there bored, cutting his nasty ass toenails. And they're watching. I think it was, they live. I don't remember, but when you were his age, did you cut your own fucking toenails? I don't know. I, I don't remember cut my own toenails until adulthood. I did it when I was younger, but I'm 41 now. I don't remember how young. Well, see, and I'm not saying like, shouldn't his mom do that? I don't remember that either. It's just like, what are those things that I'm like, did he really just say that? <laughs> like, so just sitting here cutting my nasty ass toenails. Like, why are you so into hygiene at this age? Shouldn't you want some Alakazam or something? I think that's the joke. He's that bored. <laughs> Fuck. I've never been that bored. <laughs> Danny McBride is involved in this process. Danny McBride has been that bored. <laughs> Anyways, he's fucking hilarious. I loved cutting to him after the vicious scene and you know they always say levity after graphic horror and we got it <laughs> yeah vicky puts julian down for bed and we can see that he's afraid of his closet then we cut back to the dance and cameron's hammering a flask like i said earlier and oscar is being an idiot to everybody we cut to allison who appears to be having a good time until she sees cameron making out with another chick on the dance floor who he says was just whispering in his ear and he doesn't know what the fuck she thinks she saw uh-huh Shit argument, bro. <laughs> they start to argue, and she gets another phone call and goes to check her phone, and we can see it's from Lori very quickly before Cameron grabs the phone and chunks it into a bowl of, like, tapioca pudding, I think, Something. killing the phone. The phone's now gone. We've gotten rid of it because it had to go. Yeah, she needs to kick him in the balls right then because this is, like, wife-beater rapist, like, moves. Like, in all right. seriousness, like, I hate this guy as right. soon as it makes it to this point of the movie. Which is funny because they redeem him a little bit and kills. Only a little bit. <laughs> I got something to say about that too. <laughs> I have a lot to say about that going into the third film too. <laughs> but anyways, she decides to head home on foot alone, but Oscar spies the whole situation and he thinks he can seize the day and goes with her. We see that Lori's patrolling the streets in her truck and that Vicky is cleaning a giant kitchen knife at Julian's house. It's a much larger knife than Michael had before. He's got to upgrade at some point. It's a quest, right? Like, yes. You get new gear on the way. And she goes to the back door and it's shot very much like the scene of Annie in the laundry room in the original movie. Yeah. Very much feels like it. And she goes outside and we're still watching through the window from inside. And you got the white sheets hanging like the first film. And you're expecting, you know, the shape to get her at this point, right? And she's startled, but it's not by the shape. It's by Dave. And he shows her that he got a tattoo of that date. I don't know if we see that that's what it is, but it's the date because he always wants to remember this night. And she lets him know that he's so getting dry fucked tonight. <laughs> that shit made me feel 14. I know. I was going to say, <laughs> oh, the young teenage years when that was cool. <laughs> Fuck the blue balls. I was like to say the blue balls was not cool. Because you didn't know you heard it. You're like, dry fuck. That sounds neat. And then you do it and you're like, oh. Now I got friction burns. My balls hurt. Yes. I can't even pee anymore. Oh. 
to any of our female listeners, you've now gotten into the mind of a 13 or 14 year old boy. But we cut to Dave and Vicky making out on the couch and she hears something upstairs and tells Dave to go check on Julian. Dave goes and he's jump scared by Julian saying that there's a man with a creepy face that was staring at him in his closet doorway. And Vicky says she's going to go check it out. And Julian's like, hell no, send Dave first. Yup. <laughs> so funny. And Dave's face is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> She goes up into his room anyways and acts like she's talking to a strange man because Julian's in the hallway and he can't see and acts like she's getting attacked and scares the shit out of Julian. And then she just lets him know uh, she's kidding and tries to get him back in bed. That's not how you get a kid back in bed. Like they're no. not going to stay in bed at that point. <laughs> they're going to sleep in your bed at that point. Right, right. Dave goes out back to Alakazam and he's hit by the sheets blowing in the wind which when he moves them away he notices a harley in the open garage in the back and he goes to sit on it which he then drops it after he cranks it it's kind of funny because he looks like a stoned jack white <laughs> but why who the fuck would leave their motorcycle with the keys in it with the garage i just the neighborhoods i lived in <laughs> you don't do that <laughs> where did michael get a hammer earlier from an open garage more of a shed, but I'm thinking Michael was probably checking places. Okay. So Michael might have went in the garage and opened it. Yeah, but who left the fucking key in the bike? That's my problem. I mean, it looks like we're in the burbs, man. I bet my neighbor keeps his key in his bike. Yeah, but you're living in a in better neighborhood than near here. <laughs> yeah, but so so do they, it looks like. <laughs> you got to think Julian's neighbors are a doctor and a nurse. Yeah, I've met some fucked up doctors and nurses. But they got money. They don't live in shitholes, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so they could just buy another one. I see what you're, they're rich. That's all we got to say. They're oh fucking rich. Gosh. Anyways. You know the things they get hung up on, sir. <laughs> we see Vicky tucking Julian in, and he asks her to close the closet door that she just lied about checking. Clearly, we're about to see. Yep. Because she goes to close it, and it hits something blocking it from closing and she tries again opens it and sees the shape standing there which was an awesome shot and she gets julian out of there and tries to run herself and her socks slip on the hardwood floor making her fall and she gets stabbed several times in the process dave hears his moment to shine grabs the large kitchen knife and runs up the stairs <laughs> too little too late sir at least he was brave enough to go yeah, yeah. He was high he couldn't think it through ah, yeah, yeah 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 alakazam <laughs> We see Hawkins patrolling near some kids in the silver shamrock mask from the third Halloween film, and he gets a call to check out Julian's house. He gets there, and he finds Vicky dead under like a ghost sheet covered in blood, and we see Lori pull up outside and yell for other kids to get inside, and she gets her gun out, and she looks up, and she sees the shape in a window staring at her, and he does the head tilt, and she shoots him. Would have been a headshot, except for she saw a mirror through the window, and that was his reflection. This was Nick Castle as the shape. Oh, nice. So I'm glad they got him in there. Hawkins hears the gunshot, and he turns and sees the shape heading down the stairs, and he shoots and misses, which Hawkins has... The accuracy of a stormtrooper, both young and old. <laughs> yeah. He misses Myers. He finds Dave on the way out, hung to a wall, I think, with a knife. I think so. And uh, he checks the body, runs out the back door, runs into Lori, who I think knocks the fuck out of his nose with the grip of her pistol, right? And the sheriff shows up with a now awake Dr. Sartain, and he wants to help them find Michael. Yeah, but he does. <laughs> The doctor's introduced to Lori, and he seems to be bewildered by her, and she calls him the new Loomis, which I thought was a nice, funny little joke in there. Yes. And we can see that her and Hawkins, or Frank as she calls him, are very close. 
She tells them all that she used to pray every night that Michael would escape. And Hawkins says, that's a dumb thing to do. And she said, so I could kill him. Right. (laughs) We cut to Oscar walking Allison home and being very friendly with her. And she seems to not mind the company in this situation. They hop a tall fence into some dude's backyard. He says them by name and they get to the other gate and he tries to kiss her. And she gets mad, basically tells him to fuck off and hops the fence, leaving him behind because he's a bigger lad that is drunk and not going (laughs) to be able to scale that fence very easily. See, now him, he's just drunk and creepy. I don't think he like had full blown a mission. He was just like you said earlier, like "Mm, maybe it's now my chance. And he even says it. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I saw you were mad. I thought I could. Look, I'm admitting it. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, all those girls in their hot costumes were dancing on me. I was in there feeding me guacamole and it was sexy. (laughs) He's pretty funny. Yeah, I like him. Good thing he's going to be around, too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I do like a nice touch when you see him walking down the street before they hop the fence. The road perpendicular to him, Hawkins' truck drives by. Yes. So, like, he's patrolling right by all of this. Yep. And in that truck, we can see that Dr. Sartain is giving Hawkins all of his theories about Michael and tells Hawkins that he is property of the state and not to be harmed. (laughs) Hawkins calls bullshit on this. I really like the way Will Patton played this cop. Yes. Lori shows up at Allison's house with a swarm of cops and they know shit's real now. She's not just crazy and they can't get a hold of Allison due to her phone swimming in a pool of tapioca pudding. Alakazam. No, that's just weed. (laughs) Meanwhile, Oscar is sitting on the ground in the backyard feeling sorry for himself and he hears someone behind him as the motion lights turn on and he apologizes to the owner of the house saying he was just leaving and there's just this pretty girl and he messed <laughs> up and we then get this neat game of the motion lights going in and out as michael appears in a couple spots and he slashes oscar as he tries to climb the gate but just can't like i said earlier <laughs> and he takes a knife into the back dying allison hears all this and she's brave she's the final girl obviously so she runs back finding him impaled on the gate And we get some really sick music here. Yes. I actually left it out. My special effects section on my cast and crew was a composer section on this episode. I'll say it now because the entire score, soundtrack, everything was done by John Carpenter, his son, Cody Carpenter, and his godson, Daniel Davies. Nice. And it is, there's been a lot of versions of this theme. It's in my top two or three. (laughs) I like the original, obviously, and... Trent Reznor and, oh my God, his buddy, they score movies together. It's not Atticus Finch, but it's something like that. It's something weird. But yeah, yeah, they did a really badass version of it. And then this is, this might actually be my favorite, but it's because it's John, <laughs> right? And he goes on tour with his something, Godson, and they play scenes of the movies and they play live, guitar, bass, drums, piano, swapping shit out. It's great. Anyways, I really like music and film and it's, it's really strong in this one. <laughs> And if I didn't say it, she sees the shape walking off in the distance and she freaks the fuck out because she is on the other side of the fence. So she has a chance to get away and starts running off to find a house to go in, much like Lori trying to get help at the end of the original Halloween, beating on the doors, yelling. However, someone actually answers the door for her in this film. (laughs) By the way, body count of 13 now. Nice. We see her parents arguing with the police at the Strode compound about them not finding Allison and Lori interrupts them to let them know that the police found Allison, right? Because they're like, you're not doing your job. This isn't this, that. And she's like, Karen, Karen. And they're just like, shut the fuck up. They found it. It's so funny. <laughs> we then cut to Hawkins and Sartain as they show up to the house that Allison was at, right? And she's like drinking water. And, you know, she's got the tragedy blanket that they give you. <laughs> the tragedy blanket. On the steps. 
Back at the compound, Ray is surprised to see the hidden room under the island as his wife opens it up and walks down. She says that this was her childhood, and Lori shows them her, I'm going to point this out because some people got mad, bricked in closet with a steel shuttered door. Okay. Okay. And it's full of a giant arsenal and she hands out weapons to everybody back in Hawkins truck. We see them spot the shape on the sidewalk and Hawkins does one of my favorite things I've ever seen a cop do in a slasher movie. He just guns it straight fucking for Myers <laughs> in his truck. He's not getting out. You know, he's not freeze. He's just going to fucking hit him with the truck. And he hits the motherfucker, knocks him over hard. Gets out with his gun and Sartain tries to stop him and he kneels over the body and Hawkins does one of my other favorite things and says, get in my way so I can blow this motherfucker's brains out, right? <laughs> and Sartain pulls out a pen with a hidden blade in it and stabs Hawkins, dropping him on the ground. All that and it was just Ben Tramer. Not this time. Not in this timeline. <laughs> Goddamn timelines. But Allison panics like it's so weird saying that this isn't even a time travel movie. <laughs> Allison understandably panics in the back seat uh because she's locked in, right? It's got like the metal cage and the doors that don't open from the inside. Yeah, for those of you who haven't been in the back of a squad car, that's how that shit works. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's made out of this really slick plastic, so you'll slide around all over the fucking place. It's mainly to clean up puke and piss easier, but yes, but when they changed them to where there was actually those little cubbies behind your back for your arms to go into while you're handcuffed made it much more comfortable to be in the seat. Anyways, Allison's panicking in the backseat because she's locked in. And then we see the shape stand up and know it's Sartain with the mask on. And he looks ridiculous with his arm in the sling. This shit's stupid. I don't know how he loads the shape into the back of the car with one arm, but he does it <laughs> quickly. I might add <laughs> with Allison. So Allison has an unconscious shape without his mask on sitting next to her. And he gets in. And he's like so shocked. And he's like, can you believe people want to kill this man? <laughs> he must be observed. He's such a fine specimen. This guy, to me, feels like this was David Gordon Green's homage to Curse of Michael Myers. I mean, I'm being <laughs> okay, dead serious. Okay. Having like a guy that was in on it and stuff yeah. without going whole Curse of Thorns. Route. Yeah. Because there are lots of things from lots of John Carpenter movies in all of these films. Oh, yeah. And he really does pay tribute to just about every Halloween movie. Prob I'm, I guarantee he did all of them. Oh, yeah. So fucking ADHD. Just kicked in. It's not <laughs> okay. in my notes. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I am 99.99999 repeating, of course, certain that Allison's teacher in her classroom was PJ Souls. I know she's in the first movie, but briefly. <laughs> Sorry about that. I know that came out of nowhere, but yeah, it's got to be said. Totally. Anyways, we cut to... Two goofy-ass cops in a squad car together. Love these guys, too. They're as opposite of each other as you can get, personality-wise. One of them got a Vietnamese sandwich. I think it was a banh mi uh, from <laughs> this Vietnamese shop where he likes to get food, and his partner's not willing to try other things. He's like, I know you only eat PB&J, so I got them to make you your very own PB&J. And he's like, it's basically on a baguette. And uh, he's like, this sounds gross. Fuck that. I got my own PB&J and uh, this leftover brownie. And he's berated for having a five-year-old's lunch. Because <laughs> he he's like, that's, that's kind of lunch a five-year-old would make himself. We see Allison in the Hawkins car trick Sartain into thinking Michael said something to her. And he locks it up in view of the other cops who radioed the burnout, as they're referring to it, to see what he's doing. And Sartain is then kicked 
through, uh, like Michael kicks the shit out of the, the metal cage. Yeah. Breaks it, slams it into Sartain's back, slamming him into the steering wheel, right? Allison, uh, takes this chance to dive into the front seat and out the passenger door. Uh, it's her time to escape. And then the shape gets out and bashes Sartain's skull on the ground and then hides as the cops arrive and stalk them, right? So he had no sympathy for the guy that let him loose. No. Because clearly Sartain let him loose, right? Had to have. Didn't teach him how to had drive. Had to have. <laughs> Actually, no, no, no. He's about to drive a squad car, isn't he? He is. Yep. They don't mention that joke. When did he learn how to drive? <laughs> we see Allison running for it through uh, the woods towards her grandmother's compound as Lori and Karen are prepping for war. Ray gets bored of playing with his yo-yo and he goes outside to check on the squad car that just pulled up driven by what we're about to see is Michael Byers to see if his daughter is in there, right? Because he knows the cops went to go get her. He discovers a dead cop with his throat slit in the driver's seat with... Sartain's knife sticking out of his forehead while the other cop's hollowed out decapitated head is sitting in his lap with a flashlight stuck to the neck hole, turning it to a jack-o'-lantern. We can see that the shape still likes to stage bodies. Yep. And that was a very nice touch. Yeah. People got mad and kills when he stages the bodies. And I'm like, he's always staged the bodies. Yes. Anyways, Ray steps back from the squad car into the shape who groats him down, killing him. Now a body count of 17. <laughs> We dive into the third act as Lori and Karen see what happened and Lori preps her shotgun while sending Karen into the basement. The shape punches through the two glass panes on the front of her super barricaded door and grabs Lori's head and then starts to choke her until she raises her shotgun up as he's swatting for her and blows off a few of his fingers on his left hand. My digits. <laughs> Karen is prepped with a rifle looking at like the hidden door from inside the basement as it slowly opens and she's greeted by her armed mother. And she tells her that she's sorry that this is happening to her, and she knows that she always thought of this basement as a cage. No, this is our panic room. Yep, yep. It's coming up in a minute, though. <laughs> at this moment, they hear the shape break through the door and walking across the floor, and Lori starts to shoot at him instead of just hiding like a smart person. Yeah. She then goes out of her secret door, also like a smart person. <laughs> and... Actually, I made fun of her, but what she does next is pretty pretty smart and badass. She starts clearing the rooms in the house, and we get a few teases that Michael might be hiding somewhere, but he's not. And she has these automatic like shutter gates that she can lock down as she clears a room, so that Whoa. way nobody can go in or out, and she knows she's checked it. And I'm going to take away my remark from earlier. She's pretty good at this. She's been prepping a long time. She finds a trail of blood going up the stairs and follows it up, seeing that the balcony door is open for this room and goes to check it out. There's a bunch of mannequins in this room. I guess it's the one she stores for shooting. And he steps up from behind one of the mannequins. It's by the closet, I want to point out, and goes after her. They struggle for a bit. He stabs her in the leg and throws her over the ledge, and she's gone when he looks down. I want to point out they swapped roles. Yeah. She was hunting him. He didn't hide in the closet, but he hid near the closet. He did the trick and opened the balcony door, just like she did. She went for the bait. He attacked her, knocked her over the edge. And she wasn't there when he looked down. She got up and was gone. Yup. Really cool touch there. Allison arrives at the house and Karen grabs her and takes her into the basement, sealing the hidden door once again. She tries to calm her daughter down, who says, what are we doing? We're locked in a cage. <laughs> the shape wanders into the kitchen and he rednecks the island off of its hinges to get down to the stairs. 
And Karen starts calling out crying for her mom, saying, Mom, come save us. I'm scared. I can't do this. I can't do this while she's holding the gun the whole time. And the shape just steps into the doorway and her face goes evil as fuck instantly. And she goes, gotcha, shooting them. I fucking love that part. So she thought her mom was crazy and was like against everything, but she was still trained for 12 years, still had it. And she played like the limping doe. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I mean, he steps out. He's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, she ain't going to shoot me. And he steps out and gets shot for it. Oh, dude. In, in the theater, I remember leaning over to the wife and being like, this is so fucking stupid. Why is she doing this? She's giving away her position, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And then it gets to that. And I'm like, shut the fuck up, Josh. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I'm fine with it. This is awesome. <laughs> and I saw not only people online, but people that we know in real life locally, bitch, about all of this. They didn't get it. I I don't know. They were just like, oh, they got to make the women powerful and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, why are you going this way? It's a horror film. It's fucking Halloween. I know. Well, I would say that's what it's always been in this timeline. <laughs> but yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. There's a, it's, there's a fucking term for it. It's called final girl. What the exactly, fuck? <laughs> exactly. Which is invented by this franchise. Jesus Christ. Anyways, I love this next scene. Michael standing there. And there's like a dark doorway behind him. And Lori pops out of the shadows, like where they did the dimmer trick with the lights. Yeah. Just like with Michael in the first one. And she gets a couple stabs in on him. They start to struggle and Michael falls in the basement. Karen and Allison run out and she pulls a lever, making these spikes come out, blocking the exit. Would have impaled him if he was up too far, but it didn't. He's now trapped in the basement and pulling that lever started making gas leak in the basement and throughout the house especially in the basement. And we see Karen evilly say, it's not a cage, baby. It's a trap to her daughter. Cause she's still got that evil look in her eyes. Right. Yeah. So the whole time it was designed as a, as a, as a trap for Michael. This was the plan. She was supposed to be a little girl when she said, mom, I'm scared. I can't do it. Right. Yep. She got badass real fast. Remember your training. <laughs> Lori says goodbye to Michael as she ignites some road flares and drops them down in the basement, igniting the gas, making a wall of fire behind Michael as he looks up with a you bitch face <laughs> and the room's entirely engulfed in flames. We then get a montage like the end of the first film where the camera goes room to room, except for in this situation, the house is on fire. Our trio of Strode run outside and Allison flags on a pickup truck and we see them all riding in the bed of the truck, slightly injured as it drives away and Allison is holding Michael's bloody knife. Credits. There's not a post-credit scene, but we do hear Michael breathing at the end of the credits, just like in the original, to let us know that he's still alive. The end. That was the first film in a nutshell. <laughs> I would like to say, to me, like this was refreshing to see. It felt like a John Carpenter Halloween movie and it was the best one since the original. To me, like I was super, and you know, because you saw it with me over yeah. the night, like I was super excited walking out of this movie, and I basically had nothing bad to say about it. Yeah, I was totally petrified going to see it because a lot of remakes are terrible or requels right. or 40 years removed carrying on. Like it doesn't usually work. And it's the Pineapple Express guy with Danny McBride. Yeah, right. Like, like yeah, this is doomed to fail. And no, it's, it's actually, it's fun. It's got a decent story. It's fun to see. Lori, 40 years later, what would life be like? Um, there's a couple of little things in there that are a kind, kind of a little, eh, like the new Loomis, like right. I, just a couple of lines of exposition to, to let me know why he would take it that far yeah. with everything that happens in, in Hawkins car. First viewing, he was actually my least favorite thing. Yeah. Didn't mind him so much after the first viewing. I think he was more of a, like I said, a callback. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, it was, it was actually good. And out of the three, it's my favorite. 
<laughs> and it was it was it was actually surprising and it, it it took a couple of watches for me to just turn the brain off and there's not because man i'm gonna i'm gonna talk some shit in the next movie uh, <laughs> it doesn't beat you over the head with nostalgia it doesn't beat you over the head with what i'm gonna refer to as member berries it's just enough but it uh played that on a pretty even keel yeah enough to not piss off people like me and decent story shot well all, all that stuff's good and actually fun a lot of good kills in it too <laughs> it did leave me wondering you know what happens next like right oh he's gonna survive this fire da 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 like like what we're in a corner now this is supposed to be the first part of a trilogy what's gonna happen were you surprised when you saw halloween kills how accurate I was on how we got out from seeing the poster shot. <laughs> I remember we were recording the Grindhouse episode and they had just released the poster of him standing there with like the Halligan bar or whatever on the porch. And I was yeah. like, I think this happens, this happens. I was like 90% <laughs> right. It was fucking great. But I guess that goes without saying that uh, it's time for us to dive into 2021's Halloween Kills. And I, I was going to make the joke, the search for more money, but it, it's really not because uh, we'll get into what the plan was and some of where the plan went because uh this was around the time that uh what was that thing called yeah COVID yeah yeah <laughs> happened and it's not necessarily the search for more money when it's a planned trilogy before the first film shot exactly all right so for the second installment we of course still have david gordon green mm -hmm. and uh we have him writing along with danny mcbride and we also have scott teams now scott teams was a writer on the new firestarter insidious the red door and the exorcist believer Sounds like a Blumhouse script doctor to me. <laughs> Sounds about right. So for the cast, we've got the survivors. So I'm not going to go through all of them. Okay. Um, I'll go through some interesting ones that have been added in. So we get Robert Longstreet as Lonnie. Yes. And he's in The Haunting of Hill House, Dr. Sleep, Midnight Mass, Fall of the House of Usher. Flanagan's guy. Exactly. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Is Tommy Doyle. Yes. Of course, we talked about him before. 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, all kinds of shit. Charles Cyphers is Bracket. Yep. Kylie Richards back as Lindsay Wallace. Yes. I was really upset they didn't even ask the guy that played Tommy to come back and play Tommy. But I liked Anthony Michael Hall as Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to get somebody else for Tommy, but we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Uh, we've got Nancy Stevens back as nurse Marion Chambers. Yep. For the third time in the third timeline. Yep. <laughs> um, and one more I got to bring up is Michael McDonald. Oh, yeah. As Little John. Who Look what I, I can do. Yes. I will always remember fucking Stuart from Mad TV. Um, somebody that didn't get mentioned in, in, in the first film for makeup effects and that's christopher allen nelson um he studied he did all three movies he studied under rick baker k and b stan winston um not only did he do this trilogy but this is just a handful of his movies that i i picked to mention so we've probably mentioned him before okay um warlock armageddon uh return of the living dead three Men in Black, X-Men, Ghost Ship, Kill Bill, Constantine, Cursed, Hostile, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Suicide Squad, American Horror Story, Fear Street. He done a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, replaced my special effects section with a composer and I forgot to go back <laughs> and do special effects on that one. I caught it, man. I caught it. So uh, Halloween Kills, which might as well be called Evil Dies Tonight. Um, <laughs> speaking of kills, I didn't keep track of them, but there are 31. Oh, in this film, um, 
It was originally going to be shot back to back with the first one, but they did decide to wait and see how the first one was received because fans can be rabid. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm a stars fan. I've seen that shit. <laughs> Paul Rudd was actually going to come back to play Tommy Doyle. I know he was asked. I think he was busy doing Ant-Man or something to uh, even consider it. Okay, okay. That's yep. what it was. It was Ghostbusters. You're right. Um, what's hilarious on the commentary, I have to bring this up, is every time there's a closet scene, um, Jamie Lee Curtis freaks out on the commentary. Like, I think she has a legitimate post-traumatic stress disorder from filming the first film. <laughs> I know she's not a huge fan of horror films, and she really doesn't like violence and weapons, which is really funny. Yes. <laughs> Did you know Danielle Harris supposedly got mad because she wasn't asked to come and play Lori's daughter? But I don't, it wouldn't have worked. That, oh, yeah. that no. Judy Greer was the right choice for that one. Yeah. No, no. That would have been too weird. Yeah, and, and we love her. We've talked about her before. She got to do her thing in Rob Zombie's Halloween. So... Yeah, that would have been fucking weird. I mean, she could have been a teacher or something, but like... Yeah, yeah cameo, yeah. that would have been fine. Um, I'm going to bitch about this movie for a second. Um, <laughs> this movie feels like it takes place in a weird vacuum where no movies came before it because how much the characters have to explain the boogeyman, uh -huh. which gets a little overbearing. Um, like I joked about earlier, it's loaded with fucking nostalgia porn and member berries, and I think it's a bit too much. And this may huh. be fucking Scott team's fault. I don't know. I definitely have some faults with the film, but <laughs> I don't know if it'd be that harsh on it. Oh, this is going to be a, a Josh fucking coverage. I'm sorry. Um, what the movie does well, it does fucking great. What it does poorly, it does just as bad. That's, uh -huh. that's my problem. It really is a fucking roller coaster of great writing to terrible writing, hmm. um, in my opinion, especially dialogue wise. Um, but we'll get there. I do agree with you. There's a lot of trying to explain who he is, but it's because he's a dude that killed three people 40 years ago. <laughs> 40 years ago is going to be a drinking game during this movie. So every <laughs> time we say 40 years ago, drink. So we'll do. We open with a continuation of the night's events, much like going from the original one and two. And uh, we see Cameron walking around after the dance party, whatever. And uh, he's trying to call dead ass. Oscar. And uh, <laughs> while doing so, he spots Hawkins. Now, there's no way this fucker's still alive. Wait, he is. He needs to die. And I'm the one that's gonna get him. He just got stabbed once, right? And ran over. That bothers me, but they don't actually show him run over him. You just hear the sound, and it's like, maybe he didn't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We flash back to 78 for a retelling of that fateful night. And I don't mean the 78 movie. I mean like a, a retelling that they shot for this. I thought it was really cool. Um, it was really cool. And the way they did it was cool, except for this radio tower that's added in several shots. And if you really pay attention to the layout of the streets, the radio tower moves. Um, that oh. bothers me. But it was all CGI added in post once they knew where they needed to get to from B to C for the third film. Okay. Radio tower was going to be important. Let's have it fucking show up in the films. Um, <laughs> so we're dropped off to the police um, searching for Michael Myers just after Loomis shot him six times. Yeah. Um, and we learned that uh, Mikey used to just stare out of his sister's bedroom window. That's going to be real important yeah. anchor of this film. I think it's funny is the two cops are both played by comedians. Yes. That are both hilarious. And one of them, the main guy is, is the one that, not Hawkins, but the other one is the guy that did the, uh, I can't think of the name of it, the werewolf movie where it's actually a serial killer. 
Something hollow. The Wolf of Snow Hollow. He's the writer, director, and star of it. Yeah. 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 That so, guy. Yeah, that guy. Who I did not know. Thank you, Jesse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we also see Lonnie getting bullied. You know, member berries. And uh, <laughs> the cops head into the house. Right. I thought that was a nice touch, though, because we see Lonnie bullying in yes. the first movie, but we see he's also bullied. I'm okay with just a little bit of that. Okay, okay. Man, this movie's going to hit it hard. Um. <laughs> What's cool is uh, when they go up into the sister's bedroom, there's a dead dog on the floor. Yeah. That kind of a callback. That's awesome because it's just, the same night, right? Exactly. Um, I really, I, I I feel like maybe you didn't like that they brought all the old characters back, but I thought it was cool because that hadn't really been done. It's not that they're there. It's how okay, they're there. Okay. I'll let you go. I'll let you roll. <laughs> um, but it's really cool. They actually built the whole house on a soundstage, like five other houses to and they went back and 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 watched the first film to try to reconstruct it. That's really fucking cool the way they did this. Um, so the two cops we're going to follow are, of course, Hawkins and McCabe. And they eventually make it upstairs into the bedroom while they're looking for Mikey. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and McCabe sees footprints over at the window, the staring window. Yeah, because he wanted to know what the motherfucker was looking at, right? Yeah. So he checked it out. Like, he just looks out and he's like, hey, a radio tower, cool. And uh, I didn't catch the radio tower. <laughs> that's that's how it moves because it's not supposed to be there. Okay. But it's going to be there later. That's what's fucking. But anyways, I just didn't even know it was in the movie. So. Uh, I'm, I'm an asshole about these things. <laughs> so Mikey does his thing and pops out of the fucking closet, grabs on McCabe, starts beating on his ass. So uh, Hawkins comes running in and uh, he shoots Michael Myers. The end. No, wait. He shoots his fucking partner I know. <laughs> instead of Michael Myers. His partner did tell him to shoot. He did. He asked for it. <laughs> he didn't expect to take it in the throat. No, no, I like how Michael's like, fuck, that just happened. He just drops him and walks off. He's yes. like, shit, I didn't expect that. So he bounces and he's immediately surrounded by cops. And Loomis is there as well. And he was played by Tom Jones, who was the construction coordinator for the fucking film. And there was this whole discussion of, do we bring Loomis back in? Do we not? Who are we going to get to play him? And somebody goes, look at him. <laughs> and this is literally how he got in the movie. <laughs> and I'm assuming it's probably Yoda doing his voice again. They did something. It's not him. I remember okay. that. And I, I like how they kept him out of focus for the most part. Yes. And it fit for him to be out of focus the way it shot. And of course, the line of dialogue from Loomis is, has Michael killed again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's only killed three. Has it gotten worse? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got to up these numbers. Or they're going to think I was overreacting. And uh, <laughs> Loomis then turns around and stares down Michael Myers title card opening credits with all these jack-o'-lanterns kind of appearing and like floating towards you on one side while you've got the opening credits on the other side. And if you count them, there's 12 of them. Okay. Because this is legally Halloween 12. Okay. Like contractually it's Halloween 12. Didn't know that except for the commentary. Nice touch. Are the pumpkins doing anything in particular? There's just a bunch of different fucking pumpkins. Okay. Or jack-o'-lanterns. Nothing cool like in the first one or the third one. They're just they're just floating. Well, they're flying. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I had my realization of the pumpkins watching the third one, and then I only went back and checked mine and check yours. Oh, okay. I meant to text you and say, hey, note the pumpkins, but luckily <laughs> you did. So. so we then fly back to present day and off to open mic night at Mick's Bar. And you'll <laughs> see these fucking mermaids singing a song, and they're singing a Coupe de Ville song. Okay. She doesn't want you anymore. So nice touch. Cause in the commentary is like Coupe de Ville song. Nice. 
and I'm like Googling the lyrics and it's not where it took me so fucking long to figure out what the name of the song was. And for anybody that doesn't know or hasn't heard any of the older John Carpenter episodes, that was John Carpenter's band. Yes. With Nick Castle and Tommy Doyle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not bad. 80 synth band. It's definitely more. I don't want to say easy listening, but it's laid back. Yeah. Cause didn't they do the entire soundtrack to a Carpenter film? I don't remember. I feel like that I happened. Think so big trouble, in little China, maybe that sounds like it'd be the right movie. <laughs> I don't know. Go back and listen to the Carpenter episode. It needs some more downloads. It's got to pass Eli Roth at some point. So up next on open mic night is Lonnie introducing Tommy Doyle. The bird whistler, right? Yes. But he's not doing the bird whistling tonight. <laughs> he's going to tell the story of the babysitter murders 40 years ago. Does he say the babysitter murders? Yes. Because that was the original title of the first Halloween film. Or I instinctually typed it that way because that was the original name. I'm not sure. But he does say fuck it 40 years ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because no one in the town knows the story. Okay. Whatever. That's it's you're 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 sending me off a <laughs> sending me off a road, guys. But uh it really is more of just a setup so Tommy can fucking MCU some fucking characters. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Cause he introduces fucking Lindsay Wallace, Marion Chambers, and Lonnie. Member berries. I'm just it's so ham-fisted like there's like this part is ham-fisted like meeting them in conversation fine doing a big production of it of having somebody having to be on stage and a spotlight and telling the town yeah it, it's just too much I, well one i like the idea that the survivors get hammered together every halloween night yes and i'm assuming they don't do this every year because some people seem to not know the story. Most of the people. Exactly. I'm assuming it's because it's been 40 years and they're like really feeling the uh, PTSD and they decided to go get extra hammered. And honestly, <laughs> I could see some drunk ass motherfuckers their age like doing this production. Though. I thought it was portrayed well. Yes. The idea of it, you might find cheesy, but I don't, I don't really think it's unrealistic. I don't know. It's just a little, it's a little weird to me. But uh, more importantly, we're supposed to understand that a bunch of drunk fucks just learned about the murders and the boogeyman. Is he real? Who knows? Who's next? Yep, because nobody seemed to fucking know shit because he's a dude that killed three people 40 years ago. Exactly. So we then cut to Lori and the girls rushing away from the fire in the back of the truck. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> we see the fire department arrive at the fucking house. And Josh is fixing to be totally sucked back into the movie. Because they're going in real fire department that they brought in. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, for some, they didn't kill real firefighters, um, but they did bring <laughs> firefighters in. Well, you have to have firefighters on set when you film a fire scene. Yes. So they were probably there for the fire scene. <laughs> Possibly. But they're going through the house looking for survivors, and one of them falls through the fucking floor into the cage. Holy shit. Michael's free. Shit's about to go down. And he comes out and he just goes to fucking town on these firefighters with oh, yeah. their own gear, which is really cool. They're shots through the the mask of one of the firefighters oh, yeah. watching this shit go down. The cinematographer here is great. There's the fucking, the, the fire of the house is raging in the background. These kills are in silhouette. It's. Yeah. It's vicious. It's I very love, vicious. This is Halloween kills. This is, <laughs> this is, I'm ripping this off from somebody else, but it's fucking Michael Myers going John Wick on some motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. There's so many people like, you know, people try to get this scene 
like removed, like boycotted it. Like, oh, the first responders getting killed because of COVID and shit, right? Like, you okay. know, I was real big on the first responders. I thought that was dumb because they were doing their job. There's also people that make fun of the guy holding the hose and Michael walking against it. And they're like, it's so dumb. Why is he doing that? And I'm like, do you not know the force <laughs> of a fire hose? I think that's the joke is to show that his ass can walk through exactly the force of the fire hose and not give a fuck and not get knocked over. Okay, so check this out. So um, I talked about it, my neighbor's tree getting caught on fire at the end of the driveway a while back, right? Yeah. So we're sitting back there watching it burn and shit. I mean, like first I got fire extinguishers from my house. He got fire extinguishers from his house. We did what we could while we were waiting on the fire department. Right. I actually didn't know this story. So uh, fascinating. This is just like the bird watching shit. So it was two guys and a very petite girl were the firefighters that showed up. And it was real quick, obvious that they were, she was doing training. Okay. Because they're like, hey, you need to do this. You need to do that. And even one of the guys seemed like he was being told what to do, but that's what the fire chief's supposed to do. Anyways, so. They had the little truck going and it was like, holy shit, this tree is actually hollowed out all the way up the top. And it's just, it's a fire chimney and it's just okay. sucking in air from the bottom. Like, holy shit, we're going to have to like get up in the tree with the water. We need the big truck. So they get the big truck and they get it mostly put out. And okay. then they put the tiny girl on the fire hose and they're like explaining it to her, like how much pressure there's going to be and like standing <laughs> behind her and shit. Cause it's some serious fucking shit. Like there is, there is a fucking torrent of water that comes out of a fire hose so yeah anybody that was talking shit about that like he's a fucking supernatural entity and he can walk fucking through it unscathed right deal with it my favorite part though is when the fire trucks rush by the girls the survivors and Lori just starts screaming let it burn yeah because she's like i need that motherfucker to burn alive in that house yes now another thing about this house is this is not the set from the first movie this was a similarly shaped actual house that they really burnt down and filmed it okay the house was actually used in a movie called Uncle Frank that Judy Greer was in. Interesting. <laughs> it's like the only story she told on the commentary, but interesting. <laughs> so uh, we see Lori and the girls make it to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. And Lori goes straight into emergency surgery because she got fucking stabbed, guys. Like yeah, She's yeah. not at 100%. And she's honestly younger than she is in real life because she's supposed to be she's like 55 ish and she you know she fought the shape yeah so since they're all there karen goes to the morgue to confirm that hubby is dead yeah peanut butter on his penis or not and uh was that bracket yep 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 that's bracket he has been demoted to hospital security but no no he just didn't have a good benefits pension <laughs> plan and in this day and age, in this economy, he couldn't just retire, and he had to take a front desk security job. I, I do like how they, they introduced him, though, because he's just sitting there working at the desk, and they're like, we got Lori Strode, blah, 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 and he hears the name, and he's like, whoa? Yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, so he's there, too. And see, that was softer. That was that was a softer yeah. bringing that character back in. That that's That I'm okay with. Um, I wish they would have thrown motherfucking Dick Warlock in here somewhere. <laughs> like, I need a Dick Warlock throwback. <laughs> that would have been great. Meanwhile, Nick Castle versus the drone. What? We're, we're going to get there. So we see Sandra and Phil, and Sandra is played by the same lady that played the caretaker in yeah. the first one. I love the scene. And uh, they're obviously about to get busy because he's like throwing on some music. and He's like, hey, how about we listen to this and try out this wine? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we know it's about, yeah, he's, he's taken off the fucking sleep apnea mask. <laughs> I was like, about to say, I think he got a CPAP <laughs> mask and he takes it off, right? He's ready to go. 
Well, he's bitching because he thinks the CPAP mask is fucked up because he smells like timber or something. She's like, no, nah, no, there's a big ass fire at the Strode house. Yes. And he says something. She's like, that lady will fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> All this while she's flying a fucking drone in the house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she ends up crashing it in the bathroom. And it gets thrown back out, busted, because actually Phil tries to take the controller away from her and is like, you don't know what you're doing, da-da-da-da. There's a deleted scene of the shape actually smashing the drone and throwing it back out. And Nick Castle was the shape. Oh, okay, okay. I'm kind of glad they cut it, though. It was better just having it thrown out. I don't like that they had the guy grab the remote, though, because it looks like he fucked up and slung it out at first. And my brain had to go back and figure it out. I think it should have just been... She's flying in, it went in, it flew back out. Well, it looks jank because there's a deleted shot. Probably, yeah. There's supposed to be a cut there that wasn't there. So Mikey, of course, pops up out of the bathroom and he fucks up Phil. Bad. He bashes <laughs> his head into the wall and he rips him through this window and also rips his throat out with the glass of the window. Yep. Um, it's pretty fucking intense. Um, he then rips down this fluorescent bulb and busts it open. And stabs Sandra in the fucking neck with it. And yep. you can see and hear it mm-hmm, fill up with mm-hmm. blood. None of this is CGI. They actually built a whole rig to do it. Mad props for that. I am very glad that in all three of these movies, they went mostly practical at yep. all times. Um, then Sandra, who's still fucking alive, gets to lay there and mm-hmm. watch Mikey stab Phil in all his major organs in alphabetical order. And the way he, he acted this scene out, the way he just grabs the knives like a machine and buries yes. them. And he just keeps grabbing them out of the different knife blocks. I don't know. He, he acted well. He's creepy the way he does it. And he's like, a, he's one of those guys that's like really nice and funny in all the interviews. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he's probably a teddy bear. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it's really cool. And this was the scene, like I saw the firefighter scene. I don't know. This movie's going to be vicious. And when I saw him do the light bulb, and then the 97 knives and the old guy's back while the <laughs> wife watches. I'm like, oh, this movie's going to be really fucking vicious. Because as much as people can shit on this movie, the shape is at peak form in murdering motherfuckers in this film. Yes. Halloween yeah. kills. He killed it. Yeah. And 31 kills. Like, <laughs> every bit of that aspect of this movie is top fucking notch. Yeah. Like, I love seeing the shape be terrifying. Not just scary, but, like, literally terrifying. Right. I always love how there was always a competition on Friday the 13th kills versus Halloween kills like Michael versus Jason. And they just made sure while the, the rights were in flux, (laughs) the Jason Voorhees has no fucking way to catch up on the kill count now without being absolutely absurd. We accidentally launch a nuke or something. (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) As long as it's Kane Hodder, I'm ready. (laughs) I love Kane Hodder. Another giant teddy bear. Yeah. So, uh, it's time for the town to wake up. <laughs> Cameron calls his pops Lonnie to tell him about Hawkins. All while the cops arrive at the burning fucking house with dead firefighter Lawn Art. Oh, yeah. This fugitive is on foot. His name is Michael Myers. Go get him. Then the news pops up on the bar TV. Mm-hmm. And I bitched about something that's about to happen. And it made me bitch about things later on in the movie. And then when re-watching for the podcast, I retract all that. And <laughs> I will bitch at people who say what I was saying because the way it's laid out is necessary and it makes sense. Now, I won't give a pass on something later on in the movie, but we'll get to that. But here we go. So on the bar TV, they're reporting the bus crash and the two escaped inmates. 
Apparently they've rounded up everyone else or they're dead. Who cares? There's two that they're talking about. So they got all the butterfly chasers. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe there's a whole deleted thing where they caught them at the local butterfly sanctuary. Monarch thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, it actually shows the photos of the two inmates. Yeah. With the fucking height thingy next to them. And that's what makes everybody bitch about the film later on. But you can't because A, 40 years ago, and nobody fucking knew the story like they know how big Michael Myers is. Right. We know because we've seen the movies. The town doesn't. And two, when we get to this scene right here about who sexy nurse sees in the back of her car, she actually says it was Michael Myers, the guy on TV. She doesn't know. That's what sets this whole thing in motion. I, right. I bitched about how when they when we get to the hospital with him, like, why the fuck would they think that's Mikey? And a lot of people say that shit. They don't know. And they've been fed while be turned into a mob by Tommy at right. the same fucking time. And it was actually shot really well because they're talking to Mick about how it was his dad's bar and he shows him the bat. Yeah. Right. And all that. And they hear wrecked bus escaped inmates, Michael Myers, that makes them look up and it's shot and timed absolutely fucking perfectly where they're all talking to each other. And in the background, you can see the actor that we know as the shape yeah. on the screen. But you can only see like the bottom part of the screen as they turn their head. It cuts to the old guy. Yeah. Right. So they hear Michael Myers. Here's this picture. Look up and they see the second guy's picture. Cause it just changed, which we saw. And that is something that totally could happen. Yes. Random fun fact here. Okay. They talk about Myers' original murder on the newscast, and they show pictures of the three kids he killed, right? Yes. And they're actual yearbook photos, but nobody could find shit from the guy that played Bob. Yeah. And then somebody, I, I think it was Danny McBride, maybe David Gordon Green, one of them realized that Bob Odenkirk in his yearbook photo looked like Bob. Yeah. And it's actually Bob Odenkirk's yearbook photo up there for Bob. Fucking fantastic. He's even in the credits. That's awesome. So... <laughs> As this is going down, hunky doctor and sexy nurse from the first <laughs> flick, and that's what they're fucking called. I love that they came back, right? Because <laughs> it, it had to have been planned. Why else did they show them? Um, well, no, no. In, in the commentary, he talks about he just thought it was fun seeing them briefly in the first one and that they were cool enough to work with that he wanted to bring them back to huh. the second film. Because you could have totally not had that shot of Michael looking at them leaving and picking a different house. Yep. Yeah. Unless that was a way to hide a cut in the winter. Uh. <laughs> so they decide it's time to bounce. But their car gets stolen by someone. Sexy nurse runs back into the bar and says it was the guy they just showed on TV. Right. <laughs> and Tommy's like 20 drinks in. <laughs> and he grabs the bat from behind the bar and he's ready for action. Tommy, what are you doing? Head nasty snatches in my parking lot. Yes, sir. Love lives today. But evil dies tonight. I like it. I like the tagline. I know you hate it. I know most <laughs> I other people it. hate it. I love it. I do like that they picked him to play Tommy because, you know, he notoriously played scrawny, nerdy, picked on kids. Yeah. In, in films. And then he played the bully, like in Edward Scissorhands, for example. <laughs> and he was even like a fucking general in a war movie and yeah. shit, right? But he was originally the nerdy picked on kid, which is what Tommy was. Right. And then I like how he's become the, you know, bitter, drunken, angry guy. And he probably has spent his whole life trying to figure out how to defend himself. Yeah. I don't know. I think all of this is portrayed very realistically for the most part. That I'm okay with. It's other things that we'll get to. <laughs> 
So the uh, Tommy-led mob heads outside, and the car takes off, but immediately crashes. Because who the fuck taught him how to drive? <laughs> Nobody, as you can see. The driver escapes, and we see that it's the old umbrella dude from the fucking first film. But not the mob. <laughs> right. Because they don't know. They, they don't just know. know. They heard Michael Myers that caught their attention. They looked up, saw the picture of the other dude. Yep. And Sexy Nurse said it was the guy on TV. Must be Michael Myers. That gets a pass. We then cut to Big John and Little John. Big John and Little John are so fun. They are great. There's, I, they're, okay. So there's a whole thing that Jamie Lee Curtis goes into. Like, it's so perfect that they moved into the Strode house. And right. they gentrified it and da-da-da-da-da. Because they're realtors, right? And they probably couldn't sell the fucking house. Like, well, it's, this would be a beautiful ranch home. Let's move in, right? Exactly. Um. I buy that they're a couple. Yeah. Um, the guy that plays Big John, he's fucking hilarious and everything else I've seen him in too. Is he in Righteous Gemstones? Probably. I, I guarantee you, like most of these people <laughs> probably cross over because of David Gordon Green. Okay. Because I keep getting told about Righteous Gemstones from a guy at work and I haven't watched it. I've only watched the first few episodes and my wife didn't get into it. I thought it was fucking hilarious. Okay. Lots of dirty jokes. <laughs> Lots of dick jokes. And, you know, they're like famous, like Protestant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Televangelist. And, I mean, they're all great. I mean, it's got John Goodman in it. Fucking okay. watch it. <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah, so they live in the house. And uh, they get pranked by some brats. But John scares them off with the story of the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And uh, more on the Johns later. I didn't feel like going back <laughs> and checking. Because okay. we're not fucking investigative journalists here. Okay. <laughs> we're <laughs> some guys that podcast the hobby. Are they the Delaney kids? Oh, these kids right now? Yeah, yeah, because I thought they say their name, and it's like, a Doyle rules. No, that's that's just, that's the ones that it shows picking on uh, Tommy in the 78 flashback. Okay, okay, okay. That's, what, so that's, that's where I was confusing those two scenes, and I didn't go back and check, because when they say we're the Delaney's, it makes me think of Doyle rules. And then in the third film, the asshole cop, is Delaney, Delaney. Yeah. so he's one of the kids then. Yes. Yeah, okay. Of okay. those other assholes. So he's kids. not a parent of these three kids. He was one of the kids in a flashback, and I kind of mixed it up. Gotcha. Um, so we, like I said, we're going to get back to the Johns, but first we got to go back to the hospital. They are one of my favorite parts of this film. <laughs> Hawkins is brought in, so he's definitely fucking still alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, we then bounce from Allison to Karen back and forth, getting the cops up to speed. Yeah. And, uh, Karen's talking to the sheriff and Allison is talking to one of the other cops. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because they're like, then this happened, then this happened, and we trapped him in there and he's dead. And at the same time, they both get told uh, he's alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, fuck. Because the sheriff's like, nobody tell you? <laughs> Shit, I don't want to be the one to tell you. <laughs> now, if you look in the room that uh, Allison is in, there's a bunny on the wall behind the cop holding a, holding a carrot. Like, okay. Like a knife, like he's fixing to stab the cop in the back. And that was done by the art department okay. as a joke. If anybody um, likes to make props and wants to send me a banicula slasher, I want it. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty cool. So uh, the mob starts to trickle into the fucking hospital at this mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see that Cameron is running around fucking recruiting. And Allison's suddenly on board when she should be kicking that fucked hard in the junk. Like, I, <laughs> I give him no passes. The way he acted that night, that is unacceptable. They can't date anymore. She needs something better. You know, these kind of decisions can lead to choosing the completely wrong guy. But we won't <laughs> revisit that in this trilogy, I promise. Um, the thing is... <laughs> 
we get the idea in the first one they've been dating a while. Yeah. And maybe he is actually the nice guy we get in this movie, and he just happened to be drunk. Like, because uh, they're supposed to be like 16, right? Yeah. Maybe he never even had whiskey. And <laughs> he just accidentally got hammered, right? You know what I mean? Like, it could just be like, she knows he's not normally a dick. He was just hammered. I don't know. I fucking hate Cameron, man. <laughs> my, my favorite part about the scene, and it's kind of what made me like Cameron, is when he's like, come on, we're getting a bunch of guys together. We're going to hunt him down. Come help us. Tommy Doyle's leading us. He's like, wait, who? And it's, it's kind of like, he's like, my favorite rock star came to town. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was just, the way he says it, it's like Tommy's a hero. And the town doesn't seem to remember anything, but I bet Lonnie tells the story because he's got it personal and he's friends with Tommy. So he probably has like, Tommy was my badass friend when I was a kid. You see, (laughs) I'll vouch for this dog, even though he picked on him, (laughs) but he survived the shape. Yes. But, uh, even though Allison is on board, she gets told to stay and watch grandma. And, uh, Allison has a flashback to trapping Miking in the fucking first film. Uh-huh. And she stashes the knife that she was still holding um, next to Lori. Her- I was say, she doesn't really stash it. She leaves it for Lori. Well, she wraps it in a in some clothes and stashes it to the peep, the staff. Is yeah, what yeah. I mean. In case she um, needs it to defend herself. All that's fine. Yeah. I, I didn't need the flashback. That, oh, yeah. That okay. bothers me. That's one of those times that the movie feels like it's taking place in a vacuum that's got to remind you of the movie that just came before it. it anyways. I will nitpick on that um, because I really think that's dumb. Um, But it reminds everyone she was holding that knife. So Tommy rolls up in his Mustang, the Mustang that Anthony Michael Hall kept leaving in neutral, and it would roll out of frame when he would jump out of it (laughs) because he's got to jump out of it at the hospital and over at the gas station, quick mart, whatever it is. And he kept leaving it in neutral. This was like an (laughs) ongoing thing. Was he on the commentary? No. Um, But they did rag on him for that and for how many bats he broke. Because he would play with the bats in between takes and accidentally break them. Please tell me he made lightsaber sounds. Uh, it didn't go into that much detail. I don't know what's with the past four episodes of me doing Star Wars stories, but <laughs> every Jesse. I know every major actor that has been in recent Star Wars stuff, and I'm talking about starting with the prequels, right? Like in the early 2000s. Every single one of them on interviews talks about how they got in trouble and yelled at by George Lucas because they would make the lightsaber sounds with their mouth. <laughs> like the funniest one was a recent interview with Liam Neeson going into the story about how many times him and Ewan McGregor got in trouble. I'd heard Ewan McGregor tell the story, but when you see Liam Neeson talk about <laughs> like and getting yelled at, and he's like, We have a team that can do that. I don't need you to do that. You know? <laughs> And he, he he actually on the interview, I saw he's like, listen, you fucking twat. I've been doing this my whole life, <laughs> like making that noise. That is great. So yeah, yeah. Tommy Doyle probably made lightsaber sounds. That's what I'm trying to get out here. Okay. One of us. So Tommy rolls up in his Mustang making lightsaber sounds. And uh, yes. <laughs> he tells Lonnie about the firefighters. But it's cool because Lonnie has a tackle box in his car full of guns. You got per- permits for those? <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> And honestly, I could listen to Robert Longstreet talk all day. I don't know why he doesn't have like a standard normal voice, <laughs> but I find his speaking voice very pleasant to listen to. He's a trip, man. Such a dick in Fall of House of Usher. <laughs> yeah, he is. So uh, <laughs> they're looking at all these tackle box guns. Cameron pops up. Allison pops up. Lindsay Wallace pops up. Mary Chambers pops up. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the medical duo. We're getting the band back together <laughs> with a new sax team. So we're arming up. We're going to go. And the mob goes on the offensive, cruising town to tell people to lock their shit up or join the hunt. Oh, and Allison reminds us that Michael Myers has been a plague on her family for 40 years. <laughs> I've never even noticed all the 40 years shit. 
Which means this is a Josh nitpick. I'm just calling it right here. Dude, it's bad. It's said like seven times. <laughs> I do like how you see Tommy stop at every like gas station and diner he can to recruit a militia. <laughs> Which this is a throwback to Halloween four, four I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Public justice. <laughs> Public justice is silver bullet, my man. <laughs> it's still that's I know I don't call it vigilante justice anymore. It's always gonna be public justice now. <laughs> So Lindsay, Marion, and the medical duo, they're in a car and uh, they spot the John prank kids yeah. at this park and uh, they're asking them what they're doing. Like, hey, fuck, you don't need to be out here. And they're like, oh, we're waiting for a friend. We've been playing peekaboo with some dude in a white mask. Yeah. And I think these are the Silver Shamrock kids, right? <laughs> they're about to be. <laughs> I mean, from the first film, I think they're the ones that, I think they still have their mask. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I meant by dead. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, he's got a white mask on. He keeps playing peekaboo over there. <laughs> We're not little kids. Because they're high as fuck on sugar and Mountain Dew. Yeah. Shrooms. Um. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, look, there he is. Oh, hello. Hello. And there he is holding a bloody knife in one hand and the friend's mask in the other hand. I was going to say head, but it's just the mask. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay tells them to fucking run and the shape attacks the car. Sexy nurse bolts as soon as this happens. <laughs> this is after she took the Desert Eagle from her boyfriend because, like, that's too much gun for you. I've shot one of these before. Yeah, and he hadn't. Because exactly. we also find out earlier that Sexy Nurse is the doctor in real life, and the doctor's actually a nurse. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, that's a joke that somebody says in there, and I don't remember if it's Lindsay or, or Nurse Marion, but one of them goes, that checks out, or that makes <laughs> sense or whatever. So, so unfortunately... Marion gets stabbed the fuck in the chest. She's gone. She got a cool death scene, though. Like, I mean, she fucked up with the gun and stuff, but I mean, she's an old ass nurse. Like, it made sense. But yeah, I, the fact that they brought her back and gave her like a send off and it, it worked and she died in the car, in the car. with him smashing yeah. through the glass, just like the the where she bit the bullet in the original. Exactly. Like, this, this guy knows how to watch an old movie and make a sequel to See, it. See, this I'm OK with. That's that's fan service. That's fan service. See, that's that. That's how I categorize this shit. Most of the internet uses fan service as a derogatory term, though. Yeah, because of lip service, I get that, but I don't. I don't see it that way. I see. I see nostalgia porn. Like, I can't write, so here's stuff you remember. Feel good about what I wrote, and then in the same vein, member berries. Hey, remember this character? Remember that character? And I know it's from South Park, but it's a great joke. I didn't um, know that. Oh, you had, dude, it's, I don't fun. watch South Park, dude. So it's sorry. Side, sidetrack. Um, it's, <laughs> I do Star Wars. He does South Park. There's no it, rolls. It will watch this. It's literally berries and they're stoned. And th the whole running joke is nostalgia stuff. And, okay. they're, and they're sitting there talking to each other. Like, Hey, you remember Chewbacca? And then the other, <laughs> the other bears are like, Hey, I remember Chewbacca. Hey, Hey, remember Boba Fett? I remember Boba Fett. We have another episode where you told me the story. Oh, okay. Great. This is fantastic. I so, remember this now. There we, hey, hey, remember that time I told the story of the member bears? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's still tied into Star Wars. It always yes. goes back to Star Wars. But I think fan service, I don't use that as a pejorative. I, I think I think it's good to do those sprinklings. And yeah. like you said, with the, the it's, Easter eggs and fan service. But I think fan service is a good thing. Yes. Like it's, it's been a big argument with the most recent Star Wars show, Ahsoka, that I also just finished that. Okay. But it's based off my favorite like cartoon series. And it has like all the characters from the cartoons. And it had like flashback scenes. They brought Hayden Christensen back again 
Like, like you know, people are like, oh, the fan service. I'm like, you mean the awesome fucking flashback scenes we just got that were only <laughs> animated before and we just got them with the real people? You know, like, I don't know why people just freak out about that shit. I like watching something for a majority of my life and the new things reference the original things. I think it's cool. But, but like you said, her getting killed in the car, that's a thing that fans are going to notice and non-fans have no clue. Probably had no clue she's the nurse in the first one. But, but to do the big announcement of all these people, like, well, and maybe that's more for people that haven't seen the so original I was say or the just pe- watching the new trilogy. That's what I thought that was for is the people that don't know the fucks, like the new crowd, because they knew they were going to have new people well, coming I, to see it. I knew what was going on, so it fucking annoyed me. <laughs> and that's the I don't thing. need to be spoon fed this. <laughs> it always annoys the fans when something's spoon fed from a previous film because they have to make sure the new people know what's going on. Touche, but it's still too heavy handed. Um, and I have some qualms with this movie that I will do at the end unless okay. you open me a window. So, okay, I mean, okay. it's not like I'm completely defending it. J- jump right in there, man. Pretend you're, you're tagging in and we're just all good. We all got tested and we're just having a fun night. Um, anyways, where we were before the member berries. I don't remember. We're at the park. Yeah. Kids have been told to bail. Yep. And Mikey attacks the car. He gets Marion Chambers first because she runs out of ammo and gets stabbed in the chest. Yep. This is for Loomis. Then he stabs fucking hunky doctor in the eye. And I saw people shitting on this on the internet and they're saying it looks so fake and it looks weird and wrong and they're morons. It was was just shot. It was shot in reverse. Old school style. That's why everybody thinks it looks weird. Like, no, that's fucking cool. And I like it. I mean, I don't think people will realize you either have to have CGI or you have to use camera tricks. Like there's, there's not another way to do this. Anyways. Sexy nurse comes back blasting away with the desert eagle and the shape makes the best kill of the whole goddamn trilogy, in my opinion, (laughs) which is the most complained about kill I've ever seen on the internet of this trilogy, which makes me mad, dude. So he's in the car. She's walking up on it. The door's slightly open. She's walking up on the car, just fucking unloading. Yeah. Missing. I can't give her any props for that. And uh, she is trying to fire desert eagle. Yes. That has no recoil in the movie, but you know, movies, um, And fucking Mikey kicks the door at the exact right time for the door to hit her hand as she's committed to pulling the trigger and she blows her own fucking brains out. You don't expect it. Like, I did not see it coming at all. It happened so fucking fast. Now, me being the kind of fan I am, I giggle. Because you don't see a kill like that. Like, you you expect it and it never happens. And I'm actually really glad that you like it because there's a huge (laughs) group of people on the internet that are like, this was a gun control fucking narrative, blah, blah, blah. And you're a big gun guy, right? (laughs) And you think it was metal as fuck. (laughs) And there's people that are like, this was a message about gun control. People people probably shouldn't have a desert eagle if they don't know how to shoot it. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was fucking funny. You don't see that in a movie. Case in point, I don't have a desert eagle. I think it'd be pretty cool to have, but it's not fucking practical. <laughs> I have a friend that was in the military and he always tells a story about the being in the shooting range and somebody wanting to shoot the desert eagle and it, the the you know whoever was in charge is like that shit's fucking too much for you he's like no I got this and he hands it to him and he tries to shoot it one handed and the fucking <laughs> gun goes flying over his head like over his shoulder behind him <laughs> yeah that's why I don't own any like fucking 500 magnums or anything like that they actually make what what's commonly referred to as the baby eagle okay and it's a it's a desert eagle platform but it's nine millimeter okay it looks cool i've thought about getting one of those because the desert eagle pistol still shoots a 50 right yeah it's 50 
Okay, yep. okay. And it's fucking crazy. We always call them deagles in yes. the video games. Yes. So I, I know I'm from games. I'm not a big gun guy. I was going to call it the deagle in my notes, but I didn't know if people were going to get it. If they play Call of Duty, it's a deagle. <laughs> there you go. Anyways. <laughs> the beers are kicking in, guys. <laughs> Happy fucking Halloween. Sexy nurse is fucking iced. And Lindsay comes running back to the car with her bag of goodies because what was happening while Mikey was attacking the car, she's smart. She grabbed one of the trick-or-treaters fucking pillowcases of candy, dumped that shit out. Which the kid was smart using a fucking pillowcase for yes. candy. It's genius. Yes. Um, but they were dickheads for stealing the John's candy. Yep. But she's loading that fucker up with bricks. So she comes and starts beating the shit out of Mikey, but he quickly just grabs her by the throat, throws her to the ground. Good for her because this gives her a chance to run off into the woods and hide Lord of the Rings style. And it straight up reminds me of that shot from fucking Lord of the Rings where they're all hiding on the little bluff from the yeah, wraith. Yeah. Um, but anyways, back to the hospital again. Does evil die tonight at this hospital? Oh, almost, almost. So Lori wakes up. Thank God she survived because she was, she went into emergency surgery. So she got there. So she wakes up in her room. She has survived. The shape is dead. What a fucking Halloween. And then Hawkins is rolled into her room and, uh, <laughs> they chat about a kiss they had back in the day. Yep. Um, but just, she liked old Ben Tramer. Exactly. And we get that name drop. Um, is Ben Tramer Karen's dad? Probably. Probably. Or is Hawkins. Do, dun, they, dun, do dun. they just keep it a secret even when they're chatting about it? Um, I actually thought that was going to come back. Yeah, and, yeah. And it doesn't, but whatever. Um, I like that, like, he was sweet on her and he never got her because he didn't have the balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they kind of played into the rookie cop version of himself. Yes. Yes, totally. Because grown-up Hawkins is a badass. He ran <laughs> over the shape and he's like, let me blow this motherfucker's brains out. <laughs> so he's jump back over to the park. <laughs> Give my friend a double. Is that that part or later? Oh, that's about, that happens. I think that happens uh, as we're cutting away. I mean, back it's to not the park. important. I just, I like that. Just like, get my friend in. <laughs> and uh, back at the park, the, uh, the front line mob rolls up. The front line mob is what I call the, the Tommy Doyle mob. Okay. Because they're, they're there to fucking crack skulls and shit. And uh, do they do like a West Side story battle with the shape? <laughs> they do, man. It's so good. It goes on way too long. They but, wrap uh, the bandanas <laughs> and dance because it's, it's fucking beautiful. <laughs> And once they get there, they see the fucking fresh kills stacked up on the merry-go-round and hung from the swings and the fucking silver shamrock masks. But thankfully, they find Lindsay, who's still alive. And she's beat up a little fucking extra, I feel like. So either there's a deleted scene or he found her and thought she killed her and she still lived. Yeah, that, and I did notice that because she's just like hiding and heavy breathing and like, I'm going to survive, I'm going to survive. And then Allison finds her and she's like, holy shit, I got to help you. You can't move. Right. And something I really like about this film, and I'm sure you're going to go into more depth when it comes up in a minute, is that it really shows that Michael is just pure fucking evil that wants to kill, and he does not give a fuck about anybody from the first film. Like, he couldn't no. find her, and it's just quicker to walk across the bridge and go kill somebody else. Yep. Right? Like, okay, he probably didn't even know it's Lindsay. He'd have no way of knowing. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And, and some people... I've seen comments about that. It's like, he wouldn't know who she is, but he doesn't care. Like, he doesn't care who Lori is. He doesn't care about no. it. He might have even realized that was Lori. No. And the angle that this film goes, it everyone becomes completely irrelevant. Yeah, he's just like, oh, you're alive in the place that I wanted to kill people. <laughs> Time to die. <laughs> Damn, that's a one-track mind. He's crazy and pure evil. Makes sense. Speaking of evil. Um, Let's let it die tonight. Here we go. So... 
Did fr- you you had a kill count? Do you have an evil dies tonight count? Because there is one online. No, no, no. I just I just check out how I deal with it. Um. So they head back to the hospital, and most of the town and the police all converge there. Hospital goes on lockdown. Everybody knows it's fucking Michael Myers. He's killing people. We're all going to die. Because a lot of people are under the assumption that he's going to show up to kill Lori Strode. Yes. And that's what your average fan is thinking at this point. And I'm sorry, we could disagree, but Tommy gives what I think is a terribly written and delivered speech about how they're going to get Michael and he's not human and da, 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 da. And Brackett even chimes in and says, 40 years ago. He does, man. He does. We'll we'll disagree on it. I, I think there's a little bit of heavy handed shit in it, but I, I think overall the message of it is pretty good because he, the heavy handed parts are about the evil dies tonight and killing the, the, the thing, the boogeyman, oh, right? It's just the dialogue in general. But he has lines about the town being cursed and haunted by this boogeyman and the fear of this boogeyman and they can't fucking yeah. rest. I think all that's great. Okay. But the town's not cursed and in fear because- 30 minutes ago, they didn't know who the boogeyman was while they were talking about him at the bar. That's my problem. That is a problem because the third film, the town is in fear. Exactly. But the third film says four years ago, four, not 40, everyone. Um, So that makes a little bit more sense because this, if we take, what was the final count? 17. 17 plus 31. Yeah. That's a lot more than three. Plus three. Don't forget about the original three. They got to go in too. I have public education. I know that's a lot. But it's it's mainly the dialogue I have a problem with in all seriousness. He delivers Um, it well though. It's, well, as well as he could given the lines. Like it's, it's rough. Um, But the important part of the film is drunk people scared. Well, they learn about the horrors of 40 years ago. Yeah. Even I'm doing it now. Um, and now the shit's happening again in real time. Of course, this is going to cause a mob to be incited. There's no way around that. And I thought the mob made sense. Yes. But the timing of when this film came out, you had the gun control people bitching about the gun scene. <laughs> and then you had the other people talking about all the riots that we had nationwide yeah. here in the States. Yeah. And like, oh, this is... T- Social commentary on fucking riots. I'm like, I really don't think it is. Like, it's small town. We had a, everything I saw somebody bitch about in Halloween Kills, because this movie was fucking hated on Reddit. Yeah. Everything I saw somebody bitch about happened in a different Halloween film. Yeah, 100%. Like, the, the, there, there was a militia exactly like this one in Halloween 4. I have no problems with the actual core of the storyline here. It's totally chill with me. You just don't like Evil Dice tonight. I do. Well, I'm getting you a shirt. When they start when they start fucking chanting it, and that's what happens, because Tommy's like, Evil Dice tonight, and Brackett's like, Evil Dice tonight, and then 14 other people start going, Evil Dice tonight. It's too much. It's too much. I think if we had the body count, of all the other movies. Like if they would have kept like two or they would have kept like two, four, something like that. Right. <laughs> I think you and a lot of other people would appreciate it, but it doesn't make fucking sense with the body count of three people 40 years ago. man. <laughs> now the body counts 20, but speaking of 40 years ago. So now the mob is chanting, they're bloodthirsty and Tommy rushes to Lori and he tells her Michael Myers is still alive. That's some shitty fucking news for Lori. Yeah. Yeah. And he says that, uh, He's still killing, but that he's going to protect Lori. Right. Because 40 years ago, she protected him. <laughs> I, I did not catch the overuse of 40 years. It's and bad, if dude. it's that bad, I agree with you. But I did like the idea of Tommy felt like he needed to protect Lori because she protected him. That Her, was awesome again. I'm fine with that. Like, 
it's it's again you just don't like the dialogue. It's yeah. just the di- so all you he, like all yeah. the ideas. You just don't like the dialogue. Hundred percent. Okay. Hundred percent. Like okay. he could he could have totally just said said when I was little you protected me and now I'm going to protect you. Perfect. See that's all I remember there. <laughs> Like, I don't remember him saying anything outside of that. Wait till we get to the end of the movie. Man, wait till we get to the end of the movie. Just anyways. So anybody who's watching along, if you're an asshole like Josh, fast forward 30 minutes because you really don't miss anything. <laughs> I could fit what I wanted to say in here, but I think I'm going to save it till later. Okay. Don't forget about it, though. Because some of this shit's about to go off the rails. And I say this tongue in cheek a little bit, but the movie really does hit this there's this big buildup. The mob's ready. Mikey's been killing. All right, where are we going to go? We're going to go on a side quest. <laughs> yep. So uh, we're going to have some jumping back and forth. So I'm going to pull a Jesse and I'm going to explain one event at a time. <laughs> it works. It does. So staying in the hospital, Lori shoots herself up with pain meds because mm. she told the nurse, give him a double. She knows what's in the needle because Allison even comes in and she's, isn't it Allison? No, it's Karen. It's Karen. Yeah. You talking about the clothes? Yeah. She comes. Yeah. Cause she's like, oh, the bloody clothes. And Why like, would they leave that in here? And yeah. she puts it in the garbage can so Lori knows where her clothes are. Yep. And then she looks over at Lori who's injecting herself in the ass. And she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> but she's getting fucked up on pain meds because she's got staples in her stomach and shit. She she's got to go fight. fight. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm fine with this. Um, not the dialogue, but I'm fine with it. And because uh, dialogue. Because she tells Karen that uh, it's murder-suicide time because Michael Myers is coming back and maybe the only way to kill him is if she dies too. Yeah. That's just dumb. That's She could say that you're not going to stop me. I'm going to fight him even if it takes my life. There's so many different ways to have said that. The whole, I just don't. I can't. I disagree with you on it. That's part <laughs> of what this podcast is about, right? <laughs> because right now. She's in the mind frame that her and Michael Myers are linked and he is only on this rampage to get to her. Yes. And that's about to get resolved in a few seconds. So it's like it's it's character development. So she thinks she's tied to him because if we had the did she get the speech about how he transcends as he kills or is that I don't think that's that, happened yet. Maybe that happens that's when he end. transcends yeah. when he kills. But this is the thing. It's the dialogue when when she says, then let him take my head as I take his. It's just bad dialogue. That's like the you, way I wanted it to end, though. I, I'm okay with her making that point, though, because it's exactly like you said. She thinks they're linked. It's the only thing she's trying to make it make sense. And this is where she finds out the truth, right? I think it's Fix, right here. Fixing to. It's yeah. gonna, we got to go 30 minutes of chasing the wrong guy through the hospital. Um, but again, I'm fine with the idea. I just, oh, man, the dialogue kills me. But the umbrella dude makes his way into the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't remember his character's name. I'm sorry. I'm just calling Kmart him. Kmart Short at Josh Mikey. Short motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he makes his way to the hospital. And if you pay attention, there's people, you get a POV from him and there's people whispering like, hey, that's the guy they showed on TV. Right. Like to the people that are like, there's no way this would happen. I'm like, this is exactly how this happens. You take one person that's scared, you give them the wrong idea, and then they fucking run with it. It's the telephone game or the whisper game. Exactly. No, People don't understand that. Now, when Jamie Lee Curtis, she, uh, there's so many things I heard and read from her that she's like, January 6th, January 6th. Let's not put it on one event. Let's just put it on human fucking nature. Right. And that's what it was. January 6th, I think was what a lot of people were, yeah. were citing. And it's like. These are the guys that brought you Pineapple Express. Exactly. These are not, These are not going that they, Yeah, they don't give a fuck. These they the made guy. a fucking movie where Natalie Portman has a dick on a necklace around her neck from a Minotaur. They, right? Uh, they, they put someone in blackface. 
They friggin' said the catchphrase that became a meme of you never go full retard. Yep. These people are not that tied to that. Exactly. But the overarching theme of how easy it is to spin up a mob, that is very fucking important in this film. This it's also true. 100%. That's why militias exist, because it's so easy for this to happen. Exactly. Look, for anyone who doesn't know, war's breaking out in the fucking Middle East right now because people have their ideas and their ideologies and they can't be turned from them. And when you get put in a position of fear, you're easy to control. That's what the government does. They scare you and then they control you. Anyways. That's for the other podcast the, the Josh other is going to make me do one day. Um, I just want to do retro games, but <laughs> there's going to be tinfoil cap conspiracy theories at some point. But, and it, and it actually, the, I'm going to stay here for a minute because the point of the movie with that angle is this installment in a more serious note is the story of Haddonfield. Yeah. I think it's the story of the trilogy. The first movie is once again, Laurie and Michael Myers. This is Haddonfield and Michael Myers. And the third movie is, I don't fucking know what, and Michael Myers, but we'll get there. I hate you. (laughs) So deep and so good. I hate it. I hate it so much. Maybe you'll change me. I hate it. But anyways, so Josh Height, Michael Myers is in the hospital. Umbrella man, because you keep saying it and I keep thinking of Resident Evil, but it works. <laughs> it's not Wesker. I think it's a fucking penguin. <laughs> <laughs> he is he is very reminiscent uh to Tim Burton's Danny DeVito portrayal of he the is. penguin. And even Tommy fucking yells while all the whispering is going on that he thinks it's Michael Myers. The mob all gets worked up and they start to chase his ass down. He does though have a is it though? Like he he has that in that yes. scene. Yeah, yeah. Now Lori looks over and she's like, nope, nope, nope. nope. And no matter how much she yells, there's people running past her. She's trying to stop it. You're not going to stop the mob. Once the mob goes, the voice of reason, the voice of logic. I love all these undertones. And Karen's listening to her mom. It's important. Yeah. And what Karen has realized is she grew up being told all this shit's going to happen, grew out of it, became a weird fucking Karen about it, and then found out mom was right all along. Yeah. So she's fucking paying attention to mom by now. Um, But they're powerless to stop them. And it leads to him being cornered on an upper floor and Karen's trying to actually save yeah. him. She gets him behind a door and tries to lock it, but the mob comes around from both sides. He picks up a fucking fire extinguisher and you're like, fuck, he's a crazy escaped asylum dude. He's fixing to go full ham. No, he busts out a window and jumps to his death. And his fall is POV face first into the ground. And then we get a dramatic shot of his body face up disjointed. That really bothers me. Just wow, so. I didn't catch that either. Yeah, he falls fucking POV face first, and then the wide shot, he's face first, and then it shows fucking skull half off and fucking ripped off arm and shit on his back face up. Like, that bothers me. Anyways. Sorry, guys, this is the part I'm going to bitch the most about because we're fixing to go back at... No, nah, that's not true. We're gonna Which is going to be really funny when I get to my big thing I keep Don't talking about. Don't forget your big thing. So, Brackett sees the body outside. And he tells everyone, that's not fucking Michael Myers. Because 40 years ago... No, he doesn't say that, but we believe Brackett because we know Brackett saw the yeah. shit go down. I mean, his daughter got fucking murdered, right? Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Lori gets taken back to her room because she's fucking torn her stitches out trying to stop these people. Yeah. And uh, back in the room, Hawkins tells her it's all his fault. Because Lori's like, this is all my fault. He was coming for me, da 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 And uh, he's like, no, 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 no. That's my fault. Because... I shot a guy. Wait, wait, let's not tell her that. Let's tell her the other part. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and it goes back to 78 and he stopped Loomis from blowing Mikey's brains out. I mean, that's legitimately what it was. Um, Don't know that that would have killed him, but whatever. 
So uh, he also brings up that Michael used to stare out of his sister's bedroom window. Yep. And maybe he wasn't looking out. Maybe he was looking in on his own reflection. Um, the, you know, the monster he's become, da, 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 da. I'm okay with this. It's just, there's, this isn't bad. There's a little bit of rough dialogue here, but. Is like, this the part where she figures out that he didn't actually come hunt her down at her house? Exactly. She has the fucking aha moment and uh, it's like, holy shit, he wants to go home. Fuck. Remember the Johns? Back to the Johns. Because this has all been intercut with the Johns. I love the Johns. So uh, there's a knock at their front door. Nobody's there. Then the back door. Nobody's there. Because he's already listening to spooky music nope. getting high, right? And talking yes. about the honey. Yes. But <laughs> they're like, there better not be fucking trick-or-treaters this late. <laughs> I said the shit backwards. There's a knock at the back door and then the front door. And then when little John goes back in, he knows the back door is fucking open and there's a bloody handprint up kind of high. Yeah. And he's like, there's somebody in our house and it's not a kid. <laughs> and I really, I think we glossed over it. Did you talk about the silver shamrock kids pranking them and the fake razor blade and all that? Yes. But I, I did the whole short version of it that they just scared him off with the story of the boogeyman. Yeah. <clears throat> you know whose fucking house this is? I love that part. I, yep. I missed you saying that somehow. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, big John. Grabs a little knife. Little John grabs a big knife. <laughs> I love that. And they're and they're reversed size wise. Yes. And but he's got like his fucking Big John's got his pinky rings on and his fucking like Komodo like silk robe. And he grabs the cheese knife and he yes. looks vicious with that fucking thing. Though. He does. And they go to clear the house and they're like checking on each other. Big John. Little John. Marco Polo. I thought it was fucking yes, genius. It is great. And they clear the it. house pretty well. It's a well done scene. Until Michael Myers pops out and stabs Big John in the armpit and then gouges out his fucking eyes. And uh, he then ices Little John off camera and it sucks because like Little John finds Big John and he's like totally fucking distraught. Yeah. And then he sees Michael Myers and then we cut looking through the window because they're in that room uh, and and you see him and then the camera kind of pulls away a little bit and you don't see anything else. You just hear it. And uh, it's weird. Like. I, I like them. Um, it's weird going back and forth between the two things of just like happy couple home invasion and mob at the hospital. But I'm glad they're in the movie. <laughs> I just, I really like them. I'm going to do my sidebar rant now. Oh shit. Okay. It's coming in. There is a guy on the internet. I will ask his permission to link it. But if you Google <laughs> Halloween fan edit. Okay. Okay. He, I believe he is or was a editing film student. He took all three of these films and recut them together. And it's a two and a half hour long movie. I was going to make a joke about this at the end of this movie. Please go on. <laughs> I will link it to you because I own it. It's in my Google drive because you have to message him and he'll share the Google drive because okay. he doesn't want to get sued. Yeah. But there is actually a website specifically for fan edits of films. Okay. Cuts out the entire Umbrella Guy story. Doesn't exist. Okay. All the flashbacks happen in the first film. That makes a lot more sense. And there's just, there's things that are from different movies. Like, because, you know, uh, Halloween and Halloween Kills is the same night. Yeah. So it's spliced as one movie. Okay. And then you, it, it's just, it's fantastic. I have to see this. So if you Google it, you can find it. For Josh, I will share it. Okay. To him. I'm not going to share it. I will ask <laughs> the guy's permission if he's game, I'll share it to you all, but otherwise just Google it and find him and he will, he will send it to you. It really changed my view 
Oh, I, I, I won't even say that because I didn't really actually hate on these movies, but I had qualms with certain parts of the movies. Yeah. They're all removed because the scenes were removed for the most part. Okay. But it is a, uh, it's a fantastic edit. And my buddy David had not seen Halloween ends. Okay. And when I came over for movie night, he wanted a refresher on the first two because <laughs> he doesn't get to watch movies as often as we do. Right. And I said, boy, do I got something for you. And we watched this, like his version of the movie. And it's really awesome. And I said two and a half. It might be two, two hours, 45. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a lengthy movie. Yeah. But it's a brilliant cut. Okay. Because you don't need all the evil dies tonight. Like we know he's getting them out together. You don't need the crazy guy running around. The flashback should have been in the first film. Yep. <laughs> like, like it, it, it's really cool. And it's so well done. And like I said, I don't want to blow up this guy's fucking Gmail yeah. for a request without his permission. But look it up. You can find his post on Reddit. But it's, there's a lot of good bones here. I was going to say this for the end. There's a lot of good bones in this trilogy. A lot yeah. of seeds. A lot of good ideas. Cinematography, the shots, effects, all that's fucking all spot that's on. Director's phenomenal on that. Yes. There is uh, some pacing editing issues. And I, did David Gordon Green want to do a trilogy? I don't fucking know. Did he want to do <laughs> Halloween and they offered it to him as a trilogy? And he's like, I can do it or I cannot. Right? Let's just blame Jason Blum. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how this one. Was. I like to blame Malika Cod because usually <laughs> the Cods are responsible for fucking up anything good. I mean, it was like the end of eight. I loved H2O. And Michael died at the end. It was fantastic. The Akkads fucked it up. Yeah. So I don't know. And and sorry to sidebar you there. But yeah, it's, you can take these three movies and edit it and make one fantastic movie. And there's a chance I'm lying. And it's actually just Halloween 2018 and kills. Even that's clipped. fun. And I, I don't mean lying. Lying is the wrong word. There's a chance it's just the first two movies edited to a two and a half hour film. And okay. actually, I think that's more accurate. Okay. That still makes a lot of sense. I've been drinking and I'm on a rant. I'm pretty sure it's the first <laughs> two films are edited into one film because I think we watched that and then watched the, the third one. But I think you, you are the person that this edit's made for. <laughs> Sounds and like. I will get it to you. I will watch it. So like I said, I told the uh, Umbrella Guy story and the two Johns kills separately. But the way the film's cut, as Laurie and Hawkins discuss, holy shit, he wants to go home, Lonnie is figuring out he just wants to go home because he's got this map. Right. And he's like, he killed here, he killed here, he killed here. And right here, you got a big squirrel dick. Okay, actually, that's in the deleted scenes. It's an outtake, but it's funny because he's like pointing out different things on the map. He's like, this looks like this. This looks like a giant squirrel dick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways. So obviously, we're going to need to converge on the house. Um. So it's Lonnie, Cameron, and Allison start heading that way. While Karen and Tommy, armed with this info as well now, start to form a plan. We see Lonnie and crew hit the house. Lonnie goes in alone. And as soon as he goes in, the couple that's out in the car, here's a fucking gunshot. So they go in and fucking Cameron immediately spots Lonnie folded up in the fucking attic stairs. And Mikey pops out and he fucking goes to town on Cameron. Oh, yeah. And Allison steps in and tries to help, but she gets thrown down the stairs, breaking her leg in the process. Cameron gets stabbed, his head bashed, and his throat gouged on the fucking railing. That's brutal. And then <laughs> he's still alive <laughs> as the shape walks down the stairs and he's like, no, and snaps his fucking right. neck. <laughs> it's awesome. And somewhere in here, they found the John staged bodies where they're laying in this couple pose. Yes. From a like wedding photo or something they have where they're laying the same way. People complain about that on the internet. And I'm like, he stages bodies, people. Yes. 
I'm, I don't understand people love, having a problem with that. I love how it shows their body stage and the spooky music's playing on the record, and you see the picture, and you're like, he saw the picture, and he did it. The motherfucker pulled a tombstone out of a goddamn cemetery and put it in a bed. Mm-mm. And he has a sense of humor, too, because he walked around. I got your ghost, Bob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to remember all this. Anyways. And Lonnie being crunched up in the attic is kind of like, I don't remember which one of them is crushed up in the uh, little closet next yes. to the Judith Tombstone Annie bed, right? And Bob hanging. It's kind of a bit of both, yes. right? Yeah. I I'm, I bitch about a lot of things. I can't see people bitching about him staging bodies. I, I go back and forth on, like, so Lonnie not taking the kids in there is responsible. Yeah, as a parent, but it's also like the whole plan of the militia and sticking together and taking the two kids and him not taking backup that's armed. Yeah, was also a bad idea. Very much so. But I think he's just trying to protect Cameron. I, I guess it makes it human. I just, you know, it's Longfellow, man. He's not going to endanger kids. <laughs> if he ever, this could age badly if something bad ever came out about the guy. But right now it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so with Cameron's next step, Mikey heads the rest of the way down the stairs to get Allison. And uh, she's down at the open front door. And she starts to scream. Do it. Do it. Do it. But we see that she's not screaming at Mikey. She's screaming at her mom, who's right behind Mikey, with a fucking pitchfork from the yard decor that we've seen a couple of times earlier at the John's house. I think the John's actually threatened to kill the kids with the pitchfork. I think so. (laughs) Just to make sure you knew it was there. And so she stabs Mikey, and then she fucking curb stomps him on the stairs. And uh, (laughs) she then grabs his mask. And this is like, this is bullshit. This is fucking stupid. Why aren't you killing him? It's part of the plan. <laughs> they got a goddamn plan. You notice she's like a kid doing the bait. Yes. In both films. Yes. And it's like this was all planned when she was sub 12. 100%. <laughs> so she's fucking teasing Mikey and she's like, look, I'm a girl all alone and I got your mask. And it's not that cheesy. Like all the dialogue yeah. here is fine. She goes like, you want your fucking mask? Come and get it. Yes. That's about all to it. And people are like, why is he obsessed with the mask? Do you remember when Lori's fighting on the original one? It's the third actor to play Michael in that film. She pulls the mask off and he completely stops fighting her. Yeah. It's the the killer with the face of an angel or whatever. It's how John Carpenter said it. But, you know, like he makes sure he gets his mask pulled down before he goes after her because he's always been obsessed with covering his face. Yeah. It's his binky. Basically. Like, yeah. In all seriousness. I feel like he's stuck as a child. Yes. And that's covered in this film that, you know, that that's part of what Hawkins says is that it's the a six-year-old boy with uh in the body of a man with the strength of an animal or the mind of an animal or or something like that like it lays out the whole thing that we already know right right, right. That, that's where he's and that was something honestly that rob zombie had a pretty good grasp on too yeah 100 yeah. percent. that's the angle that, that whole his whole take comes from but she leads him to the tommy mob around the corner and uh bracket is there to give us the one good scare line yep and uh, that was the only heavy handed, cheesy throwback line to me in the movie. It, you were bothered by like 900 <laughs> of them. Apparently not that one. But that one got to me. No, no, no. Cause see, I still have it right here. Mm, more member berries. Okay. There we go. <laughs> that is the only one I have a, a problem with. <laughs> <laughs> and they go to town on him with all kinds of weapons. 
there is a lady there. So everybody has guns, knives, bats, things you'd expect, golf clubs. One lady <laughs> shows up, she starts yelling, talking shit, holding a fucking iron in her hand. <laughs> I shit you not. Go back. There's a lady that is there to fuck the shape up with an iron. And it makes me think of like uh, Star Wars again. Empire Strikes Back. Bespin Cloud said he's about to get nuked. Everybody's running. Dude's got his fucking ice cream maker, right? Like, And he's running. We got a lady with an iron, people. Home appliances for the win. <laughs> Didn't catch the iron, huh? <laughs> you will not. never see that scene the same way again. <laughs> I have to go watch it now. But they beat on him. They fucking shoot him. And eventually Karen stabs him in the back. He gets pretty fucked up right here. But he's also Michael fucking Myers. Yep. And this was never going to work. He turns the tables in what I noted as a terribly conceived artsy slow-mo kill montage. I liked it. <laughs> I, it's 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 too over the top. I'm fine with another John Wick firefighter scene. I don't like. The, I thought it was, but in slow mo, I, I don't like. I got to think about slow mo, man. In any well, movie, I got to think about slow mo. It just it takes me out of it. It reminds me I'm watching a movie. So the way I took it, and and you know, film is all about interpretation. Yes. The way I took it, he was not actually expecting the whole fucking town to team up against him. Like that was not a thought across his mind, and he got overwhelmed with overwhelming force. Right. Yeah. And then he gets back up and he knows what's going on. And these are people with irons and golf clubs and he's a killer. And he strategically starts taking them out because they start coming at him swinging and he just like steps to the side, slits your fucking throat. Like he becomes very methodic right here. And I cannot quote this, but I swear I saw an interview where David Gordon Green wanted him to be fucking jaws out for blood right here. Yeah, I'm okay with every bit of that. I just don't like the way it was shot. Okay. That's my own. That's my only qualm. Then um, now it starts off fucking awesome because he's just laying there and Brackett's yeah. leaning over him and he just reaches up and slits fucking Brackett's throat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he it's sad to see him go, but you you can see they're not scared to kill OGs. Oh, no. And I'm I'm totally fine with that. And he goes through some, what do you call them? Red shirts? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, we briefly touched on it and said we would hit it later. And I feel like that we have drunkenly blown past it. Okay. And it might be during the scene, but Lori gives a speech about how she thinks that he feeds off of fear and killing. And the more he kills, the more he transcends into something beyond human and becomes stronger as it goes. Yes. Her narration starts during these kills. Okay. Because, and then it's intercut with shots of her at the hospital while this is going on. And because that's what happens, right? Yes. Like he's getting up and he's getting stronger with each fucking kill. 100%. And that's going to be revisited in the third one. It's the only reason that I give it a pass and a fail, but we'll get there as far as his strength and him in the tunnels and shit. But, oh, uh, I know. It's in here. <laughs> but he eventually makes his way to fucking Tommy and ends up fucking him up with his own bat. Yep. And like you said, they're not scared to kill off main characters. We just lost Brackett and Tommy Doyle. What the fuck? There's an important part with that Tommy kill to you. Tommy, multiple times, as many times as you made fun of evil dies tonight in 40 years, multiple of his stops, he tells people that you can't be afraid of the boogeyman. You can't have fear. Never freeze in the face of the boogeyman. He says that multiple times in the movie. Yep. He goes face to face with the boogeyman and he fucking freezes yep. and doesn't swing the bat because he says he's going to come out swinging with that bat. And, and he when he it. got face to face, he froze <laughs> like he told everybody not to do. 
and he fucking died, showing him as only human, right? Yes. And if you want to talk the fucking social commentary angle on that one, remember the people that are telling you what to do and how to be and what to think, they ain't got the balls to do it. Like when they're telling you, you know, stand for this when it's a war and they wouldn't send their own fucking children there. <laughs> Anyways, I'm mad that we're in another conflict that we're knowing. We're not. No, the United States is funding both sides of this conflict again. Anyways, the point being there, even your fearless leader, when put to the test, usually fucking fails. Fight or flight. Yep. Except for Lori. But it, 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 I thought it was really neat because he really <laughs> focuses on don't freeze. And he freezed. Yep. And as sad as it was to see Tommy go, it was interesting to see him go from the advice that he illicitly like, was giving out, right? Yes. And like you said, Lori's laying it all out. She's like, this is, this is what he is. He's this unstoppable force that's just going to keep going and going and going. While we're watching... Karen, and I'm going to shit on this. I'm going to shit on this a little bit, too. Okay, good. Okay, Karen heads back to the house where she consoles Allison, who's there with the paramedics and, and the police. The yeah. And then she walks past all of them and goes upstairs to stare out the window. Like, it's finally over. I'm guessing she knows about the window story now because I don't, I don't think know. she was present for any of those talks. But she anyways, was not. She's staring out the window. Fucking the shape pops up behind her, slashes the bejesus out of her. And we're cutting back and forth to Lori staring at the, the glass window in the hospital room, finishing this monologue as it's zooming in on her. Fucking Karen's dead. The end. Unless you have my fucked up version of the disc, which I have a whole story to tell here. Okay. Um, <laughs> Can I just bitch about my qualm with the scene? It, but with, before going into the extended ending, because I got I to gotta talk about the extended ending. I saw the extended ending when they released it on YouTube. I don't actually remember it, but okay. I just, I don't know how he snuck around everybody and got back in the house without getting caught and got upstairs to her. Well, it gave credence to people's, it was a dream theory, that part, but it wasn't. And that's why I wrote it the way that I did. It pisses me off that he wouldn't have got past all of them. There's just no fucking way. I mean, could we have shown him killing some people to get to her? But I the guess there's a chance they're not watching the back door because they think he's dead. But we've also watched him... In all the movies, vamp in and out of interesting yeah. places, out of the hedges, out of the closets. I like, this is going to be so weird coming from me and the shit that I bitch about. I like the idea of, it's like video games. It's like leveling up. Like you said earlier, <laughs> he just did all these kills. He's back up. He's back strong, which also means he has his supernatural powers. I don't think he supernaturally teleports where I think you're, where where I think you're headed, I just, I feel like he's good at sneaking around because, I mean, if we're only going to go with the original movie, he had plenty of, I'm right here. Oh, yeah. I popped over here. You could say he teleported, but you could also say he was just very good at sneaking around. He's a, he's a good hide-and-seek player as a kid. But I, that's where I'm going with this. I don't think he just appeared. But at the same time, so take the narration that's happening right now. Uh-huh. And it, that he's not human that he just exists as the fear. He is the embodiment yeah. of evil. Mm -hmm. Blackest eyes. Um, the blackest eyes. <laughs> I'm out of all the bullshit in this movie. I am totally okay with him just appearing in that room and having the power to do that. I don't think it's something he can do on a whim, <laughs> but, but that's the thing. I don't think it's something he can do on a whim. I think there are certain times that he's strong enough to do it. If, it's like getting fucking spiritual here. If the victim 
is in enough fear. Kind of like the, if you're open to possession, that's the only way to be possessed. Right. Like, and like in all seriousness, I could have handled it going this deep yeah. and explaining it in the third Mm-mm. film. It, that would have been Halloween six again. I'm okay with that being done correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I think of an overkill. I obviously, so one of my qualms is David Gordon Green said his Michael Myers was human and not supernatural. He doesn't say that in the commentary. He said it when the first film came out. He, he says something. I'm just saying in the commentary for I kills, know. he says something else. I'm just going. So I'm going from that. Okay. Obviously supernatural because he took a severe amount of damage from the iron mob and got back up. The iron right? mob. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so obviously he's somewhat supernatural. Teleporting would piss me off. I more think, so they're sitting on the porch of the Myers house with the police and the ambulances, right? Okay. And he ran, let's say that's north facing. The mob is two blocks over to the north. Myers ran that way. Karen saw him go down. She thinks he's dead. Yeah. Even if he gets back up, he's still two blocks that way. They might not even be watching the back fucking door. Yeah. That's one thing because I'm fine with that too. I feel like David Gordon Green's really good at throwing the props in, like the pitchfork joke. I'll shove this pitchfork up your ass or whatever he says, right? (laughs) Like, I feel like he's good at letting you know that. And they make a really big point about the back door twice. Yeah. With the big Johns, little Johns. If the police, who are probably slim pickings right now, there's murders everywhere, right? <laughs> no firefighters to help because they're all yeah. dead, right? <laughs> they're focusing on the perimeter of this yard and to the north, as I put it, because that's where Myers went. Yeah. He's not to the south. Nobody's watching the back door, just like the Johns weren't watching the back door. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine. I, I, I think he just walked in the I fucking just, back door. I don't think he teleported. No, that's I, this is me longing for something more that I thought I was going to get in the third. This film. is Josh drunk on Twisted Tea. Is what this is. No, 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 no. Wait, wait till the wait till the end of the next movie. Then you'll hear Josh drunk on Twisted Tea. We will probably argue for half an hour on the next film. But I got to talk about the extended ending. Yes, please, because it gets brought up in the commentary, and I'm like, oh wow, like I got to look this up because there were. Uh, Quite a few deleted scenes, I think. So here's what's fucked up. So on the menu of my movie, I go back to the main menu. I go to extended cut and I go to the end of the movie. The timeline in the bottom of the media player shows it's four minutes longer. Cool. I watched the exact same ending that I just watched twice. Huh. Once watching the movie and once doing my notes. And I'm like, well, this is odd. So I start Googling it. Watch it on YouTube. This is the same ending I've already seen. Really fucked up. So, and I'm going to explain the extended ending here because it's terrible and I'm so glad it wasn't used, but my version of the disc, I can click theatrical version, go to the end of the movie and it plays the theatrical ending, rewind it and it plays the extended cut ending. Huh. But if I let it play from the beginning on the theatrical cut, it plays the extended cut ending. I don't know if it's my disc. I don't know if it's a run of discs, but I was very fucking confused with yeah. everything I was finding was, what do you mean extended ending? This is the same goddamn thing. Here's what happens in the extended ending. It's very brief. So right after Karen gets iced, we see Lori calling Karen's cell phone from yeah. the hospital. And Mikey answers the phone and he's just breathing into it. I'm coming for you, Michael. And then we get, I'm just so glad it's not here. Um, Then we get Lori dropping the receiver or the phone 
because it's a handset. She drops a handset. That's what I'm looking for. Landline. And uh, <laughs> and she goes marching out of the hospital, knife in hand, and we get a straight up 100% Rob Zombie quick zoom in on the knife freeze credits. I liked it. <laughs> I I don't like the the happenstance of that's when she calls Karen, but it's also at the end of the monologue, da-da-da-da-da. It's too much. It's too much. Kill Karen. Let, let me watch three main characters, just <laughs> credits. Like, I'm fine with that. Um, I like the extended ending. I understand why it was cut, because they might have realized where they were going to go with the third film yeah. and how they wanted Lori to act. And she wouldn't act that way with that ending, right? No, no, no. Not if she would. If we left off with her on a mission to fucking kill him, and she's fucking Holly Homemaker in the next movie, that Martha would, Stewart, as I refer to oh, her in my okay. notes. Other than the fact she's not getting high with Snoop. Now, <laughs> I do have a couple of notes. Um, Go ahead. I get that it's the second act flick. Sophomore so flicks are always bad, right? Um, or worse. Let's not say bad. Well, let's say worse. It's supposed to end on a downer but this is no Empire Strikes Back. Um, Empire Strikes Back, people regularly cite as the only film in history that's a trilogy and didn't have a sophomore slump thing. <laughs> I mean, it's regularly... I love that movie. <laughs> well, it, it's most people's favorite Star Wars yeah. film. And it's like one of the most successful ones. But Empire Strikes Back is regularly cited as being like the only trilogy to not have a sophomore slump. Yeah. And... Slightly debatable, but what's not debatable is that it being like the best one of the trilogy. Yeah. So. Like I said, I, I, I warned everyone I was going to praise the highs and I was going to shit on the lows. Um, I, all the ideas, the idea guy of this film, I'm fine with all of it. Um, there's too much fat. There's some bad dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, the super cut of the first two. And that was one of my things. Like this feels like it should all be part of the first film or all be part of the third film. It's like not enough to yeah. be its own thing middle thing it has to be hard to do two films of the same night right yes yeah there's that um i love hyper violent michael myers like he in, kills and yeah, yeah he kills it's the name of the fucking movie um i love having the balls to kill main characters at the end it set my brain in the path of where do we go you know the first movie was laurie's story this movie is the town story what happens next? And I, I really didn't know where to go next. Like yeah. I was scared, like legitimately scared, like where, how, where and how. Now I'm terrified, like Terrifier 3, like what the fuck are you going to do? Not, <laughs> I wasn't that kind of scared with this. I'm like, I think, I think I understand this idea. I think I understand that idea, but how are we going to get there? And to find out how we're going to get there, we have to jump one year ahead to 2022 and Halloween ends. Which is actually four years ahead, chronologically. Yes. I just want to preface this with, <laughs> we had debated on Halloween ends being its own episode. Because nowadays we do two films an episode. We're trying to get our runtime down. And this is not the way to do it. <laughs> and this is not the way to do it, while still providing interesting episodes. We were making good time. So I decided to keep it on here, and I don't want to cheat you guys out, but... I hate that I'm covering Halloween ends intoxicated. I will say right now <laughs> because when I want to do it as a separate episode, I was going to do it sober because I think this is a very deep film and I, I'm going to use the old Jesse term in a vacuum. This is the best one of the three. Oh my God. The tie ends get a little fucky. That's the problem. <laughs> the way things are set up and the way they roll and don't resolve properly is the problem. I see studio or IP owner intervention. Okay. In there. And I just, I just want to preface it with that. 
But Halloween ends. We got to end the trilogy here. Directed by David Gordon Green. We're not going over his shit, but you're too late because the fucking has already begun. Just remember that. <laughs> Writer, David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, but also Paul Brad Logan and Chris Bernier. And when I saw this movie open and weekend in theaters, I was like, oh shit, they had to call script doctors in. Nah. These guys have almost no fucking working credits. Uh-oh. So I don't. If they were script doctors, I don't know where the fuck they came from. I didn't know they had almost no working credits. I, I didn't even note them. That's the thing. That's how, how little they had until <laughs> I looked it up like two days ago. Okay. Right? But seeing it, I thought it was script doctors. Probably was, but I don't know where you pull these fucking guys from. <laughs> I do want to say when I saw this film, as I said last year on the podcast, I turned 40. And for my 40th birthday present, I wanted to go see Halloween Horror Nights for the first time in my life while it was super Halloween themed for Michael Myers. Yeah. That's the same weekend this movie came out. So oh, okay. I saw this in Orlando at their giant fucking AMC. Theater. Oh, at City Walk. Okay. Yeah, at City Walk. Thank you. And my wife normally would not have gone and seen this with me because Halloween 2018 fucked her up enough. <laughs> but it was my 40th birthday, so she had to. So... The mood, you got to understand the mood I was in. Okay. I want to see something like my, I just turned 40. I got to go to Halloween Horror Nights. I get to see the new fucking Michael Myers movie. And it's the last one in the trilogy. All like one fucking glorious, like three day vacation. It's right? a long orgasm. It's, it's a great <laughs> orgasm. Um, but yeah, so I saw the, I saw those names pop up and I'm like, fuck script doctors. That's the first thing I thought. Right. But I, I really don't know what the fuck these guys are. Somebody, David Gordon Green, if you're listening, Danny McBride. <laughs> I don't even smoke weed, but if you want to smoke a bowl and tell us these stories, <laughs> I'll smoke a bowl. But where the fuck do these guys come from? Anyways, our cast, I'm really, I, I haven't notated. I'm not going to go through Jamie Lee Curtis, Andy Matichak, and James Jude Courtney again. But Rowan Campbell is the new character, is Corey. Yep. And uh, he had random TV parts before this, and he's now. I think it's Frank Hardy on the Hardy Boys show, and he's like two, three seasons in, right? Okay. So that's his, that's his big role he got from doing this. I'm assuming it's like a CW type thing, right? On the WB. He's fucking greatness, uh, I yep. feel like, and I really like his character, and he is one of the, well, when the movie first came out, he was one of the most shit on things about it. And I'll go into that a little bit, right? Like, it's this, this is going to be so weird. So we were going to make this film its own episode because we have a feeling that I'm going to cover the movie briefly and we're going to talk for longer than the rest of the episode right and i, th I think it's a possibility i'm going to try to be good i do want to say that what's his nuts uh, his acting is fucking fine yeah like the i don't understand people shitting on him that's fucked up and there's some things that i partially agreed with at launch or release of the film okay that i disagreed with on further watchings but i'll try to there's gonna be a lot of jesse's opinion on this one because i think this is a masterful fucking film well, I'm going to do my best to keep my fucking mouth shut because I, I don't want to suck up time. I'm going to do my damnedest to wait till the end because I'm just going to preface it in case nobody has noticed already. I am not a fan of this film. I'm a fan of some of the violence in this film <laughs> as far as the way it's shot, lit, edited. Fine with all of that. But I'm going to do I, I shat on my movie a lot. I'm not going to do you a disservice and shit on your movie. I'm going to try to be quiet. If you have commentary that will provide like director's commentary that will provide further insight on something that I say, do it because I purposefully did not go down like the YouTube route on okay. this because I want to read the book from David Gordon Green's words after he's not in contract to make these films to, okay. to, to hear it. So, so if you have something to provide, just go ahead and do it. 
my little tidbit section. Once again, I couldn't get a hold of the commentary. Josh apparently could. I'll hit you guys up after I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first Blumhouse movie to have the shape incorporated in the Blumhouse logo. Oh, yeah. He's looking through the window yeah. from outside the house and seeing that in theaters. I was fucking pumped from the get go. Right Dickard. Blumhouse only had the rights to make three films with no negotiation clause or anything. So it immediately reverted back to Malika Cod after this. Okay. David Gordon Green wanted to make this trilogy in homage to the work of John Carpenter and do everything he could for that. He wanted to make sure he had hard references in there and throw in as many Easter eggs as he could. And I saw several interviews about that, but there's one thing I never once saw him mention. Okay. This movie is an homage to fucking John Carpenter's Christine. He is Arnie Cunningham from the start to finish. His last name's even fucking Cunningham in the movie. That tracks. Watch this movie again and think about Christine while you're watching it. So watch this. I'm not, I'm being serious when I say this. Watch this movie in a vacuum. Yeah. It feels like Christine. Like, like I feel like David Gordon Green, when he is remaking a horror movie, he watches it over and over and over again. And he like understands like on a deeper level than I'll ever understand, like the art style, the thought process, the camera angle. Like he know, like I'll notice the camera angles and the lighting, but he knows why they did it. Yeah. Like, I feel like he's that guy. And I feel like when he was writing this, he wanted this one or even the directing from the, from the screenplays. He wanted this one to feel like Christine. I that feel very like very interesting. Okay. And the fact that his last name's fucking Cunningham. Yeah. 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 Never saw him say it. All I thought was Sean Cunningham. <laughs> but if, if you, if you watch Corey's progression through this film, like the way he loses the glasses, he gets cocky, he starts dressing different. Yeah. No, no, I totally, I watched it again this morning, so I totally fucking see it. And I made some joke on the last episode about how I tried to watch Christine with my friend David, and I was like, we neither one of us got into it. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. I love Christine, right? So just keep that in mind. And if, if, I want everyone who has weird thoughts about this movie to think of Christine and go back and rewatch it. <laughs> Anyways, Corey Cunningham is a alliterative name, like Michael Myers. Okay. Also, Arnie Cunningham, like I said earlier. And uh, I just want to say there's no shape or Myers in this film for 38 minutes. Well, the movie's like three hours long, so that's okay. It's like 245. It's not that bad. But I definitely noticed in the movie, I'm like looking at my watch in the theater. So where the fuck? (laughs) And anyone who goes to City Walk to see a movie and you see the special advertised, like special balcony seats, do not fucking get them. It's an Atmos movie. Okay. None of the Atmos speakers or anything is in the balcony. You just uh, have a set of stereo speakers pointed at you. Oh, lame. And that's how I saw it. Oh, I was sucks. so mad because I'm like, this is my 40th birthday. This is the last fucking Halloween movie of this trilogy. And I had to watch it like I was basically watching it on a computer at home. <laughs> anyway, close. We open up with a happy-go-lucky college kid named Corey riding his bicycle up to a large house in Haddonfield to babysit a kid named Jeremy. We get a sense that the dad is a bit goofy really close to Corey, knows him well. And the mom's like, just kind of like super serious and kind of in her own thing. Kind of like how Karen was in the first one. Right. And Jeremy may or may not be a little shit. The mom goes looking for Jeremy to leave. He jumps out and scares her in like a fucking werewolf mask or something. Right. Yup. The mom pulls Corey aside and she leaves her number and says the Halloween party we're going to is just down the street. Call me if you need anything. And I want to let you know, that after the events of last year, so right now we're just a year past. Yes. The events of the past two films. He's afraid of the dark. He has nightmares and he wets the bed, right? 
Thanks for dropping that shit on me after I'm already here to do the job, lady. Right. Because we find out he's the kid that cuts their yard to save money for college. Yep. Right. So we get the idea he just wants to get out of Haddonfield right from the get-go, right? The mom says to not let him watch any TV, and he's not allowed to have any more candy, and away the parents go. It's Halloween. We're going to have a good time tonight. So Corey follows instructions and does the right thing and watches John Carpenter's The Thing with Jeremy while munching on lots of candy. This makes sense. (laughs) And this is just like Lori watching the original The Thing that John Carpenter remade. Yep. Right? So it's another another Easter egg in there, right? Jeremy starts being a little shit and talking shit and talking about, you know, how Corey's the worst babysitter and blah, blah, blah. And like, what dude would be a babysitter? And Myers is going to come in and get you. And I think Corey says something smart back. And he's like, I want you to remember that Michael Myers kills the babysitters, not the kids. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't watch the last film or the first that- one, at least, right? This little shit was just hoping for a babysitter that he might see some side boob, and that's not what he's getting. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) A little cleavage. Yup. Tennis shorts, something, right? (laughs) Anyways, Corey naturally needs a beer after the shit talk from the small child, and um, he goes to the fridge, grabs the beer out, stares at it, and decides to be the good guy, and puts the beer back and grabs the chocolate milk to eat a piece of the cake that the mom baked and offered him, right? Which has a giant knife next to it. He hears a loud bang and drops everything and runs into the living room to find it ransacked and the front doors open. Ta-da-da. Wind and leaves blowing in, right? Corey freaks out a bit, starts to look for Jeremy. He thinks he's playing hide and seek because earlier he's like, let's play hide and seek. He's like, fuck hide and seek, you bitch. And he said something like <laughs> That's that. That's a right? baby's game, yeah, you yeah. cocksucker. <laughs> and uh, he starts to panic. And when he goes in the kitchen looking for Jeremy, he realizes the kitchen knife is missing, right? He then hears banging upstairs and Jeremy start yelling for help. He heads up there and he finds the kitchen knife on the stairwell on the way up and he grabs it and he goes up and he thinks he heard the sounds from the attic. It's like a walk-in attic. Yep. So he goes in there to find the kid. The little shit then slams the door and locks it from the outside. Why the fuck you can lock this attic from the outside? I don't know, (laughs) but that happens in horror movies all the time. It does. And the kid starts yelling, he's going to get you. He's going to get you. Another nice Easter egg, right? We see the parents pull up to their house as Corey starts to freak out in the attic and he wants out of there. It's a little bit like he's claustrophobic a bit, right? Yes. And he's grabbing the handle. He's turning. He's yanking. He starts screaming, let me out, please. Then he starts getting angry and he starts kicking on the door, right? Yup. We see the parents get out of the car and start to walk in the door and start talking and they can hear the commotion upstairs. And I think they hear Corey say like, I'm going to fucking kill you or something like that. Yes. The cinematography here is beautiful because the mom turns to the dad and we're looking at her from like straight on. And she's like, did you hear that? And then you just see the kid fucking fall in a splatter of blood. Yes. Because they have this like spiraled Resident Evil style staircase. The mom, <laughs> there was a cool cinematography shot where the mom looked up. Yes. Looking for the kid and the camera shot down. So it did that, right? No, it's awesome. I'm not fucking, I, yeah, give it to me. I'm loving it so far. <laughs> and if I didn't explain it properly, we do see him kick the door really yes. hard and it opens and like it hits the kid knocks him over the ledge yeah when the mom sees her dead son on the ground she looks up and Corey's standing over the edge with a butcher knife in his hand right looks fucked up opening credits let's go this time the opening credits is a pumpkin hatching out of a pumpkin over and over <laughs> again continually making me think that maybe they have the balls to give us a new shape being reborn in this film or not that's gonna be a sticking point for me on this Daniel Harris well originally but not now it wouldn't work (laughs) we then get a voiceover of Lori speaking of the events from the 70s and the previous events from the first two films 
And we get a visual update of everything as Lori tells the story, and we find out that Karen did, in fact, die. It was not a dream sequence like people guessed, right? (laughs) We find out the town has been basically in a downward spiral ever since the Myers massacre recently. And the mill closed. I'm going to call it a massacre, though, because there's a lot of bodies. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. yeah, More than three. There's been lots of paranoia, people missing. His house got demoed because they thought that would be safe, which you never hear that in a movie either. It's like, why is the fucking haunted house always still there? They fucking demoed it, right? <laughs> Every time somebody gets murdered, we see like some a couple shot in the head, right? Like at, at like a makeout point. And they're like, maybe it was Myers. Like Myers doesn't shoot people, right? Yeah. So like the town's definitely in fear. And an important thing to see here is there is a woman hanging from a noose in a Dracula cape and it's Oscar's mom that popped up in Halloween Kills to check on Oscar wearing Oscar's Halloween costume. So she has now killed herself in depression from the events, right? Yeah, it did show her like looking for him and grieving when she sees his body uh, laid out. I left that out. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, I got it. We then see Lori, who kind of looks like Martha Stewart now. And... She's trying to heal. She's bought a home in the Burbs for her and Allison. She now decorates for Halloween, makes pumpkin pie, and she's currently writing a book. Well, she burns pumpkin pie. We'll get there. (laughs) We find out that it's been four years since the events of the first two films, three years from the opening scene, right? Yep. And the voiceover is from her typing pages in her book called Stalker's saviors and sam hain once again a throwback because of a deleted scene where sam hain's written on the wall and michael's room from where he escaped in the first film okay this is something that i have a huge problem with in this film (laughs) okay michael killed three people when she was like 16 or 17 got arrested and locked up and was incarcerated and she knew where he was the whole time and she became a crazy fucking doomsday prepper for 40 years right yeah 40 years, as you pointed out. Yeah, yeah. He then breaks out, drops 17 people. And that's just my movie. I forgot to notate yours. Plus what? <laughs> 31. So he's now dropped 48 people. There you go. Right? Oh, plus the original three. 51 yeah, yeah. people. He has killed 51 people. Is on the loose and nobody knows where he's at. She's not crazy anymore. She lives in the burbs. She decorates for Halloween. She celebrates Halloween. What the fuck? Go ahead. Okay. So in the monologue that's at the end of kills she's talking about the whole thing of fear fear is the boogeyman right and tommy doyle goes on about it throughout yeah, the whole yeah. damn film i'm totally okay with her going the living in fear is what allowed him to come back okay and the it, it's the fucking uh west craven cop out turn your back on the evil and it loses his power that's what i think okay. she's trying to do with everything that i just said being said this version of Lori is what i would have expected in in halloween 2018 now that I agree with too. <laughs> this is Lori 40 years later to me from the first one. Okay. okay. So I feel like they walked the line and went both ways. Kind of. Yeah. And you have to wonder studio intervention on her personality at some point. And he got it both ways. Eh. I don't know. I might be defending him too much, but there's too much good shit in here for random shit like that. Yeah. Anyways, first rants out because <laughs> that is the first. But while we can see that she is what you would expect Lori from the first film to look like as the perfect grandma, she is not because she burns the shit out of the pumpkin pie we saw her cooking and F-bombs a lot right here, right? Yes. It's a pretty funny scene. We can see that Allison is now a nurse and that she does not want to go to some Halloween costume party that Lori is insisting that she gets a costume and go to. I still think it's weird that she celebrates Halloween no matter which version of Lori you went with, though. Skip it and go to Christmas. Well, but can't can't live in fear. I'm gonna hold on that. 
<laughs> and I don't remember if they say it right there. I, I think they do. I think she calls it Lindsay's party, but it's because Lindsay, I'm assuming owns mix, but Lindsay owns a bar now. And that's where the Halloween party is yeah. going to take place. Right. So we now know that it's once again, Halloween, Halloween. in Haddonfield, right? We cut to Corey and we can see that he has not had as good of a recovery as all of our other previous characters. <laughs> and he would be 25 now because they say something about him being 21 when he babysits. Okay. So I just kind of want to put that in a reference. He's still riding a bicycle. He looks like a fucking hot mess and he's really insecure about himself. Yup. And he dresses like Arnie and has glasses. Just saying. <laughs> but he's nothing of the kid that we saw in the, the beginning of the film, right? Yeah. We see that he works at a mechanic shop for his mom's boyfriend, Ronald. And Ronald is really nice to him. I want to point that out. Like, Ronald's a good guy to him. And he, he likes Ronald, right? I was good to you, Mikey. <laughs> Ronald gives him a motorcycle. He says it runs, but it's kind of shitty. And uh, he's like, maybe with this, you can actually get to work on time, right? <laughs> so he's really happy to get this gift from Ronald. David Gordon Green, make of this what you will, okay. had Andy go work with nurses at a med center and Rowan go work at a mechanic shop so they could actually get the vibe to act the scenes out well. Okay. I don't feel like either one of them did enough of it. No. Well, it was merited. <laughs> I mean, Allison's bedside manner in a little bit when she's doing a little bit of work on his hand, she's doing a good job of talking while cleaning it out. I yeah. guess that is kind of how nurses act. And nowhere does Rowan do anything that I think looks weird when he's working on a car or motorcycle. So maybe it did pay off, but yeah. it's just like, it's it's a weird thing to me, like to to... You know, like, yeah, I sent them off for training. And it's like, they don't really do a whole lot of that. Yeah, they don't have to get that deep into their jobs. But there's Josh's out there that it would have been like, that is not what you would have checked on that car. Okay? Oh, we'll get there. Oh, shit, does that come out in this? <laughs> it's going to. I have one. Oh, I have fuck. a mechanic qualm with this fucking film. Oh, my God. The extra training did not pay off, apparently. <laughs> but we cut to Allison driving to work, and she's pulled over by Officer Dulaney that appears to be a douche. And we find out he used to date her, right? He lets her know that her muffler's falling off of her car and she might want to get that fixed. And he is, there's a lot of flashes in this movie, but if you pay attention, when Corey gets arrested at the beginning, he's the cop that arrested Corey and put him in the backseat of the car. Oh, okay. So they got a little bit of a connection there. I did think he looked like really old to be dating her. Yes. And then I pulled up his IMDb to check and every picture of him, like his like posing ones and all of his other films, he looks like he's way younger than us and her age. Really? He's skinnier and all those, but I feel like they accidentally aged him up in that movie. <laughs> I mean, he looks like he's like 30 or something at most on his IMDb. I, I thought he looked old enough to be her dad. And I know, I know. So did I. And I was like, it's kind of weird. They went that route and I, I pulled him up, but he, he doesn't look that old on his IMDb. I just told myself that like her dad just got iced. Maybe she's got daddy issues now, which could be accurate. That could be what they wanted to do when they gave him weird hair and made him look older or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Could just be the weight. He's a little heavier in this movie than those pictures, and we both know <laughs> weight ages you. <laughs> but I should say that she is pulled over on an overpass that has a Willie the Kid billboard, who is the local radio DJ that we have now heard three times in the film. Yep. I didn't point out. But he's constantly talking about the boogeyman being taken down and getting back up and being out there somewhere. <laughs> This is the fucking town that dreaded sundown now. Pretty much, yeah. Under this overpass is a hobo with a shopping cart and the POV of something stalking him from a sewer tunnel. It's Pennywise the Clown. Possibly. <laughs> with the way this shit goes down. 
We then cut to the hobo digging through the trash at a mini mart where Corey buys himself some chocolate milk and he tries to peacefully leave when these douchebag teenagers pull up in their marching band outfits and try to get Corey to buy him some beer, which he won't do because he's a good kid, right? He says no, and they start to bully him. Yes, I just said the marching band kids bullied the 25-year-old. This had to be a Danny McBride joke, right? I hope so, but what I'm trying not to die over here right now, guys, that y'all don't see that I see is this section is titled in in the notes as one time at band camp, and that's fucking (laughs) funny as shit. You guys have never seen my notes, but I break them down in outline form and I do like sections to find my place really quick and I name them with what I think is appropriate. And uh, Josh fucking loves them. They just don't always make it onto the episode due to editing, but I'll keep this one. But traditionally, these would have been like the football team or the basketball team. Yeah. Right. So that's why I feel like it's a Danny McBride joke to make them the marching band. Exactly. I'm okay with it. Anyways, they start to call him a child killer and a pedophile, and he starts to get angry, and he squeezes his bottle of Yoo-Hoo, shattering it in his hand, and it splashes chocolate milk all over the band leader guy, but he cuts his hand. The douche band guy then pushes him over, making him fall hands down, or a hand down, into the shattered glass, eviscerating his hand even worse, and the kids start to fuck with him some more, and Lori shows up and tells them all to fuck off. Hey guys, would you look at this? I mean, a psycho meets a freak show. Wow. This is a match made in heaven. So they fuck off, and Lori helps Corey up off the ground, and he wants to know if he's the psycho or the freak show, right? Yes. She then hands him a switchblade, looks at the douche's car, and says, do you want to do it, or do you want me to do it, right? He then goes and slashes all of the tires, or the tires in the car. Yup. And the car is a convertible that's the same color to match the convertible from either Halloween 4 or 5. I don't remember. No shit. Yeah, it's another throwback in there. So, in in non-Josh fashion, and I know you're going to get there, but is this supposed to be like the first setup? I know the cut hand is a setup for what's going to happen or something we're supposed to pay attention to throughout the movie. You know in Donnie Darko, when they're doing the fucking Patrick Swayze love and fear bullshit? Yeah. Okay, Do you think the whole, here's the knife, are you going to do it? Or am I, I'm trying to tie this into my theory from the previous film. um, And that's not lost on me. Do you think this is the first act of opening the door to allow what's about to ensue? Because this is very out of character to me for Lori. I don't think it's out of character for Lori 2018. I think this is Lori 2018 with Martha Stewart, Lori. So it's, She's serious and violent, but now with a sense of humor. Okay. So don't be a doormat. Stand up for yourself. Exactly. They deserve it. It's not, it's not over the top. This is, there's fuck actu- around and find out. Right. There's actually a, another important thing to catch here. And it, it goes back to something that one of the last lines Corey says in the film. Okay. When he's like, you brought me into this. You started all this. You handed me the knife. Yes. Right. Like, yes, like, that's it, why I wanted to bring this up here. But there's something that almost nobody has ever fucking caught watching this movie that I'm going to point out in a little bit. You probably haven't even caught it unless okay. it was in the commentary. I didn't listen to the commentary. I was a good boy. I okay, just seen okay. it on there. Mind blown when I tell you. And there was, there was shape and Corey before all of this. Okay. The main thing I want to point out, because I feel like this is kind of important. Out of the four band kids, three of them are fucking assholes to Corey. There is one girl that is trying to stop them the whole time. And she's mostly nice to him. Like she even checks on him when he's on the ground and she's trying to help him up when Lori shows up. Oh, but basically shrink down what Josh said earlier, fuck with Lori Strode and you're going to get fucked up. 
Just okay. like the lady said with the drone, right? Yes. <laughs> you don't mess with Lori Strode. That's why I don't think it's out of character because even that lady was like, yeah, you don't fuck with Lori Strode. Lori and Corey show up at Allison's clinic to get them stitched up, and we meet another nurse named Deb, and she's trying to talk Allison into going to the costume party, right? Right before they walk in. In the room, the doc says he's definitely going to need stitches, but he's going to need the nurse to clean his hand up first. And Allison walks in, and Corey starts to check her out, and the doc says, she's cute, huh? And he, like, pokes at the, the wound. And it makes uh, Corey, like, involuntarily kick, and he knocks over all of the sterile tools on the table, which the doctor then begins to go off and berate Allison for, like, it's her fucking fault, and tells her that he needs a fucking sterile operating room, and he leaves. And Corey tells Allison that she should not let anyone talk to her like that. Goes back to your doormat thing. Yeah. Because we're going to find out that Corey's been treated like a doormat for three years. Yep. Right. And this doctor's an asshole and a piece of shit. And he's an asshole and a piece of shit. <laughs> he's going to get what's coming to him. Well, I mean, this, the way he is with the other girl, he's a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But Allison cleans out his hand while talking to him to keep him distracted. And that's what I was talking about, right? Like the bedside manner. Like, yeah. I don't know if you've ever had to get anything stitched up or like they know you don't like a shot or something. Like they talk to you about some bullshit and you don't even notice it happened. They're right? supposed to. I understand that. But unfortunately, my entire life with injuries, I get an old man that's old school <laughs> and just tells me to bite something and deal with it. Yeah, that's not how normal people have it. <laughs> But she cleans out the glass from his hand and the dirt and shit while talking to him, keeping him distracted. And she finds out that he's a mechanic. She tells him about her muffler hanging off. And he's like, oh, that's a really easy fix. I can fix that for you. And it cuts right to him outside crawling under a car, looking to it right then. Yeah. Right. She tells him he doesn't have to fix it right now. And on top of that, she asks him out on a date, which is a huge surprise to him. And he's smiling, so you can tell he's excited about it, but he's like, you don't want to be involved with me, right? <laughs> and then he's like, I got to go home with dinner with my mom. And he just leaves, right? I'm damaged goods. And I'm going to roll back what I said earlier. I thought all she said was my car's been making this rattling sound. I didn't know she outright said that she, like the cop told her, that her muffler was loose. Yeah. I thought she just said a rattling sound. He's like, oh, it's just your muffler. It's these three clips. It's real easy. That was the joke I was going to make about poor mechanic training. Oh, okay. No, no, She says, like, it's making this rattling sound. I heard it might be the muffler, or I think it might be the muffler. Okay. That's when I said some of three clips. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Man, and his mom, his mom is scary. I feel like his mom is a mom from a Carpenter movie, but I can't figure out which one it is. I mean, Arnie's mom's, actually, she's Arnie's mom. Yeah. Yeah. Just crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then we cut to Allison at home with Lori, and she's giving Lori shit for trying to set her up with, with uh, Corey, because she thought it was kind of obvious. And Lindsay's giving her a tarot reading, right? Allison draws the death card and freaks out. And Lindsay says, no, no, no. That just means it's time for old things to end and new things to begin. This means we're going to get a new shape for the franchise. Right, guys? Um, That's what I got at that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what we all got. <laughs> <laughs> Lori tells her she needs to ask him out to the Halloween party and gives her granddaughter some dating advice. You know, you need to find someone that can let go. That makes you want to rip off your shirt and show grief your fucking tits and say, you know what? Let's go. And that goes a bit to me into reserved Lori from original film into crazy doomsday prepper Lori into Martha Stewart. Lori, you'd get responses like that, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the uh, go to Mexico with the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lori. But she's not depressed while saying it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or uh, alcohol dependent. <laughs> Check. <laughs> we cut to Corey's house where he's having dinner with his family. And by family, it's his mom and Ronald, right? 
And we can see that his mom's super overprotective and she gets onto him for texting under the table during dinner and tells him that bad boys don't get custard. And she takes the custard that could eat a cell phone that we know from the first film and leaves with it. <laughs> so she made the custard for the school. Yes. Of it. yes okay. Yeah. okay and there's cool. no sugar in that. <laughs> <laughs> we can see that it's Allison texting him to go to the party and he says that he doesn't have a costume and she says that I can take care of that for you. And then Ronald um, looks up at him and he goes, do not tell your mother about the motorcycle because <laughs> he does not want to get in trouble at this point. Oh my God. If she's that mean to her son, how mean is she to him? Exactly. He has a line later that lets you know. Oh, okay. So I think it's notated. But we cut to Allison pulling up at the, uh, you know, the rec yard slash mechanic shop where Corey works to get her car fixed. And he's giving her some motorcycle lessons because I think he said something about, I have a motorcycle. And she's like, I never learned how to ride one. He goes, I can teach you. And it's funny because it's like he knew she was coming that day because he's like just doing fucking donuts like a badass on his dirt bike <laughs> as she pulls up. And he's like, here, are you ready to go? Right? Like, it's a little bit of Christine. The car revving him up. And he's trying to use it as like an end with the girl. We can see that he's like kind of innocent still, right? I just hear him giving all those instructions and I'm just like, yep, that's why I don't ride motorcycles. <laughs> What's funny is he gives the instructions incorrectly and then corrects himself. Because yes. he doesn't really know how to ride the fucking thing, right? Again, why I don't ride motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> we see the douchebag band bully pull up with his dad who is yelling at him and smacking him the fuck around and talking about his son's too stupid not to change a tire and drove on the rims, right? And he needs the car to be repaired. Ronald yells for Corey to come help him, and the bully's now seen where Corey works. Yup. We then cut to a super awkward conversation that I'm not going to say is poorly written because elderly people hitting on each other at the grocery <laughs> store probably goes down about like this. For anyone who doesn't know what I'm about to say, just Google lemon party and it will clarify. <laughs> oh my <everything>. God. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's officer Hawkins, which I don't think he's a police officer anymore. He's in a suit. Yeah. I wrote down sheriff. I figured out later he wasn't the sheriff because the sheriff's still the sheriff. I think he's just retired, which makes more sense with what I'm about to say. Did you want the sheriff to be played by what's his nuts from the thing? Yes. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I can't think of his Keith David. Yes, David Keith or Keith David. It's one of the two. I, I always makes really it up. wanted him to play the yeah. sheriff. Nothing against the guy who did it. He was fine. But like when I first yeah. saw him, I was like, "Is that's not <laughs> like you wanted that John Carpenter Easter egg?" Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. He's always got to be a rent a cup or a take cup. Us, take me back. <laughs> take me back to the cherry blossoms. <laughs> We're getting there. But yeah, so he, he's Hawkins in a suit buying a bunch of meat. Lori wants to know, you know, if he ever ate a fucking vegetable in his life. That's how he realizes Lori's there. And they start to flirt with one another, and Lori is smiling, looking away, and she grabs her hair and twirls it in her finger. Lori Strode Just did that in the original eight. film. Yeah, exactly, right? So that was a really cool nod there. And, uh, you know, I'm like, it doesn't make sense going from Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills Lori, to this Lori. But this is Lori from 78 to me. Yeah. Right? Well, it's so weird. And we had the setup in Kills that one time they kissed and da 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 yeah. da I just mean the way she acts in this movie is Lori to me. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying that, like, we're having that throwback. It's like it's a second chance at life, and she can be that that girl she never got to be. And she didn't. Right. She, she turned into fucking doomsday prepper, and, <laughs> and now she can finally be. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's fine. I'm fine with this. We find out that Hawkins also has a new lease on life, right? And, and Viagra. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he didn't say that, but I'm thinking you're right. He did, however, buy a guitar from a pawn shop, and he's been learning how to play. And he got Rosetta Stone from, like, his niece or something, and he's learned how to speak Japanese. And it makes him really want to go see the cherry blossoms in Japan, right? Exactly. 
She lets him know that she bought a house for her and Allison and that she's trying to hook Allison up with Corey. And Hawkins lets her know that that's a good kid that got a really fucking tough break and he's glad they're getting together, right? And somebody really needs to look out for that kid. It's Will Patton. I'm going to agree with everything he says <laughs> at all times. Okay. He better not be a Scientologist because he might be able to fucking mind fuck me. Oh, no. <laughs> Go get your thetans checked, dude. I don't even know what the fuck that means. But uh, Lori walks out smiling and she's confronted by the sister from the drone lady from Kills who is also present in a wheelchair and fucked up and can't talk. And the sister wants to know why the fuck she's smiling while her sister's all fucked up from her boogeyman that was looking for her, right? Yup. She starts to get a little upset and shaken, Lori that is, and Hawkins comes out to rescue her and says that he wants to take her to see those cherry blossoms one day because she needs to get away from all this. Which is interesting because that's kind of Corey and Allison's thing. Like you need to get yep. away from this town because Haddonfield is cursed. Oh my God. They've all been mind fucked by fucking low frequency waves from the radio tower. I get it. I get it. It's all a government mind control program. Go ahead. Sure, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Allison and Corey show up at the Halloween party and she's dressed as sexy cat and he's dressed as a scarecrow. He's not sexy. <laughs> it's no. a really bland mask. Yeah. yeah. But it reminds you of this, or reminded me of the style of the clown mask that little Mikey wore. Yeah. It's that same it's 80s that same plastic vintage, yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the goal there. I'm telling myself that, but no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm there. There's a lot more to this movie than you realize. And I'm going to, I'm going to change you today. Okay. I don't know about all that. I still like girls. <laughs> oh shit. And still no family shit. Not even on a Patreon. <laughs> No, it's on OnlyFans. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, anyways, <laughs> Allison heads to the bar to get some drinks from Lindsay, and Nurse Deb is up there giving her shit for being there with Corey Cunningham, the old lady fucker. And she's like, or whatever he did, right? She doesn't even know. She's being a bitch. And Lindsay tells her that it's okay to be with whoever she wants to be with. And she's like, I want to be with him. Meanwhile, an old guy in a flasher costume walks up and says, hey, Scarecrow, see anything you like? Yes. And opens the jacket to flash him in his underwear with a heart painted on, and it's Nick fucking Castle. Yes, it is. Fucking fantastic. And he says, I think he specifically says, see anything you like, which is what PJ Soul says to Bob Mikey when she shows her boobs. Yes. Another Easter egg. See, th these are done right. These yeah, are these yeah. are okay because this movie's fucking fantastic. Too much. I don't know about all that, but these are okay. <laughs> it was too much in kills. <laughs> but the two get progressively more drunk throughout the next little bit of the party, and we see them taking photos in a photo booth and dancing to the Dead Kennedys, which is a great use of that song. Yes. And uh, Corey's having a great time, smiling, celebrating, dancing, grinding all over. He's he's like fucking being happy for once. You get right. And we see a bit of the kid from the opening scene. He goes to get them drinks at the bar, smiling and laughing. And who's next to him at the bar? But Jeremy's mom, who goes off on him because he's not allowed to have a good time for being a child killer. And she starts to light him up. And Lindsay has to pull the mom back while Allison has to pull Corey back a little bit. And Corey makes a run for it out of the bar. Yep. And I, I cuss her in this scene because, you know, like you said, he's like, what makes you think you get to come here and have a good time? It's like, bitch, you're in the same bar. Right. <laughs> but she's more, you can tell she's upset and depressed mourning. If he was sitting at the bar upset, wouldn't have been, the, it was a little bit of a different argument. Yeah. It wouldn't have been as bad. I think it's the fact that he's celebrating while she's mourning. Uh, she's just pissed off that he can move on and she can't. 
you got to think this is the anniversary. That's a little little much, but I, I, it is she, anniversary a, of okay. her son's death. Look, it sucks that her kid died, but she's still a bitch. She was a bitch when he was alive. I, I just I don't like her. <laughs> I agree with you, and I like the dad. And the dad has a good scene in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, hey, everything's gonna be fine. I think he got a bad. Nope. Yep, yep. Pretty much. <laughs> Go into more detail in a bit. Sorry, but no, I don't. I don't. Man. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. She's so mean. But uh, Allison chases Corey out. And he lets her know, this is why I don't go out in public. This is what happens to me. Why the fuck did you make me come here? And he goes, and why did you leave me alone? Where were you? Right? Like he, yep. he was depending on her to protect him. Right. So you can tell he's like really damaged goods. Right. Yes. And he's, he's kind of mean about it, but as far as putting it all on her in this shot, I see it from his perspective though. Like, why did she leave him alone with all the townies that think he's a fucking pedophile? Yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. still, it, you feel the two different personalities. Yeah yeah. 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 But she lets him know that she saw herself in him, right? She saw somebody that the town saw as damaged goods and that he can't be accepted as a person. Like she can't be accepted as a person. And, and she thought that made them good for each other. For our listeners, this is classified as codependency. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Corey lets her know that she's known to the town as the survivor of Michael Myers. And he's known as the psycho child killer. <laughs> And it is not the same fucking thing. <laughs> I'm with Corey on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are not on the same fucking level. <laughs> they part ways, and Corey runs away on foot because he didn't have his bicycle or his motorcycle, right? He rode in the shitty van with the knocking muffler, and he runs into actual psycho children known as the Haddonfield Marching Band. <laughs> <laughs> All four of them are there, the whole crew, and the evil three pick on him and knock him over and break his glasses, right? The one girl tries to help him again, and he pulls a knife out. I'm not sure if it's the same one Lori gave him, but he has a knife on him now, and he starts swinging at him and telling him to back the fuck off, and Band Geek swats it out of his hand because he's seen some John Wick or Taken films or something. <laughs> Once again, the Band Geek is whooping the 25-year-old's ass. Yup. There's a theme of that, though. Think of it. We'll get there. <laughs> But his knife swatted out and he has to use, you know, his words as his weapon now. And he tells the douchebag that his dad treats him like shit and beats on him. So he has to treat everybody else like shit and beat on him. And dude's like, what the fuck did you say about my dad? And pushes Corey over the fucking overpass, right? They look over and he's on the ground, like knocked out, not moving. They think he killed him. And he's like, oh, clearly he fell. I didn't touch him. And, and the nice girl's like, bullshit, you pushed him, right? Yup. Still defending them. They peace out, though. A keen eye would notice a billboard over the overpass of a girl named Megan who's been missing since last October. Yes. And I feel like when I saw it in theaters, I noticed more than one billboard of a missing person from October. I think so. But when I watched it, I only caught the first one. Okay. But I was a little distracted taking notes. Okay. But I feel like that's important to add. I know David Gordon Green said his Michael Myers wasn't supernatural. Bullshit. Okay, because that's going to come into play. <laughs> oh, well, since that got brought up again, the reason I said that earlier in the commentary on kills when it goes into the 78 flashback and uh, Hawkins sees him and shoots everything except for him and he yeah. just walks to the left and then they run over there and it's a closed gate. That part in the commentary is like, this shot is here to show you he couldn't physically jump that. He didn't go there. This is to let you know he's always been supernatural. Just saying. Just saying. Most of the shit he said, like, he's not supernatural, that was first film. No kills yet. 
So I don't know, you know, you got extra writing time during COVID. Exactly. Right? What happened? Yep. And Malika Cod. <laughs> but we cut to Corey unconscious on the ground under the overpass next to his knife, which sticking in the ground next to the hobo's camp from earlier. Who's singing about a hole in the boat. Yep, yep. The hobo, I actually thought he was singing the worms come in, the worms come out. And I had to <laughs> rewind it because he's kind of doing the same uh, melody. Yeah. Right? But the hobo tries to ignore him on the ground and really ignores him when somebody grabs his feet and drags his ass into the sewer tunnel. Down here we all float. Pretty much. Corey wakes up the next day in the sewer and tries to head out of the tunnel and he's grabbed by the shape who's hiding and waiting for him, right? The shape begins to choke the shit out of him and they stare into each other's eyes and Corey has a flash of all of the events from that night with Jeremy. And if you pay close attention and you can check at the 41 minute and 20 second mark, <laughs> I caught this in the theaters, thought I was crazy. It exists this way in the Blu-ray. He's having his vision of everything and it's kind of in reverse. Like I'm hitting the ground and floating up. Yeah. You see Jeremy open the door. Like it's from Corey's perspective and Jeremy opens the door with an I'm sorry face. Yeah. Which would mean Corey didn't kick the door into Jeremy and knock him over. Jeremy opened the door and Corey fucking kicked him in the chest yelling, this is Sparta. And he went fucking flying. <laughs> yes, I agree 100%. And I remember that from the first viewing that there was the flashback with Mikey of no, you actually murdered that fucking kid. Yeah. Yep. And anybody who's unsure or wants to debate it, 41 minutes and 20 seconds on the theatrical cut, go back. You do have to frame by frame it. It is a very fast flash. They don't show Corey kick the kid, but they show the kid open the door. Yep. So I think Corey already had a bit of evil in him and anger and he kicked the kid over the stairwell. He raged out, man. It happens. I'm not condoning the killing of children. I'm just saying it happens. But when he has this little nugget of a flashback, the shape gives him the head tilt and lets him go. Right. Corey runs out of the sewers into the arms of the hobo who asks, why did he let him live? He says that he's seen that man carry several people down there over the years and none of them ever come out. So what makes him special? Then the hobo pulls out Corey's knife and says, and I'm Michael fucking Myers and yeah. I'm going to kill you. Right. Corey wrestles with the, the hobo for a bit and he shanks the guy to death. I don't know. He stabs him several times in the abdomen and kills him. That's, that's a shanking in my book. Yes. He realizes what he's done and he chunks the knife off into the woods and he heads home through the front door, bursting past his angry mom who's going off on him, who's not at all concerned about all the cuts, bruises, and blood he's covered in. I know, right? right? Corey surveys the damage in the mirror, starts to clean up, and he has this crazy look at himself in the mirror. Yes. Very Arnie Cunningham like. Now, Just saying. Okay, part of this we'll save for the end. The one part that I won't save for the end. Man, if you just killed a hobo, you don't throw the knife 20 feet away from the fucking scene. Kind of bothered me. Yeah, that's just dumb. It's got your fucking fingerprints all over it. You are going to get busted. He doesn't know what he's doing. I agree with that. I'm just saying this is not. If you want to talk about out. motive and evidence, Michael Myers lives 10 feet away. Yes, that's my other problem. <laughs> so the motherfucker has been living in the sewers for the fucking four years. Just. I'm powerless now, although at the end of the previous movie, I, I got all jacked up and sprung back up and killed Brackett and Tommy and everyone else, including Karen, and then I went into hiding. I was going to go into this later. Slightly bothers me. Also slightly makes sense with the mythos. Okay. So if he transcends through fear and damage and hate, right? Uh -huh. They were all still scared and they took the boogeyman down. 
he used the last bit of oomph he had to get up and fucking kill them all. His rage and killing all the fucking people at the irons and the golf clubs and the vacuum cleaners <laughs> and the ice cream makers <laughs> fucking fueled him enough to not die from the several stabs and gunshot wounds. Oh, yeah, he got fucked up. That he has now. He was able to limp away into the sewers. He would die. If we're going to go with the supernatural, he transcends from killing. That's why there's people missing, like the girl Megan from the previous Halloween. And while the hobo has seen him drag people in there, he's not strong enough to go out on a killing spree, but he's strong enough to go out, get somebody and kill them to not die. So he's eating dogs. Basically. I mean, I'm being serious. Like he's that, that low powered. He's just getting by right now. Right, right. That's the way I took it. It's like a vampire feeding off of rabbits. Yeah. Right, right. And they don't explicitly say that, but they seem to really stick on that that Lori speech without saying it so much in this film. Yeah. Right. So I don't know why we would have missing girl from last October on a billboard. And I don't know why we would have hobo saying that he sometimes takes people down there and they don't come back unless he is slowly killing people. Right. And he is weak and we see what happens with him later with a kill. Yes. And so far in this trilogy, it hangs on. He only comes out on Halloween. Not necessarily. He was locked up for 40 years. He had a chance to escape because he didn't even try to escape. Sartine let him yes. out on Halloween. But but that's what I'm saying. Just in this, that's what that's the only time we've seen. Halloween comes around. He wants to go home. Home has been bulldozed. So he, now he hides in the sewers, right? Still don't like it. I'm trying to make it make sense, but I still don't, I that's still the thing. don't like it. You cannot like it, but I don't think it's that messy. With what we have. But it's like it's like saying that that he's a pussy. Like he can't be a badass anymore. He's got to just hang out in the sewers. That's the part that bothers me. How is he a strong evil force if he's got to hide? So I think he has to recover from the moons and he took a substantial amount of damage at the end of kills. What about when he well, he went into the hospital. I was gonna say what about when he was shot six times? But he had forty years to recover from that. And what if he had enough fuel in him from the three people he killed to survive the six shots? I really need to know, other than the curse of the thorn, how he gets his powers. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with going back to when I was a teenager and he's just fucking the embodiment of evil. Yeah. He's the boogeyman. If you think of him as the boogeyman, which I'm going to go into in here in a little bit. Okay. He's the boogeyman. Like, you, I don't need more than that. All right. Well, I just had to air my grievance as, oh, as yeah. we were there. That's why we knew this movie was going to take a long fucking time. <laughs> Well, we cut to Allison at work as Deb says that she thinks she might be able to make it to be the next head nurse. And then she runs into the room with the doctor, Deb, that is, and you get the idea that they're fucking. Well, that's because Deb is the head nurse, as in head. She's the given head nurse. There you go. But she's trying to be the head nurse, which Allison also was. Trying, yes. Right? So we then cut to Lori writing her book and talking about choosing suicide or cherry blossoms, right? So this book's ongoing. And Lori looks out her window and she sees Corey standing half behind the bushes, half out, staring at her, just like the shape from the first film. Yup. And she runs down there to see what the fuck's going on. And he's not there. He's gone. And then he randomly appears behind her and he says, oh, I'm so sorry. I was waiting for Allison because he scares the shit out of her, right? Ninja. And she looks at him in the face and looks startled. Yes. Like, it's like she subtle. Just, she just crapped her to pins a little bit. Right, but they don't like zoom in on her and show it. It's subtle. You gotta no, be no. paying attention to the scenery, right? No, no. Her her reaction here and and how subtle it is is very, very well done. It's it's it makes the point clear without smacking you in the face with it. 
And I want to point out, he doesn't have his glasses on anymore as they got broken, and he doesn't appear to need them anymore. He's also more confident and angry. Yes. He's Arnie after he's had the car a little bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious. I know no, you're no, like no, joking. I believe you. I'm just like, 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 never in a million years would I have looked at it this way. <laughs> it's fucking weird to me. Lori, however, looked into his eyes, right? That's when she had the fucked up face, and she's now freaked out by him that we can see because they make it more apparent that she's freaked out. You just kind of had to notice when that started. Yes. He lets him know that the kids from the mini mart attacked him after the bar and fucked him up. And he tried to make a stand for himself, right? Like they taught him, right? <laughs> and Corey and Allison leave together and Lori stands there freaked out as they walk off, right? He takes Allison to Jeremy's now abandoned house after saying, I killed someone. Come here. It's a hell of a way to start. Hey, right. I killed someone. Follow me. And you um, think he's talking about the hobo, right? Yeah. But he takes you to Jeremy's house. He tells her the whole story. Well, the open and scene version of the story. Exactly. And she lets him know that she felt like she was looking for someone that was a certain person and she'd know him when they got there when she met him, right? We then cut to Lori at Corey's house talking to his crazy ass mom, trying to get some info on him. And she says that her granddaughter should know how lucky she is to be able to date someone like her boy. And she's like, this is all your fault that he's treated this way. The town lost their boogeyman and picked my son to be their new one. Yup. Almost like he's going to be the new boogeyman. Right, guys? This, this is giving me uh, Nightmare on Elm Street four, five vibes. You know? <laughs> oh, your bitch, slut, whore, granddaughter taking away my son. She's so mean. Yep, yep. She's just crazy. <laughs> we then cut to Allison and Corey at dinner at some diner, right? And Officer Dulaney is drinking with a bunch of other cops, and he interrupts Allison to ask her out, and she continually blows him off. And he stays persistent, and then Corey stands up really angry going off on him, which is not the Corey we've seen. Yeah. Right? Delaney recognizes him from that night and starts to give her shit for going out with Corey, who really jumps in his face at this point and starts to freak Delaney out. You see a little bit of fear. When Delaney looks into his eyes, he sees he becomes afraid. The right? blackest eyes. Yep. That's where I'm going with that. <laughs> He goes back down and sits down with his buddies. And they're like, hey, do we need to go fuck that guy up? And he's like, no, I got this. Right? Corey gives her a speech about how the town's fucking cursed and evil and against both of them. And they need to burn the whole fucking thing down and leave. Right? He started with this conversation before the Delaney incident. And then he revisits it when Delaney sits down. And that's when she realizes the town is fucked. We do need to get out of here. And she agrees to leave with them. Right? Yes. He drives her home on his motorcycle. And they make out a bit. And she goes in the house. And he goes on his merry happy way and is followed by Delaney in his car. Well, right? she had actually invited him in for sexy time. Yeah. And he like, said no. next time. Yeah. 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 Because he knew he was being followed by Delaney. Yep. He had a hard on for something else. And he leads Delaney to the, under the overpass by the sewer entrance. And he lays there stalking in wait. And Delaney comes around, check in with his flashlight, finds the dead hobo in the tent. So I guess Mikey staged the hobo in the tent for him. Right. And he's jumped by Corey, who jumps on him and knocks him down. And Delaney actually gets the upper hand on Corey for a second, but he's able to slither out and he runs off fucking maniacally laughing, like, come and get me. And it's really creepy the way he laughs. Delaney uh, chases him in the sewer and he can't find him. And he's walking around checking everything. And what he does find is one of the columns, because all these columns are covered in like mud or clay in the yeah. sewers. It looks like a human face is sticking out. So I'm assuming Michael, as he kills his victims, like covers them in clay or mud. 
to hide the evidence. Maybe. But there's a human face looking at him <laughs> through the whatever the fuck's on the on the pillar, right? Okay. And Delaney freaks out and he starts to spin around uh with his flashlight and you see the silhouette of someone standing up on a ledge over him that you think is the shape. Yeah. And he cuts the mirror and it's Corey, who may or may not be the shape at this point, right? And uh, I think Corey even does the head tilt. Like the head tilt right yeah. here. Adam, right? Myers then jumps Delaney and slams him into the columns, the floor, the walls, whatever. And Delaney tries to fight back and knocks Myers over, who then stands up, but he has like a gimpy arm and he's like hunched over and he's leaning against the wall. Like, I don't know what the fuck to do because he just tried to overpower this cop that just beat his ass, right? Yeah. He's weak old man Myers now. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier, right? Like he hadn't had enough food. He needs his <laughs> hungry man. So Corey jumps into the fray, bludgeoning Delaney with his own maglite, and then tells Myers to get up off the ground and show him how to do it. Myers grabs a hidden kitchen knife that he had stashed, and he starts to limp over to Delaney. And Corey gives Delaney a couple more smacks in the head with the flashlight, then dives behind him, grabs his arms, pins his arms behind his back, and Myers slits Delaney's throat while Corey's holding him for him. And Corey goes down to the ground holding him. And Myers, old man Myers, limps a little closer, and he barely gets two stabs in his chest. It looks pretty weak, like he has a hard time doing it. And then he stands up, and he starts to look like he's cooming. Because <laughs> he starts to twitch. I'm being serious. <laughs> yeah. And he shakes, and he stands up, and he gets four inches taller, like he's not hunched over anymore. And it's just like when he stabbed Cemetery Lady's husband in the back. He goes to fucking town on that knife, right? Yep. And that goes with the transcending with kills thing like he just murdered that cop in cold blood and he just fed him right yeah motherfuckers say coomed <laughs> but Corey stands up after uh the shape gets revitalized and they look at each other in the eyes and i feel like like i, I said this earlier but in my notes i put i feel like this goes back to the second film with Lori saying that he transcends as he kills and he was weak from getting so fucked up and barely making it out four years ago. And he's had very limited bodies to, to recuperate. Right. Yeah. And like I said, the hobo confirmed that he has killed some people. We know that Megan went missing in October. Anyways, just food for thought. Like I said it a couple of times, I just want to have it out there. Corey then heads to Allison's and she can tell he's beat up and he's acting really anxious. And she asks him if he's okay. And he wants to know if Myers let her live or did she escape? Because he's like, why did he let me live? Like the hobo said, right? Yep. She lets him know that her mother saved her. So he did not let her live. <laughs> Lori pulls up and sees them heading upstairs, making out and holding hands. She knows they're going for sexy time. The shape is actually behind a tree stalking Lori from the distance. Once again, I do not think he was actively stalking Lori. I think he was following Corey. Okay. Right. I think uh, he followed no, no, no. Corey out of the sewer, right? Some people have like some weird shit with that. And um, I think this is kind of like an experiment for the shape. He's trying to see what's going on here. I think he saw a bit of himself in this kid. He wants to see how it goes down. <laughs> he's mentoring. Right. And uh, he's not, he knows he got fucked up when he fought Lori last time and he ain't ready. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's, she happened to be there by happenstance. Josh loved my headline for this one because it's called post nut clarity. But Corey wakes up <laughs> naked next to Allison and he sees his scarecrow mask sitting on her dresser and he grabs it and leaves. We cut to Allison at work and Deb is giving her shit for banging the town psycho and says, imagine if your grandmother had banged Myers. 
She then goes off on Deb, who says, I know, I need to learn to shut my fucking mouth. That means two things. <laughs> shit. <laughs> but we can see that shit talking Corey does a huge spark of anger in Allison, right? And Deb heads off with the dock, and Allison loses her shit again. She starts getting mad and smashing shit like she's mad at the whole altercation. Yep. We cut to Lori at Lindsay's bar getting a drink, and she says that she looks at Corey, and she doesn't see a person anymore when she looks in his eyes. And Lindsay says that she has someone that she needs for her to meet. It's Jeremy's dad. He was at the bar drinking and shooting pool. And he said that Corey was always a good kid and he always liked Corey. And what happened with Corey and his son was tragic. And he said he hated how the town treated Corey afterwards because it was an accident. And it pissed him off because they were taken away from his pain. He's the one that should be mad. Nothing happened to them, right? Yup. And he says that he got into huge fights with his wife and estranged a bit due to defending Corey, thinking he was a good kid. And then he was driving home yesterday and he saw Corey walking down the street. And we see it from dad's point of view. And it's after. He's killed the hobo, hobo. killing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's limping down the street and he pulls over to help him and give him a ride home and prove to his wife that he's a good kid. <laughs> and when he pulls over and he looks into his face and looks into his eyes and behind his eyes, he says the kid that used to cut his yard is not fucking there anymore. And he has all the answers he needs. And he drove off and left him there because his wife was right. But what he wants to know is, did the town do that to Corey or was it always there? Yep. Oh, Haddonfield's a hell mouth. Okay, okay, I got it. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of nature and nurture in this film. Yeah. But I really like the theme of the town being cursed and causing all this shit, right? Like something happened, the town just kept building it up and building it up and making a boogeyman, and it's not magically cursed, but everyone's stuck in the state of fear and depression of the boogeyman, and it won't go away. Yeah. Right? And that kind of plays on where I wish they would have ended this, but we'll go. We'll yeah. go and get there. We cut to Deb and the doc heading to his house for a little romp, and he pops an expensive champagne bottle while she goes to change into the outfit or robe that he got her, and she hears a loud bang outside and the doc scream. So she goes out to investigate, and she discovers him on the ground with a bag around his head where he's suffocating, and Corey is viciously stabbing him in the neck with the wine corkscrew with the scarecrow mask on, right? Yup. It's a, it's a pretty vicious kill, even though it's brief. Oh, it's nice. Oh, yeah. It's very nice. She makes a run for it, and Corey makes chase, gets his hand slammed in the sliding door. She tries to close it. She locks him out, and she tries to call the cops on the phone, but the shape was in the house, and he comes up behind her, slams her up against the wall, choking her, lifting her off the ground like he likes to do. Corey watches all this, takes the bandage off his hand, and smears his DNA all over the window for some reason. <laughs> As Myers pins her against the wall with a knife, steps back, and tilts his head, it's the Bob kill all over again. Yes. Right? And I think the whole hand thing is uh, Corey absorbing the energy. Seriously. Something like that. Maybe not like magically, but like metaphysically or something, right? Like, like he just like, he wants to be a part of it. This is his pain, right? And he's like sharing it. Oh, no, 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 no. Like he's literally, this is, we're in the process of the transference of the evil. Maybe. It is, okay. It is slowly happening. And I didn't think that at first. At first, like, oh, he just got the same fucking cut hand slammed in the fucking door and it hurts. Like. This is just no, him, no, him he takes it out. off as I, I think he like wanted to like enjoy feeling the pain because it's like he takes the bandage off and he slams his wound up as he's stabbing her. Yeah. And he's no, like, he's joined in the pain. No, no. I thought it was a bit of. Yeah, it, exactly. Like that. Um, But then when we get to later on and it's like, oh, this is infected. I think when Allison looks at it at the radio station that it's supposed to be by that point that you understand 
Like, he's infected. Exactly. But we cut to Corey riding his motorcycle, and we see some fingers go into his mouth, and he smiles, and we pull back, and we can see that Allison's riding on the back and messing with him, right? And there were some hilarious memes on the internet when this film came out where when the camera pulled out, it was Meyer's mask on Allison's body, like superimposed, because <laughs> they're like, how's Michael getting around with Corey so fast? <laughs> he's got to be riding bitch on the motorcycle, right? Oh, it's fucking great. And the fingers in the mouth is great. There's so many versions of it. Easy to find, I'm sure. I'm going to have to see this. But really, Myers has always been able to get around Haddonfield. I don't think Haddonfield's very big. I think he's following Corey. I don't think Corey took Myers, because some people are trying to make a, a point about Corey taking Myers to kill the nurse and the doctor. He's trying to get vengeance on anybody that fucked with him and Allison. He went to go kill yeah. the doctor and the nurse, or at least the nurse, right? Well, I guess, it, yeah, they both fucked with Allison, right? Yeah. So he went to kill them. We already saw the shape followed him to Allison's house. The shape followed his protege or apprentice, you know, because there's always two Sith, right? To to the doctor's house and Corey got in over his head and daddy had to come and clean up for his son. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's exactly how I see it. So Corey then takes her to a date at the radio tower, like literally on the roof of the radio tower is on the radio station. And we have seen him stare at this radio tower several times throughout the movie that I apparently was not aware existed in kills whatsoever <laughs> until Josh told me. He says that this is where he would go to hide from the town after the accident happened. And it was like the tower always called to him. Something that I don't think they say, but I inferred from it. I feel like the radio tower is on the like city limits outskirts of town. And that okay. was the way out. Because Allison leaves later okay. and she drives towards the radio tower and then she exits Haddonfield. Yeah. So I think that's why he hid there, right? Okay. They talk about how the town is infected and I'm assuming this is stemmed off of her saying his hands infected like Josh has said and I didn't catch that. Yes. But it turns into the town being infected and Corey says that he's got to leave this town and he's got to get away from everyone who knows who he is and what happened. And he gets really cocky, really sure of himself, stands up while he says all this, and then he walks off the roof, right? She freaks out and runs over, and she can see that he just stepped off on an awning without any care, right? Like, he knew it was there, but he wanted to freak her out, but he wasn't concerned with getting hurt. Yeah. He drops down on the ground. She comes down to meet him, and the DJ comes out pissed, talking shit to Corey, and says he knows who she is. And that her grandma cock-teased a retarded guy and made him kill people. That's basically what he says. Yup. Right? I don't even know if I reworded that like it might be verbatim it's essentially the same thing though he tells them to leave before he fucks him up and allison says fuck it let's just leave this town and we can see that Lori is watching them from the distance in her truck the whole time and Corey sees her walking and pulls allison in tighter and smiles at her like cocky right i think it's in my notes later but that scene was shot after the movie was finished okay because they did yeah pickup shot sorry i've been drinking because (laughs) test screenings people didn't understand why I went and killed the DJ. Oh. So they were like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to knock you over the fucking head with a spoon <laughs> and then feed you with it because they didn't catch the like five radio broadcasts with him talking shit the whole time. Yeah. All right. So, because somewhere in there when he's talking, he says like, once you get Willie in your ear, you don't, once you get Willie's tongue in your ear, it never gets out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's important. I was trying to remember. It's like his wild Willie or some shit. I couldn't remember yeah, his name. I think it's Willie the kid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he says something like, once my tongue's in your ear, it never gets out. Because I think Allison's like, I know your fucking annoying voice from somewhere or something, right? (laughs) But anyways, she agrees to leave town with Corey. Allison sees what's going on. Corey's now fucking taunting Lori, right? And that woman will fuck you up. He doesn't care. (laughs) 
Back at home, Corey's mom uh, says she can smell a girl on him when he comes in. And if he's going to have a girl like that, he needs to get the fuck out of her house. She then slaps the shit out of him, cries and says she's sorry, grabs his head and lip lock kisses him on the mouth. He pushes her away. He looks a little extra crazy right here, like Jesus fucking Christ. And she stomps off mad at the house. And Ronald looks at her and he goes, I hope you find someone that actually loves you. And that's what I was saying. Like Ronald's like yeah. stuck in this relationship. I almost feel like Ronald's there to help take care of Corey more than he is to date the mom. Uh, this scene makes me feel like fucking mom used to touch him inappropriately or some shit. I like, think so. Yeah. It's over the top. Cause you, you get the idea at the beginning that Corey didn't have like the greatest life. Cause even Jeremy's mom's like, I hear you're going away to college where you go in. And he basically says, I wrote to a lot of places. Whoever accepted me, I'm just saving money right now. Like, yeah. His goal, his whole life has been Get, get the, the fuck, fuck out. out of this town and away from my family or at least away from my mom. Right. Yeah. She's. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. But we get a title card for October 31st. We now know it's Halloween in Haddonfield. So shit's about to get real and hit the fan. Right. Woohoo. We hear like this. You think it's like a bass beat dropping, knocking. And then you cut to Corey sleeping in a sleeping bag in Jeremy's old house in the blood stain on the floor yep and the knocking is actually Lori sitting in a chair rocking it back into the wall trying to fucking annoy him till he wakes up which i think is really cool and she basically explains to Corey that there's different types of evil people and she explains to Corey which kind of evil person he is right yes basically pure evil pure dagnass evil <laughs> Lori says that she wants to help him but allison can't handle this and she's not equipped for this kind of relationship and he needs to stay the fuck away <laughs> and Corey yells at Lori, saying that she started this she brought him in don't you remember do you want me to do it or you want to do it right like and that's what i was saying earlier he's like this is your fault yeah <laughs> you know? he says if he can't have her no one will and that if Lori wants her to live her life she should see that he's going to take care of her now, right? Yeah. He tells her to surrender and give in to the feeling that she felt the first time she looked into Michael's eyes. And he tells her that he is the psycho and she's the freak show. And he looks up after this monologue and she's vanished much like the shape. Yes. Like she's peaced out, right? And I, I remember, I, I meant to say this earlier, some people think there was some psychic transference of his evil when they... When, when Myers first choked him in the sewer and then he had the flashbacks and yeah. that's why he saw it. I don't think that's what happened. I meant to say this like seven hours ago when we hit that part. I think that they both looked into each other's eyes and saw nothing behind them. Michael's like, you're crazy like me. Michael liked to look in that window because he could see the reflection back into his fucking eyes where there was no soul. Yeah. Right. And when he looked into Corey's eyes, he saw the same fucking thing he saw in his window that he can't visit anymore because it got demoed. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. I don't think there's a psychic transference. I think he saw himself in Corey when he looked in his eyes. And I think he liked looking at that part of himself in the window at his own reflection. And he can't do that anymore. And that's part of why he's letting Corey live is because he's getting that back. See this. I'll save it for the end. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many ways you can go with it and i'm really glad they didn't explain it and people bitch that they didn't explain it but if they halloween sixed it people would have bitched that they did explain it so you can't win now i do have a question do you think Lori really tailed him there or do you think this whole scene is in his head i think Lori tailed him there okay we've already seen her telling him more than once oh, i know i'm just i'm i'm putting it out there because i'm i'm watching it i'm 50 50 that the the heen now that we've clearly shown him noticing her noticing him, 
Like I've, I've wondered that in that scene, if that whole thing is him working it out in his mind and she wasn't even there. Now the dumb luck or poor writing comes with the fact that she never stalked him on the nights he killed anybody. <laughs> Anyways, we got to Allison at work. She gets a phone call from Corey. His speech is really broken. He's talking like a slow child. I don't know another way to explain it. He's crying. He's super upset. And he says that they have to leave tonight. No way out of it. And he says, your grandmother called me and threatened to kill me. And it's just time that we leave. This is all a voiceover. As we see Corey head down into the sewers and see him go towards Myers and say, you have something that I need. And in an infuriating confrontation, we see Corey attack the shape who appears to be winning at first and then eventually gets his ass beat by Corey, who then takes the mask from him, leaving him unconscious on the ground. And Corey tells him he is just a guy in a mask and he leaves and the shape does the like super stomach muscle set up straight and tilt his head and look at him. Right. Yeah. So I've always been mad when I saw it in theaters. I'm like, why was Corey able to whoop the shape's ass? Right. And we can go back on. He hadn't fed on enough kills and he did get fucked up. Right. This final viewing for the podcast, I revisited all my thoughts on that. The way he sets up and looks at him and the way he's been stalking Corey to Allison's house, the way he stalked Corey to the doctor's house and helped him with the kill. I think he did this on purpose. I think he let him take the mask. Why? I couldn't answer. Right. Okay. But the way he sets up and looks at him and doesn't even try to go after him again till the very end of the movie. I think this is some sort of like experiment or passing of the torch. He's trying and he doesn't know if he's worthy. But yeah, without any explanation, I feel like this was calculated by Myers for some reason. Just the way he stalks him and the way he's set up during the scene right after he left. I get that angle. I've got a, I've got an idea, but the end of the movie fucks my idea. So I'll say <laughs> it at the end. But uh, we cut from this scene to Corey carving the word psycho into the band douche's car. And he waits outside for them to find it and revs his motorcycle to make sure that they see him and takes off. So they'll come after him, right? Yup. Meanwhile, Lori finds Allison packing at the house and tells her that she sees Myers in his eyes when she looks into him. And Allison tells Lori that she's fucking crazy and all of this is her fault for spreading all this boogeyman shit for years, right? The infection is spreading. Mm-hmm. We then see the band geeks pull up at the rec yard looking for Corey and Ronald's inside watching a Van Damme movie with giant headphones on so he can't hear the outside. Pretty sure it's hard target. Is it? Okay. And um, in what feels like a very much Christine-inspired scene, they go to fuck up his bike like they fuck up Arnie's car. And when the little drummer boy doesn't take off to drag the bike by the chains, douchebag goes to check on him and his drumsticks are sticking out of his eyes and he's fucking dead now. And it's fucking cool. Oh, yeah. We then see the headlights come on in the distance from Ronald's tow truck, just like when Christine cranks up in the garage at the end of the movie. And one of the girls makes it over the fence, but the nice one, it was the mean one that made it. The nice one tries. She can't quite get over it. She's on the other side. The tow truck hits the fence, knocks it down, and she's pinned under the truck. The truck's not on her, but the truck's on the razor wire fence that's on her, so she can't get out, right? Yes. Kind of neat how they trapped her. Never seen that before. Ronald hears all this and he takes his headphones off just in time for douchebag to beat on the window and beg for help. Mean girl goes back to check on nice girl as Corey shows up. Now the shape 
he's in a mechanic's uniform, the boots, he has the mask and everything. And he bludgeons mean girl to death with a fucking crescent wrench, right? <laughs> we see Ronald grab two guns, load and cock them and hands one to D bag and goes out with the other. And he tells D bag to stay in the office while he checks it out. Cause I don't think he thinks it's Corey. I think Ronald thinks there's a killer on this property. Yes. Right. hundred percent. He finds a nice girl pinned under the fence and he tries to get her up and he sees Corey standing behind him with the Myers mask hanging down in his hand, right? So he knows it's Corey and he's like, Corey, what's up? And then D-Bag runs out with the rifle and Ronald sees D-Bag and he stands up to save Corey's life. Yes. Getting shot in the fucking head. The best part of this though is you see Corey behind Ronald hunched over. Yeah. Ronald stands up to stop the kid and gets shot. And when his body drops, there's no Corey. Yep. So he just did a shape vanish, right? Straight up. D-Bag runs up to Nice Girl trying to help her up. And he says that Mean Girl's dead now. And Nice Girl says, and you're dead now too. I fucking <laughs> love that line. And we can see Corey take a uh, dude's rifle and hit him in the head with the butt of it. And then he cranks up a welding torch and he starts to weld or cook or how the fuck you want to say it. He does the, the welding torch in a D-Bag's mouth, making his head glow. And torches them, and then he curb stomps Nice Girl and heads off in the truck. Yes, the the blowtorch to the mouth is fucking awesome. This scene right here made me think that Rowan, Corey, however you want to look at it, could carry the franchise of the new shape. <laughs> These kills were awesome. Might not even been him in the costume. We did have him like like his persona. Yeah, his personality. Like when he had the mask off, and and Ronald got shot and he was gone. He works for me. Like, <laughs> I would have thought I was the last person to say, we need a new shape that's not Michael Myers, and I was sold now. And I'll go into that in a little bit, okay? Okay. I do think it's fucked up that he killed the one girl that tried to help him, but she was part of the problem, I guess, part of the infection. Yes. He did not actively go after Ronald, however. That was an accident, I think. Yeah. But we cut from here to Corey's house as the shape walks in behind the mom, right? Like through the door and behind the couch. And we get the whole POV scene walking into the kitchen and getting the knife, just like the first film. And he stalks up behind his mom and he viciously stabs her to death. And the reveal shot of her turning around and screaming, Corey, is like when Michael killed Judith. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David Gordon Green knows how to remake shit. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> We then cut to the DJ, Willie the Kid, getting bitched out on the phone for exploiting all of the victims of Haddonfield in the town. And then he puts on the cramps. I was a teenage werewolf, which yep. was a nice touch as well. And starts to vibe out as the shape heads in and kills the secretary at the front desk and then goes for DJ Willie. The shape bashes his head, because this isn't Corey, this is the shape at this point, bashes his head into the desk over and over again while he's screaming until he completely fucking dishinges his jaw, and when he starts screaming, he grabs his tongue that is sticking out of his mouth, cuts the tongue off, and puts it on the record to let it keep spinning, because once Willie's tongue's in your ear, it can't get out. Yeah. Right? Nice touch. Yes. Good joke. What we can see here is that Corey is cleaning house. He's taking out all the bullies. He's taking out his mom. He's taking out the shit-talking DJ. He's taking out the mean nurse and Dr. Allison. The only person that's left that's been mean to the two of them is Lori. Yep. Our final girl. Yep. In a manner of speaking, right? As far as body count, I'm going to say the shapes <laughs> count. I'm not going to say Michael's count, and I'm not going to take Corey's count separately. I think okay. they're the shape, right? Uh, we had the hobo, Delaney, the four-band kids, 
mom, and the DJ. So eight so far. All right. Right? I think it's fair to share them, right? Totally. I don't think Ronald should be shared in this count. <laughs> Unless we want to throw Jeremy into the count. Because if he actually kicked him over on purpose, then the evil was already inside him. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Anyways, I'm going to call the third act here. Allison waits at the diner for Corey, where she's supposed to meet him at like nine o'clock or some shit, right? Yeah. And he never shows. Lori calls Allison, and Allison goes to her grandmother, doesn't answer the phone, and she heads to Corey's house. Lori, that is. She beats on the door. No one answers. The camera cuts inside. We can see mom dead, viciously stabbed, right? Yes. We then cut to Lori back at home, chugging whiskey as she turns off the lights in her house and heads upstairs to her office, bottle in hand, crying some more. She goes into the office with her booze, lights up the jack-o'-lantern on her fireplace mantle next to some pumpkins. And if you notice, she's basically wearing the same outfit from the first film. Yeah. With like the the blue blouse and like the tan you know, sweater and shit. She starts to comb through her book and then sets it on her desk, placing her hand on it like she's sad she's not going to get to finish it. She starts to cry some more, pulls a revolver out from her safe next to her desk, calls 911, and says she would like to report a suicide. And I nearly turned the TV off. Did you just see this one in the theaters? Uh-uh. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I saw it on streaming. <laughs> we get the feeling the whole time that we're not seeing camera angles from a cinematographer of all these scenes. Yeah. It's POV of somebody stalking her in the house, right? Like, it's not immediately apparent, but the way the camera is not steady and yeah. moving and the weird angles from behind things. Yeah, it all feels off. The rest of the movie wasn't shot that way. So this is somebody watching her, right? And it's confirmed in a second. This isn't a crazy Jesse. <laughs> she takes off her cross necklace, puts it on her book, takes her sweater off, going down to just the blue blouse she has in the end of the movie. Cries, puts the gun to her head, walks into the corner of the room by the fireplace mantle. We then get a POV shot from the hallway looking into the room where you can't see her anymore. We hear the gun go off and see shit splatter all over the wall. A POV hand, just like in the original movie, reaches in and opens the door. And we see a like demolished pumpkin on the ground and Lori standing there with the gun up in the air saying, did you really think I'd fucking kill myself? Which was <laughs> awesome, Lori. Yes. And... She then puts a couple immediately into Corey, not even hesitating, and he falls over the uh, stair rail down to the first floor. And it feels like, you know, the like Karen calling out to mom, gotcha, you know, like mother, like daughter, like daughter, like mother, like that that whole thing jives. I was so mad at first. And And we also, I think in the first one, we get over the stairs thing or down the stairs. I think so. You know, after he gets back up, like, the, you know, whole boogeyman setting up scene. Anyways, Lori then heads downstairs talking shit the whole time and empties the gun into the wall and says, you came here to kill me. So fucking do it. <laughs> so she's like putting them on even ground, right? Like I don't have a gun anymore. Yeah. She appears to have noticed that it was Corey even before he took the mask off. I think just because the way she was so cocky and sure about herself and shooting him. Like she didn't think it was Michael. She thought it was Corey. I think. Well, she's also had multiple encounters with Mikey and Corey is fucking shorter. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, <laughs> but she knows it's Corey right now because he doesn't have the mask on. Totally. But he grabs the kitchen knife. Cause that's what she said. It's like, you know, come for me, kill me. As Allison's pulling up outside, he sees the headlights Corey starts to laugh maniacally at Lori, and Lori says that one day they'll know the truth about each other eventually, and did he really think she was going to let him leave with her granddaughter? 
Corey starts to laugh even more. And he says that if I can't have her, no one will. And then he stabs himself in the throat. And Lori freaks out like, what the fuck have you done? And pulls the knife out of his throat right as Allison walks in and sees her grandmother standing over her boyfriend's corpse with a bloody knife in her hand, right? Yup. Allison wants to know what she did to him. And Lori cries and drops the knife. And she knows that she's been played and the boogeyman has won this round, basically, right? <laughs> and that was, you know, kind of crazy at Corey to do that. Like, it was very well thought out for, like, him supposed to be this, like, evil, crazy guy, right? Like, okay, I can really fuck you right now. <laughs> I, I thought it was handled pretty well. Oh, no, it makes all theories throughout the movie go out the window at that point on first watch. I have an opinion, and I'll share it in a minute. Okay. Allison leaves, and Lori sits there crying with her gun. She then notices that the front door is open, which she knows Allison closed when she left. And we see Myers walk in, grab his mask, reach for his knife, and Corey grabs his hand trying to stop him from taking the knife. Myers then just snaps his neck like a twig. You were fucking meaningless to me, you worthless piece of shit. <laughs> that is what happens right there. His apprentice has failed him, and he doesn't care anymore. Lori hears all of this and locks all of the doors, locking them in the house together, even though Allison gets back in in a minute, but it's okay. Maybe she just locked the back door. <laughs> Myers grabs his knife, puts on his mask, and he goes for it. We see Allison make it to the radio tower, which, like I said earlier, I think is supposed to symbolize the edge of town. Yeah. Like she is leaving town. She's made it to the radio tower. She stares at it, gets a phone call. It's from Hawkins. And he says, I just got a call that Lori called a suicide into the department. Right. So she's like, fuck, I go back and check on my grandmother, which the call happened before all of this, but yes. it kind of makes sense timing wise. Right. So she thinks maybe her grandma just called in a suicide after she just abandoned her. Right. Meanwhile, Lori's hiding in a closet as the shapes hunting for her throughout the house, just like the end of the first film. And she set up a distraction with the microwave with like some pumpkin pie or something. So it would burn and blow up just like earlier in the movie. Yes. And when it goes off, he turns around to the microwave and she comes out with a fire extinguisher bashing his head in and he drops the knife, but he gets the upper hand on her and he starts to whoop her ass. She tries to grab a knife out of the kitchen sink, but he grabs her hand and stops her and uses her hand to flip on the garbage disposal and starts to shove her fingers down the hall, which I was like, oh, that's one of those things that fucks with me is the garbage disposal. Yes. But I felt like he was trying to get revenge. You took some of my fingers. <laughs> I'm going to take some of yours. My digits. Right, right. And he gets her hand partway down the hole and she manages to do like a mega headbutt into his fucking nose, knocking him back and she falls on the ground. She then grabs a knitting needle, which we know is a good weapon for her, against Michael and hides under the table. However, when she dives out, he gets the upper hand again, grabs her, takes her knitting needle, and tries to ram it through her fucking ear into her brain. She grabs his arm, stopping it part of the way, but we can tell that shit hit something. That's, right? You don't hear out that ear no more. Exactly. She tries to rip his mask off of him like the uh, original film. Yep. And just like the original film, he does not like that. And he stops <laughs> everything he's doing just to get that mask back on. And I don't think the mask is magical or supernatural. I just think he yeah. has like a tie to it. And he doesn't like his mask being off of him when he does this shit is what I think. And that's why he freaks out and has to get it back on. That's why he was like drawn to it when the podcaster pulled it out. That's why he had to go get it back. That's his, his blankie. His pinky. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like you said. But while he's putting his mask on, she grabs his knife and he swats at her with his hand and she stabs through the palm of his hand with the kitchen knife, pinning his hand into the island in the middle of the kitchen, which is not a secret door <laughs> to a hidden level. That we know. 
She then grabs another knife out of a drawer in the island and stabs him in the chest while sitting on him. And he does the shape setup, which I love. Yeah. With her on him, not giving a fuck. And she falls off, which makes her yank the knife out of his chest. So it's not like lodging his heart anymore. And he swats at her with his other hand, which she now buries that knife into that hand, pinning that one to the island. And then she grabs a frying pan and hammers those bitches in as deep as she can grabs the refrigerator and pulls it over on his legs. So he's got both hands like pinned down, like he's crucified with his legs pinned. Right. Yep. Pretty fucking clever. I think. And not something that's like out of the realm of possibility for somebody to do. Right. She then pulls out a big ass butcher knife that he would be very fond of. And she holds it up so you can see the reflection of his face. And I think that kind of goes back to him looking in his eyes. She lets, okay. She lets him look in his eyes one last time. And then she buries it deep into his side, through his lung, into his heart, right? Like, it's a vicious stab. She pulls his mask off, and you can see his, like, face is super fucked up. It's, like, burned, and, like, an eye missing, and he's got, like, a scraggly beard under the burn and all that shit. It's kind of cool they did it. And as she pulls his mask off, she says that she's ran from him, she's chased him, she's tried to contain him, and now she's going to forget him. And that's kind of like you're turning your back, right? Like, yeah. Elm Street. She thought that he was the boogeyman, but now she knows that he's just a man that's about to stop breathing. Pretty badass <laughs> line. She then slowly slits his throat with a kitchen knife, leaving him for dad to bleed out. He lays there bleeding. You think he might be a goner. It was an okay spot to end it. I'm not about to diss on it yet. There's a bunch yeah. of spots where it could have ended. But he yanks his hand off the fucking island, basically splitting it in two, right? Just yanking yep. the knife out. And he grabs her throat to choke her to death. And she yells, do it, as he squeezes tighter, and she gets a flashback of every encounter she's had with him from the original film and this trilogy, right? Yes. And honestly, I really wanted them to go the route of there being a new boogeyman of Haddonfield. Yeah. I mean, it's fucked at this point. Honestly, I kind of wish they would have killed each other right here. Okay. Like he would have bled out while strangling her. They would have died together. Um I was a really big fan of there being like a new boogeyman of Haddonfield, right? Like it's not that Michael Myers is the boogeyman of Haddonfield. It's just that there has to be a boogeyman of Haddonfield, yeah. right? So we didn't have a new Myers. We just had a new shape or a new boogeyman. I think that would have been cool. And I think it would have been really neat to see them both die right here. Okay. Right? Like the final girl, the first final girl goes out with like the, First rock star slasher. Uh, however, they sissied out on both endings. Yes. Right? Or both both options. We see Allison run in and grab his arm that is choking the grandmother. And she, she pulls it back, snaps the elbow backwards, breaking it, twisting it, fucking his arm all up, mangling it. And Lori takes the kitchen knife and slits his wrist. So he's now slowly bleeding out from multiple arteries. And if he can die like a man, even if he can recover with kills supernatural or not he's gonna die right here from bleeding out no way to recover <laughs> right however they want to end it it's halloween ends they need to make sure he's fucking dead and do something that you've never seen a slasher film so hawkins shows up with the haddonfield police department and he's afraid to go inside and he asks everybody to stay back because he thinks he's gonna find the woman that he's in love with dead from suicide right yeah they burst in, they find dead Corey on the ground, and then they find the Strode ladies with the corpse of Myers. And they're like, is that Myers? And they're like, fuck yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a cool slow shot or slow-mo scene with classical piano. I really like how they shot all this. I know you don't like your slow-mo, but it's done really well here. 
And Hawkins asks, is that Michael? And Lori says he's dead. Not dead enough. They then tie him to the top of Allison's car like he is the tree at the opening scene of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and parade him through the town. We get a voiceover saying that the town needs to heal and they want to show everyone that he's dead. One of the cops says, this is not how we do this. And the sheriff pulls up and goes, this is tonight or something like that, right? Yeah. They parade him through the town straight to the junkyard as the town walks behind in a march. How they all need to come, I don't fucking know. That part really fucking now, bothers me. And, and the parade is led by the chick from Kills that you know had the drone and her sister rolling her. The town unloads Michael from the top of the car and crowd surfs his ass up to the shredder where Lori is waiting. And she drops in the shredder and I think it's Allison that turns it on, but he gets fucking mangled, ripped apart. He's dead. There's no coming back from that. They killed Myers in this timeline. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm going to sound a little bit conflicted here, but some people wish that he had came to life one more time and grabbed Lori's foot as he went into the shredder and pulled her in. That would have been cheap. It would have been cheap. I agree. I'm glad they didn't do that. It just sounds conflicted because earlier I said I wish they would have killed each other at the same time because that would have been a good scene. Yeah. Like him bleeding out. He starts strangling her. She says, do it. He kills her and he fucking drops over dead. That would have been okay. I might have still bitched a little bit, but not like if that would have happened. That would have been super lame. We cut to Lori finishing her book. She says that the body of Myers was disposed of in a midnight procession. There would be no tombstone or memorial and his memory would fade over time. Allison comes in and says she knows that she was right about Corey and that he killed all those people. And Lori says that he was consumed by the evil. We then get a voiceover of Lori that says the events of Haddonfield that created so much violence and blood has now been resolved. We see the news saying that Myers is for sure dead. Thanks to the brave act of Lori Strode. We then see Allison leaving town to get away. Like literally on the interstate, it says, thank you for visiting Haddonfield. She's gone, right? Yeah. Lori ends her book. With, I have said goodbye to my boogeyman, but the truth is that evil doesn't die. <laughs> it just changes shape. Oh, she said it. I love that right there at the end. Hawkins shows up at her house with a basket of vegetables to leave on the porch because she's like, do you know what a fucking vegetable is, right? <laughs> Hawkins then thanks her for what she did. And then she asks him, like, what did you say about those cherry blossoms? They sit down together smiling. The camera does a montage of shots throughout her house, just like the original film. Yep. However, it's not destroyed. It's not disheveled. It's immaculate. Everything is clean and pristine. And the most important thing, there is no breathing from the shape. <laughs> Cue the don't fear the reaper credits. <laughs> I like how they ended it on some finality. Like he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's Halloween ends, right? few notes. I really think that David Gordon Green understood what John Carpenter did in his original film and what John Carpenter did in other films that he had made. And I feel like he fully embodied it in this trilogy, regardless how you feel about certain films or not. I, I think there was a John Carpenter stamp on all of them. I'm a diehard Halloween fan, and I loved these movies. And they really felt like Halloween movies. And to me, looking at the giant list of movies, like the original and these three are the Halloween movies to me. As okay. far as vibe and feeling, um, all the timelines is the best one to me. I'm actually happy with the way it ended in the long run, but I would have also been very, very happy if Myers died and Corey lived as the new shape. Yeah. The moral of the story would have been that Myers can die, but the boogeyman of Haddonfield is eternal. 
would have been a good way to continue the series with new characters. Allison could have been the new Lori Strode final girl, right? Yep. Um, I'm assuming Malika Cod refused to let Myers get replaced. He finally let him die because the Cods were always really big against letting him die, right? Because H2O, he died, and they brought him yep. back to life with the stupidest shit ever, and that's completely a, a Cod family decision on that. Meal ticket. They did let him die, but they didn't let him get replaced. Yeah. Right, like I, I honestly, I feel like that was a studio or Malik decision, which is kind of studio, right? I just, I think that David Gordon Green set everything up for Corey to be the new shape. Like, I, it doesn't make sense to me, like the way they did it. I don't think it was a cock tease, and he sissied out. I think he was told to abort mission and had filmed too much. Yeah, that, in my opinion, that would make some shit make more sense. It would have been really neat to go that route, but at the same time, I really like seeing. Michael, Lori, and Haddonfield get closure for once. Something we've never seen in this franchise. True. It actually ended with finality without the setup for a sequel. So it's bittersweet. Like yeah. it, it did end. Yeah. Which is kind of cool because it's Halloween ends. Uh, <laughs> I think Rowan was really great in this film. I think he was super creepy when he needed to be. And I think he could have been a good shape without it, you know, being a stunt man, having him sometimes take the mask off and it like be this crazy guy. A lot of people didn't like how he just kind of like popped up materialized out of nowhere. I think a lot of people would have been happier if it was Cameron and he was like, just distraught from this, like dad die and all the events. We've already seen Cameron, the asshole, blah, blah, blah. I honestly think that might have been the route they were going because I heard that he said he couldn't do the third film. So they killed him off because he had to do something else. Ah. They never said he was supposed to be the killer in the third film, but that might have been a plan. Yeah. Right. And I might know that when I read the book, when it comes out, but I think he surprised couldn't do the third film. So they killed him off. I think people would have bitched less because he had backstory, but I also disagree with the argument that Corey appeared out of nowhere without any backstory or reason. I think there was plenty of backstory and exposition on him getting to where he got. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with that part of it. I think people stick too hard on this other media existed and we have to tie into it. Whereas if it was a brand new story, you've been okay with them doing the exact same thing. Right. Kind of. Um, <laughs> and I mean, like we see him, we see what happened and then we get a four year time lapse. Like, I don't need to see what happened in the four years to know that he had a hard fucking life because of those events. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm sure I'm going to know a lot more when the book comes out and I have time to read it. It's going to be after Halloween, unfortunately, just because of my vacation, but I will probably do a bonus episode. Yeah. What gets me is, okay. So let's say the boogeyman is the evil. Of course you. It's clearly said in the film. You're just a guy in a mask. Um, Twice, right? I think Corey yeah. says it and Lori says it. Yes. So if, if we go with the idea that it's just, you know, I made the Hellmouth joke earlier that the boogeyman is the boogeyman of Haddonfield, like you called it. Yeah. And it changes shape. Okay. We get that said in there. I'm groovy with all of that. And then it's like, okay, well, we're going to go that way with Corey, but then the Corey experiment fails. And I mean, the experiment between him and Mikey, we'll just yeah. say that. And you're getting that a bit from the way I worded it, but I really feel like it was not planned that way. <laughs> no, no. And that, then that's what I'm saying is like that whole bait and switch, like, oh, we're yeah. going to do this. Like, oh, well, it'd be better off to just have Lori kill Michael, which is the payoff. Everybody's going to want that right. sounds like and, an odd thing. Right. And I had it in my notes somewhere because I kind of went off the rails there at the end, but. I was totally happy with the final throwdown of the shape and Lori. That's the thing. It's a very conflicted ending to me because there's three ways it could have gone that I would have liked all three of them. 
I I don't like the them killing each other because of the callback to the second film of you know let him take my head while he takes mine. Agreed. Um, because, that would be my only like qualm with that because if he's supposed to be just this evil from Haddonfield, then he has no tie to Lori, so that becomes relevant. Right, it right, just, right. It just exists. It going down that way because of there being a tie, I would have been upset with if it was like explicitly stated that way. But yeah. it's just like the final showdown. Oh, no, 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 Lori no. versus I, Michael, and they both went out that way. I would have been cool with. Is no, what no, I, meant. I, I, I get where you're coming from on it. Um, I need more, I need more reasoning. I never. So let's. So we say this is one ends kills or one 2018 kills ends. Yeah, that's the timeline. I still don't get any explanation of what he is, what the shape is, other than the boogeyman of Haddonfield that lives on fear. So you are correct. However, the main complaint of this entire franchise has always been they killed the entire idea of Michael Myers when they made Halloween six and tried to give him a fucking reason. He was supposed to just be evil that killed. Oh, no, no, no. That's what I'm saying. I am fine with him just being the boogeyman of okay, Haddonfield. Okay. So if we I, I thought you were saying you needed explanation of why everything went down. I'm like, well, that was like the main complaint with the original franchise. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. So let's let's say he's just evil incarnate, the the, the darkest eyes. It's a yeah, it's it's a force that came out from God knows where into a six year old boy, da 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 da. So I think he was older than six, but yeah. But but I'm just <laughs> saying that's I'm okay with that being the origin, and even it going on to moving from the guy in in the mask that's used up at this point, yeah, into the new blood. But then it does the oh well that didn't work. Let's go back to this. There's something like you said. Hopefully it's explained in this book. There's something that fell apart there. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it negates the let's kill each other thing. I can't stand that part. I would have been totally fine with I can handle. It is just an evil that moves from one thing to another. Yeah. The biggest hang Which is I, funny because it's kind of like the, uh, is it Jason Lives? That was kind of the thing, Oh, right? where it jumps from person yeah, to person. It's a demon that jumps bodies. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it's still, it could, they could have gotten away with that. I, I take a bigger issue in all honesty of how fast Allison latches on to Corey. Yeah. Now the whole thing with the the hand and oh it's infected the whole town's infected da 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 maybe something was trying to be planted there that that's what it is that like this is everybody's making poor decisions now it's the evil is spreading right. it's not just in Corey but it never it never goes any of those places it I, just goes it teases you with we're gonna go this way and it's like oh no fuck that never mind Michael's back. I, I can, like, maybe help your mind a bit with how fast you latched onto him. One, you talked about codependency earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both in that state of mind, right? And then she specifically tells him that she had been in the state of knowing and wanting something that wasn't there and knew it was coming for her. And yeah. then he appeared, and she knew that that's what she needed. Yeah, but it's even with the codependency joke, it's too. I think it goes a bit into Lindsay's tarot, like like the state of mind they're all in, right? Like possibly fate. That, like she knew fate was gonna give her somebody, and he came, and it must be her, I'm, and it must be him. I'm fine with that if it was fleshed out better. It's too, it's too much. One plus one equals two. Move on. You know what I mean? Or two on the nose. Yeah. One plus one equals two. Move on. I don't remember if it was this movie or the. First one, first David Gordon Green one, but one of them was like 20, 30 minutes longer and he had to cut it. Oh, really? And I don't remember which film it was. I'm sorry. I'll try to figure it out and update the notes, but I mean, that very well could have been this one. 
I know that the radio tower is a reshoot. How many other reshoots were there? Yeah, I know, right? So, barring all that, a few questions I have. Corey, you think he was a good creepy slasher? Yeah, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, yeah he's, he's good actor. He's fine, fine as, as, as an actor and the way he did it, everything's fine. Allison was fucking phenomenal as a final girl. Yeah. So was her mom in this trilogy. Like, yeah, by yeah. the end of the first film, right? I think Jamie Lee Curtis was at top form and fantastic. I think James Jude Courtney was a fantastic shape. Yeah. I think this trilogy embodied the feeling of the original Halloween film. I think it embodied the art style of John Carpenter. And overall, I think it's a fantastic fucking Halloween trilogy. Well, my position is I like the first one. Uh, of the trilogy. I was pleasantly surprised by it. I like the violence and the idea in the second one. Uh-huh. The third one, you totally fucking lost me. Now, the Christine stuff, that's that's more yeah. interesting than the actual movie. But um, that is the movie, though. To me right now. But it's, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'm with you on that. But it's it's almost like, like Terrifier, where it's going in so many different directions. At the same time, it's not grounded in anything yeah. other than we got to get to Lori killing Michael. Yay. We got there. Yeah. My order is one, three, two for this trilogy. Okay. By like giant leaps and bounds. Yeah. And I think when you watch that guy's like super cut of the first two films, you're going to get that vibe because there's maybe 30 minutes of Halloween kills in the movie. Yeah. Cause that's all you needed. Yeah. You only needed 30 minutes of Halloween kills and I'm making up a arbitrary fucking number. It might be longer than that, but the bulk of that supercut is Halloween 2018 with parts of kills intercut because it's done chronologically. So instead of you seeing like the whole night from this perspective and then the whole night from that perspective, you just get the whole night bouncing between the characters. No. Right. So I don't know when you watch that and you see how little of Halloween kills they needed to carry the story on. You're like, I could have done without the sophomore slump here. Yes, totally. The only bow that I, that got put on it for me. And the only explanation that I got was, yeah, Lori killed Michael. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? I I can see that. I I guess my favorite things were, I got the version of Lori that I envisioned. Okay. I got like the, the, her bloodline, new final girl. I finally got to see what we almost had with Meyer's niece becoming the new shape, which right? would have like, been better, but there's no saving that. Yeah. Yeah. So we finally got like them attempting a new shape. Right. And I got the closure. Like I said, it, as many other ways that I would have liked to have seen it end and, and none of them, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't really say like, this is my top ending. Right. Like they were all fine to me, like yeah. the different options. They gave an ending really like as much as a super fan, I come in with, oh, it'd been cool if there's a new shape to carry it on or this and that. It really was cool to see Lori finally get closure and Michael actually be dead. That part of it I'm fine with. I never would have thought I would have asked for. (laughs) But when it was given to me, I'm like, you know what? It actually is cool to see one of these fucking franchises end for sure. Yeah. Allegedly. Because you don't get it. Well, it did though. That's the thing. So Malakakad just sold the rights to Peacock or who the fuck ever to make a TV show. He can sell it to a movie. Because Blumhouse, that's the thing. Blumhouse knew they only got three movies. Yeah. So why set up a franchise with Corey? Yeah. Right? And I think that kind of hurt us too. If they had the option to continue, they might have not sissied out as bad. But he's already sold the rights off. But that timeline 
can just start as the new part two again. Yeah. It can be the movie told over six episodes. Like there's so many different ways they can do oh, it. Yeah. Like, that, like, that, like that's who the, knows. That's the thing. Like we have timelines with the Halloween series, which is fucking ridiculous and something I would have never thought I would have said in my late <laughs> teens. But that's where we're at. Like he's a cool character. Lots of people like him. Lots of people like to see stories with him. And people end it sometimes. So they just fucking start over every fucking time, but they're not all full reboots, which I think is interesting other than Rob Zombie. Yeah. Cause the only time it was a full reboot. Yes. And you guys have heard my lone, my long rant on that. When we covered that <laughs> one last year, the year before, whenever fucking excellent slasher movie. I don't think it was a great Halloween movie. He really got some of it, but there was, there was a direction he wanted to take on his own, his own unique idea. And I think he executed that very well rob zombie i'm talking about yeah i just don't think it was the right direction to go t- for me as a halloween fan i feel like when david gordon green did this though i think he got in john carpenter's mindset and i feel like he executed john carpenter's mindset through three films perfectly i'm okay with that through the first film and the meat of the second film right and I guess Christine on the third film. Because uh, <laughs> other than that, I don't get it. But you're going to have to get this fucking book and uh, connect some of these dots and explain some of this shit. Because right. it's not it's not a disjointed mess of a movie, which is what one of my biggest beefs in, in films in general is. It's just it it doesn't it doesn't answer shit, and it and it's and it goes I'm glad. off and it but it goes off like it's. Like it's okay to not answer shit if you're showing. Oh, okay, we're gonna go off in this direction, and it's it and it doesn't. I I want to know what the fuck happened to this film because it feels like it was supposed to be one thing and got turned into another, possibly. And you know, it's kind of interesting because it's like he might have had this fantastic idea to go a certain direction, but it's like I'm not renewing the rights with you guys yeah. after these three movies because I like fucking money, and I bet somebody will ask me how much you paid and then pay me more. Right. So it's like, well, we can only go so far with it. Like how much, how many breadcrumbs do you want to give the new guys? Yeah. So instead of making it where, you know, they could have set up Corey and then another studio gets to pick it up from there. Fuck that. I did all the heavy lifting. I'm just going <laughs> to kill the motherfucker. You got to start another timeline now. Mine ended. Well, we know how it goes and there'll probably be another timeline. <laughs> and like, this isn't a David Gordon Green episode, but I don't know how many more horror movies he's going to do. I just watched The Exorcist film. Is it one of the greatest horror films I've ever seen in my life? No. Was it fun to watch? Yes. Did it feel like The First Exorcist, which it's a direct sequel only to The First Exorcist? Yes. It was its own story at the same time, which was really cool. But the lighting, the cinematography, the mood, personalities, it felt like the original Exorcist. I think it's really neat that we have this director that's really, really, really good, like phenomenally good at making dick and fart joke movies and shows. Like, I mean, (laughs) can you argue the humor of any fucking thing he's ever made that's in his comedy? Dude, he's over the top for me with his dick and fart jokes, and I love Kevin Smith. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, like, like when you look at Pineapple Express and Your Highness and all the shit, he makes really great, funny movies, right? And and the fact that he was able to make this trilogy and we're having these conversations about the Pineapple Express guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That that speaks for itself, yes. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. And he did it again. And there's all this shit on the internet because they're like, David Gordon Green's fired from the Exorcist sequel. They never actually officially said it was a trilogy. The media ran with it because of the Halloween trilogy. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it's not really... 
set up for a sequel. It's set up in a way without spoiling it for you. Like there's demons and they live in fucking hell. And some of them have figured out ways to take over weak bodies. Cause it's, I, you've seen the previews. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. It's the same fucking demon that took over Reagan. Yeah. Yeah. Zuzu. Yeah. So you can have multiple movies with him taking over yeah. people and it, the continuity can be loose as fuck. Right. But nobody said, Hey, we're making three exorcist movies with David Gordon green at the helm. It was never said. And they're saying they might make a sequel and somebody else might direct it. And everybody's like, yeah, David Gordon Green's the worst fucking horror director that ever lived on the internet. And I'm like, that is not like, I don't know. The internet's fucking evil nowadays. (laughs) All fucking little, little bullies behind the keyboard. that got bullied in real life. (laughs) But I don't know. I love me some Michael Myers. I love me some Halloween. Other than the original film, this is my favorite. This is as good as it has gotten. Since the original film came out to me. Oh, I I will give you 78 and 18. Well, you said you like the kills in all the movies. So, because even though like we kind of, you kind of glossed over and ends there, there's not a whole lot of kills. No, but that junkyard scene. Oh, the junkyard's great. I think you probably would have ate that up. It's just, you happen to like have to take a pee break in the middle of the conversation right there. Right. But like, really like, like you probably liked all the kills there too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't like the story. Of the and third the, one. the DJ cutting his fucking tongue out. Like, no, that's great. Uh, good kills. Like, so you like to go in for the kills. I like to go in for the mythos, but I don't want it over explained. I got what I want. You got to kill. You can't say there's bad kills in these three movies. No, no, there's no bad kills. Um, and he's vicious as fuck. If, if David Gordon Green wanted him to look like Jaws at the end of kills, he did it. No, that one. That, if that he wanted him to look like Christine at the end of ends. <laughs> He did it. Well, it wasn't the end, but you know, like, it, yeah. it was, and it was Corey, but that's the thing. Like, are we talking about Michael or are we talking about the shape? Yeah. Does the shape have to be Michael? No, that's exactly. That's what I understand. And the, the fucking tease of that in the third one, but putting it back in Michael is, is, is a slap in the face to me. I, and I really feel like that was studio involvement. I want to know so fucking badly. Cause something happened. Um, I, I will do my best after reading that book. And if it was just like a, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to pull from elements of fucking Carpenter's Christine just because I can. And I'm just going to make a fucking movie and I'll kill him at the end. Like you told me to fuck you. Like that'd be awesome. <laughs> well, I think about it this way. You like the first two for the most part, right? Did he I like the first one? Did he cock tease you or lead you along some, fake path at any time in this oh no 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 no, no. the first i don't think you did in the third one either though that's what i'm getting at why would you yeah. randomly do it then that's uh, unless you were told to that, well no, no and that's what i'm saying like that i want to know why because that's that's how i feel after watching the movie i'm hoping that his book is full honesty and truth but the exorcist movie is released by blumhouse he loves horror he's just always been a comedy director and writer yeah he wants to stay in the horror wheelhouse. Who is the biggest fucking horror studio out right now? Oh, it's 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 Blumhouse at the moment. So, where do you want to shit? Yeah, but if Blumhouse and Jason Blum was backing him the whole fucking time, and John Carpenter was backing him the whole fucking time, and Malika Cod told him to stuff shit, and then Malika Cod did not renew the license with Blumhouse, I feel like he gets free reign to talk shit then. So I'm kind of hoping yeah. we can see a bit of that. Because we learned after Halloween 6 and after, I don't know, because I, I tried to forget some of the later ones on Dang. purpose, 
But uh, the one where he gets his head chopped off, and then you find out that he swapped with a paramedic and all that bullshit. You, we found out and covered that. Yeah. In our Halloween coverage, that no writer or director intended for any of that to go down, and no. their movie got fucking taken hostage by the Akkad family, and they changed it. Yep. And I kind of feel like that happened here, and I, I feel like they only see dollar signs, and it's just Malik now, so I can't even say they. I think they only see. I think, I think he only sees dollar signs and doesn't actually care what the fan base thinks, even though the reason why he gets that money. Yeah. Welcome to Hollywood. And <laughs> the thing about the Halloween franchise, we've already established that you can just keep redoing timelines. Yeah. People are going to pay money and go see them because Halloween 2018 was the highest grossing Halloween film of all time when it came out. Right. Yeah. So we've already established that you can do that. So like, why do you keep shitting on these directors and writers visions? If that is what in fact happened here, why not let them make the film they planned on? And then when he saw the rights again, let him do another fucking timeline. Well, maybe the book will tell us, but until then we're out of Halloween movies, dude. I know. And I'm actually <laughs> very sad about that. So I'm feeling a little verklempt right now. And uh, I don't know. I'm just gonna have to carry on. I, I guess we're going to have to cover the TV show when it comes out next oh, year. Oh God. If it's bad, I, well, if it's bad, we're going to do it, but piss drunk <laughs> and a YouTube video with the camera behind our heads, just like mystery science theater. Nice. But anyways, that's it for the David Gordon Green Halloween Trilogy episode. So you guys are going to have to tune in for the next episode where we discuss Halloween Horror Nights 32. Fuck yeah. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbyspodcast@gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbyspodcast. See you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening. You don't believe in the boogeyman?